on today's show. We are getting to know Stephanie. But first, a word from today's sponsors. Andre Psyche is the freelance creator extraordinaire, someone who makes music, poetry, art, clothing, and lives to make others feel good. Search him up on any social media. It's Andre Psyche. That's P-S-Y-C-H-E. The next time you are looking to add some creative stimulation to your social media circle. Patreon.com helps creators like me earn a monthly income that will be put towards podcast expenses. Support the Getting to Know You Pod's creative endeavors through Patreon for as little as $2 a month. There are all sorts of costs that I had no fucking idea about associated with posting podcasts, not to mention the need for equipment and production. So dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know any of our guests or just want to help keep the pod going, go to our Patreon. The links in the description and your support of the Getting to Know You pod is very much appreciated. Two bucks too much? Here are three free ways to help. Get your thumbs ready. One, push the subscribe button on whatever app you're listening to the Getting to Know You pod on. Did that? Thank you. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on your social media like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Go ahead, open those apps, click away if you haven't already. Thanks again. Three, go to Apple, write a review. The internet tells me this might be the most important and impactful. So thank you. Your support, dear listener, whether it's with your thumbs through our Patreon or ideally both, is greatly appreciated. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to Getting to hope you like me Because I'm good enough Getting to know you Putting it my way But nicely I'm smart enough You are precisely And doggone it And Stephanie is a recuperating tired bartender Thank you so much for um, chilling And um, having a relaxing evening with us And uh, letting people get to know you, man I appreciate it Yeah, absolutely And I don't know. I I don't even know where to start because it seems like you are into a million things. Just going through your Instagram, it seems like you're super into this like fitness lifestyle. I think there's some dietary stuff in there. You're like DJing. You kind of do this dancing thing with fire. And then apparently you have a couple certifications that I'm not even sure what they mean. Is one like air traffic controller? Is one like medical related? Um, So I, I don't even know other than like what are you aside from a person? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, definitely a person, at least I'm far, as far as I know. Um, but yeah, no, I, the ATC, I love the air tra- traffic controller. I get that all the time. Uh, it's actually the athletic training uh, credential. So that's the uh, medical background. Okay. Uh, pretty much sports medicine in short. I make sure that people can do what they want to do with as little pain as possible. Uh, the CPT is my personal training certification that kind of just falls in line with all the sports medicine stuff. Okay. And yeah, from there, um, spent 
a decade of my life thinking I was a one-trick pony and I needed to focus on one thing. And that never really resonated with me. So the past six months especially has been shedding that kind of conditioning and following anything and everything that sets my soul on fire. So you've kind of turned into like the um, stereotype yes man. Have you seen that? Like the, hey, you have to say yes to everything kind of a thing? Right? Um, yeah, so kind of to an extent, um, but only saying yes to the things that excite me. Yeah. So if it doesn't resonate with me or bring me joy, then I'm actually very good at saying no to it. <laughs> that can be an underrated skill for somebody who's good at stuff and has a lot of people in their lives, right? Oh, absolutely. I'm curious, what were you doing for the decade that made you feel like a one-trick pony? Was it the athletic training? Yeah, it was athletic training. I uh, was employed in a number of settings, everywhere from collegiate athletics to Cirque du Soleil to professional freestyle BMX. And, I mean, loved what I did and who I worked with, just not always who I worked for. And at the end of the day, it's a career field that is, significantly underpaid for the amount of hours and heart and soul that we put into it. And it just wasn't sustainable anymore. Travel schedule or the hours or just everything like the pressure. Really just everything. (laughs) Yeah. With, um, like with collegiate athletics, it was definitely a lot of hours. So I worked with men's and women's track and field and during the season, it was not uncommon to work. 90 plus hour work weeks, even on weeks we weren't traveling for meets. Um, with something like Cirque du Soleil, it was a little more manageable hours wise. Like at most, it would maybe be a 50 to 60 hour work week. But again, it just, at some point you give and give and give. And when you don't give, when you don't get anything back um, from the people you need it back from, it makes it difficult. And are we talking and not to be all slanderous to like a former boss or anything, but I'm, (laughs) I'm interested in that, like reciprocation and appreciation that it seems like people who work is under even the wrong word for a company, you know, like it just seems like bosses or people in charge have to be so much more mindful of like the mental well-being or spiritual fulfillment of employees where it seems like before it was just like, hey, you're getting paid, shut up and come to work. I don't care about your feelings type thing. So are we talking about like just not appreciating? Um, Absolutely. I mean, I think it's the most rampant in the collegiate setting of it's like, hey, we need you here. And it really doesn't matter what's going on in your personal life. Like I was fortunate enough that I don't have a family to take care of, but like, Mm the athletic trainers who had little kids at home and had spouses at home, the same expectations were held for them as were held for me as someone who didn't have those home commitments. And so there's just not a lot of room for work-life balance and not salary for that lack of work-life balance. Gotcha. So would the money have made you feel better? That's like um, one of the Mad Men favorite lines. Did you, do you ever watch Mad Men? Madman. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I, I think it was Peggy was like just yelling at Don because I think Don took the idea for like her commercial where the kids behind the chair, 
And she's like, I want your appreciation. And he shouts like, that's what the money's for. So I don't have to thank you. <laughs> and it was like one of those things where it's like, damn, all she wants is like to know that, to actually hear that you appreciate what she's doing and you value her. And. Oh yeah. No. And I think, I think to an extent the money could definitely make a difference. I mean, when you're working like, for example, like most college athletic trainers, you're lucky to make between 35 and 55,000 a year while working those hours. Hmm. So obviously the financials are not there. Um, but it also just gives you that impression that you're not valued because you look at like a strength and conditioning coach who don't get me wrong. They put the hours in as well, but they're making six figures a year, but we're the one keeping the athletes on the playing field. Um, so there's, I mean, shoot, I could soapbox that for hours. Um, but that was a big motivator of why I very early on said I would never go back to college athletics because the, the value just is misplaced. Would it have been different if you were part of like a football team or something like that? Like a more popular revenue generating sport? No, that was, it was the same salary regardless of what sport you worked. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's an honor. Yeah. Oh yeah. Whole soapbox. <laughs> Is it like union? I don't know why I get so into salaries and jobs. Maybe because I live in Southern Delaware and there aren't a ton of salary jobs. Like it's a very limited workforce opportunity. Um, is there no like union to try to get this together and organize? Are you like negotiating your own contract with companies or is this just really lame, boring, stupid questions? Right. <laughs> oh, you're totally fine. No, right now it's pretty much individual negotiations. Um, there's been some talk of unionization. There's been a lot of asking of our kind of, it's not even a governing board. There's National Athletic Trainers Association. And there's been a lot of asking of them to kind of advocate for us. But I think the other thing that you run into with the profession is, as with any medical profession, you have a lot of people who are very altruistic and want to help and are willing to sacrifice themselves to provide that help. Yeah. Um, so it's not exactly your like cutthroat people who are going to demand exactly what they need for a certain quality of life. You're going to get the people who are willing to take a little less pay because it's rewarding to see that, to have that thank you from the athlete when they're back to their sport and winning and doing what they want to do. But again, those thanks, as much as they make you feel good as a person, don't pay the bills. Yeah. Or just giving opportunity for when you've got some free time to like, enjoy it. Right. To save. <laughs> right. Yeah, it sounds a lot like teachers. It's yeah. something that, uh, I mean, I'm a teacher and it's something oh. that it's interesting to me that it's illegal for you to strike. <laughs> and I think like nurses are illegal to strike, at least in Delaware. But it's it seems very hard for the union itself to really negotiate for higher salaries. And I don't know if the teachers are just too nice because most teachers do get into it. The schedule's great, but most teachers do get into it because you care about kids <laughs> and you just want to, make their day better, help them out a little bit. And um, that's, that is an interesting point. Like you're probably not the shrewdest business people. Cause then when you get to the union level, most of them, I believe were pretty much teachers before to be a part of the union. And it's like, well, maybe we just need some cutthroat lawyers 
to get in there like some real sharks Oh, absolutely. No, there's there's definitely a lot of similarities between athletic training and teaching across the board. Oh, I never thought about that before. How So you get fed up with track and field and then you get into Cirque du Soleil? Because I have seen some pictures of you doing like some <laughs> seriously athletic stuff. So I'm wondering, is that just like when you're bored, you're hopping on the rings and stuff like that? Or did you actually try out for them? <laughs> um, no, so I never, I never auditioned. I have dabbled with a number of circus arts uh partially just for like personal curiosity um once I started working for Cirque I dabbled with a little bit more a lot to understand better the demands of the artists I was working with and then especially if I was taking through a rebuild um understand really what Eighth movements we need to inco- needed to incorporate before they got back to their skill set. Uh, like for example, I had a straps artist who had a shoulder surgery, and I understand the general dynamics of hanging. But as we built out his rehabilitation program, I pretty much had him take me through how he would teach somebody brand new to straps and what drills he would do with them as they progressed in their skill level, and that's how we designed his rehab really kind of together. God, dude, that's, um, I, I wouldn't have thought of that either, but yeah, if you just knowing about shoulders, doesn't mean you can actually heal like a Cirque du Soleil shoulder. Cause I'm the range of movement, the range of movement, the understanding of like the strain of a particular angle. That's really smart. Yeah. And it's a really great way to, to establish order with, a group of phenomenal athletes who aren't necessarily very trusting of medical professionals. Cause so, so many times doctors like, okay, you're going to have this surgery and you know, it's kind of a crapshoot whether you'll get back to your previous abilities. And so their trust in the medical system, especially as international athletes is very broken. Um, and so earning, building that rapport and earning that trust was something that was incredibly important to me um, when working with them. Do are most of them just like gymnasts growing up, and then that's how they continue with their love of gymnastics? Like they're almost good enough to like get an Olympics or former Olympic athletes that aren't as competitive or don't want to be as competitive anymore. So it varies. Um, some of them are just naturally talented and stumbled into aerials. Some have been in circus schools or around circus arts since they were you know two and three years old, um, and then quite a few of them are former Olympic athletes who either have retired from their sport or decided to move on from their sport. Gotcha. It, I, I've not been to the show. I just seen whatever internet highlights. Cause again, I'm a boomer in Delaware, but it's, <laughs> it's beyond athleticism. I'm, I'm, I'm a huge basketball fan and you see dudes run, jump, sprint, right. And you get glimpses of coordination but the coordinated strength athleticism, it's like, to me, it looks more difficult than Olympic things. And I know nothing about it, but like it, you're like, you watch people run and then they do the horse or something, or you just see the pole vault bars and you're like, or the uneven bars. You're like, yeah, that, that's super, super difficult, super, super dangerous. But the Cirque du Soleil shit seems crazy. Like they're fucking climbing on each other. It It's... Yeah. I don't even know. Like, if you don't see it, I don't know how to describe it. It just seems like it would be more difficult than actually training for the Olympics. 
For for certain sports, absolutely. Um, to be a nerdy craft. Um, but yeah, and then I'll, I'll even blow your mind a little bit on that. What you see on edge at most is 75 for actual because you figure Oh, it's breaking up like crazy. Stephanie. I mean, that oh, no. Yeah, I'm sorry. You said, see, that's what you jinxed us because you were like, I'm going to blow your mind. And then the most tantalizing <laughs> details were like gargled <laughs> marbles. <laughs> I It's like something 70, oh, no. I heard maybe 75%. Yeah, so you figure what you're seeing performed during the show is at most... 75% of their capability in that specific act because you figure they have to perform that act 10 times a week and at least two trainings a week. So you can't go hundred percent every single day. Like your, your body's just not meant to do that. Um, so yeah, that's just the fun little blow your mind. Fact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that makes sense. Cause it's probably just more like you're more guaranteed to hit. Right? Like if it's a routine, you don't want to be trying to PR or max out each time. I think of it more like track. Like you're not always sprinting. You're not always trying to PR because you can't. You'll hurt yourself. Right. Exactly. Like at a meet, absolutely you're trying to PR. But yeah, you're not trying to PR and practice every day. That would just be insanity. So what was like a typical day like for you as a working for the Cirque du Soleil? Um, it was actually pretty easy. So we'd pop in shows are at, at least in Vegas shows are at seven and nine thirty. So depending on the show, we'd be in either at noon or around 2 PM, um, starting off with our longer term rehabs, covering any trainings we needed to and treat up until about half an hour before the show started. And then between shows, we might have treatments and then usually hang around after shows like a half hour or so just in case anything happened during the show or people needed ice or something post-show. Gotcha. And are treatments just like stimulations, massage type stuff? Is it like stretching, <laughs> yoga, flexing type stuff? So we so we had at the show as a massage therapist on staff. Um, depending on the show, it would depend on the number of days per week. Um, so our rehabs were more either exercise-based or modalities, whether it was dry needling or Graston or cupping, um, certain like manual techniques, absolutely. But like for just the purely massage stuff was usually by the massage therapist. Gotcha. So it was more just form for you, making sure people are doing stuff with the correct to keep mobility? Um, it depended on our goals. So sometimes it was imparting mobility. Sometimes it was imparting stability to give them more mobility. So a lot of times flexibility restrictions and mobility restrictions are more nervous system based. So if your nervous system doesn't trust your body in a certain range of motion, it's not going to grant you that range of motion. So if you find exercises and things like that, that show the nervous system, you have that range of motion and you can control things in that range of motion, it will give you that mobility. I'm, man. You said that so well. It's like you're a teacher as well. That makes sense about the nervous system. I hadn't thought about that before. Do you um, also get into like any sort of, not like 
illicit drugs or something, but like, do you have opinions on like CBDs to get these nerves firing or like particular herbal tea things? Or is that something you didn't dabble into? Um, so I'm a huge advocate for CBD, um, especially when it comes to the nervous system and recovery. Um, I also recognize like not one thing is for everyone, but CBD was a huge thing. Um, I never, even before it was legalized in Nevada, um, if an artist or an athlete disclosed to me like, Hey, like I'm taking THC for this. Or like when I worked BMX, I had a lot of athletes who refused, um, opiate pain medication because so many of them had seen what opioids and heroin addiction looked like in their friends and in their lives, um, that they didn't want chance down that path. And the thing with THC is it's a much better substance for pain and you don't have to worry about addiction. Um, so I had a number of them who after surgeries or operations would be like, Hey, look, like, I don't want to take my pain medication, but like, are you cool if I like hit some edibles or like hit this bong? I'm like, I'm not going to say no to that. Like that's better pain management. It's better for your body. And you don't have to worry about getting stuck down that dark path that opiates can take you. Right. Yeah. I, I've, I know very little about the cannabinoid system. So little I can barely say it. But thinking about nerves not trusting and that's what's limiting your flexibility. It, if you start putting that stuff together where like, seems opioids more block the pain, where for some reason mm -hmm. I thought the CBD almost spoke to the nerves or awoken nerves or stabilized nerves. Are you way or any better at understanding that than me or are you pretty limited? Um, no, it, it definitely it definitely has a lot of interaction with the nervous system, um, and actually a great resource for that. Um, Allison Evans, a very dear friend of mine, actually started her company last year called Fringe, um, and they're focused on water-soluble CBD products now, um, and as things progress with um, legality of THC and such, we'll likely branch out, but they put out a ton, ton of content on the cannabinoid, endocannabinoid system and how everything interacts with your body. So anybody looking to kind of dive down that rabbit hole fringe is a fantastic resource. Um, I mean, she's, she's a chiropractor. She's a nerd like all of us. Um, and that's something that she's super, super passionate about. Gotcha. Yeah. It, um, I don't know, man, the conspiracy person with the big pharma and how that stuff gets pushed after surgeries, it would, it, it's such a basic conspiracy that it's almost like too obvious. And maybe that's why it's allowed to happen because it's right in plain sight, but it makes a ton of sense. Oh, yeah. Well, and I mean, the, the thing with CBD and THC is that it's not a big ticket item for big pharma. It's not something that they can make tons of money off of. So of course they're going to demonize it. Um, and I could, I could 100%, oh my God, talk about soapbox with big pharma. I mean, like, even as simple as I just got diagnosed with ADHD two weeks ago and was looking at the ingredients in Adderall, and they've connected red number 40 with ADHD in children, and it's one of the ingredients in Adderall. Hmm. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> what does red number 40 do? What's the issue with it? It's a food dye. Okay. Um, and it just, they've, they've linked it with... Um, 
ADD and ADHD in children. I haven't explored too much into like where exactly it happens, but just like surface level that it's linked. It just is oh. super ironic to me that like it's in a medication for the condition it's being prescribed for. Wow. That's <laughs> a, yeah. Right. Okay. Now I'm with you. Cause that would just be like, Hey, we're going to keep your problem going while we're treating it and maybe right. scale it down. A little I mean, bit. like, even you sit there and you're like, cool, we're going to give these people like literally government controlled microdose meth, um, which is just laughable. But I mean, it is exactly what it is. Yeah. Right. I mean, speed, right. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's in, I don't know, man. I, I've always been the ADHD being a teacher and seeing some kids who kind of have it. I get a little skeptical and I don't know how, cause every home, every kid is different, but you wonder how much is just like, instead of focusing on the medication, there was a focus on the coping skills and more empowerment oh, instead of a dependency on, Oh, I got to take my medicine and now you're not feeling right. Versus dude, when you're feeling this way, we're going to figure, we're going to work on channeling the energy. We're going to work on bringing yourself back. We're going to work on triggers to, key you in almost like a meditative like if you went to a meditative boot camp versus a quick little five minute go to a doctor fill out a form now i got a prescription my kids healed versus you know what three times a week i'm going to find a holistic person to sit them down going to get them a lot of exercise and then after that we're going to work on like breathing techniques and zoning in you know like oh absolutely there's so much research on Again, yeah, enough exercise to channel that energy and, you know, limiting refined food, refined sugar and processed foods. Um, I mean, the, the coping mechanism definitely, like, hits a little close to home personally because that was honestly what kept me from seeking out treatment for over 20 years was I, what you would consider high-functioning ADHD and that I have phenomenal coping mechanisms that I have, you know, that I developed to survive. Um, and it kind of like, I came around of like one starts overloading to the point of, you know, not having enough space is when those coping mechanisms aren't quite enough. And I finally sat down and I was like, I'm going to sit, I sit here and I preach to people like, Find the things that help you thrive. Like, you should be thriving in life, not surviving in life. And if I'm sitting here coping, like, using my coping mechanisms 24-7, I'm surviving. And those coping mechanisms, yes, are there, and they're great to have when you need them. But nobody should have to employ coping mechanisms 24-7. That, dude, so that... And I know it's rude to do the age thing, but you had said 20 years. So I'm going to assume you're at least 20 years old, right? <laughs> um, I'm 33. All right. Thank you. Because that's always like an awkward ask when you're trying to like put together timelines. <laughs> you know, like you don't want to be insulting. Like, hey, how old are um, But that seems pretty old to be like, I need help. Like, and, yeah. and I'm curious, like what, I'm actually curious about what coping mechanisms you had and then how are you dealing with just accepting, like, are you actually doing the medication? Yeah. So I, I mean, in addition to the ADHD, um, I've been dealing, living with, however you want to put it, um, depression since I was 
not even 10 years old, um, as well as anxiety. And again, all that plays in with the ADHD. Um, and I think for the longest time, I was just focused on trying to fix the depression, anxiety side of things. Um, and then for like keeping track of things and coping, it was always just like, okay, like here's my to-do list and here's this and that. And like not completing things would just trigger kind of that cyclical, um, oh, well, you didn't do this. So now you're a bad person, yada, yada, and feed into the depression. Just one of those beautiful reinforcement cycles. Um, but met my partner in crime uh, New Year's Eve, and he's, bless his heart, the poster child for ADHD. Um, and like in so many of our conversations, I was like, I literally understand exactly where you're coming from. I just was fortunate to have the wherewithal to like develop the coping mechanisms to kind of mitigate everything. Um, and then, yeah, the, the move was just like, you know, I'm, I want to explore this. I've joked about getting tested for years. Like, let's just, let's just see what happens and see if this really works. Um, and that's, that was the nice part about cerebral is they won't just prescribe to you. If you're getting a prescription, you have to meet with them at least once monthly for counseling and you can even sign up for weekly coaching. Okay. So it's not just a, here's your prescription, go take your pills and check in with us when you need refilled. Um, so that was, that was really cool. Um, but yeah, so two weeks into two weeks into my medication and my God, I'm like, wait, is this how normal people like function? Cause this is unreal. What's the, like, what's the biggest difference for you? Actually able to get everything done a lot of times if there's tasks that don't fully hold my attention or that like are necessities but I don't really want to do them I'll like find six things to do at the same time and like bounce between projects and then nothing ever really gets done <laughs> um I'm actually able to like get all the things done I need to and still have space and bandwidth to also do the things I want to, um, which is just that and like not getting caught in the loop of, oh, this didn't get done in the time I wanted it to get done or this, you know, I had to put it onto tomorrow's to-do list. And there's just like kind of a lifting of that anxiousness and that kind of self-deprecation that used to come with not getting something done when I wanted to get it done. Are you talking about laundry or do you have like hobbies where you build birdhouses, dishes? <laughs> I'm um, trying to think like how much is on your to-do list. That's definitely like, right. Um, I mean, right now with like opening up my latest company and making sure I'm on top of like finding the gigs that I need to find for travel bartending and all that, there's actually quite a bit on there. Um, but yeah, oh no, laundry is like my favorite my least favorite thing to do on this planet. I'm like, I'll get it out and then it'll sit in the basket for three weeks <laughs> clean, but you know, <laughs> yeah. but you know where it's at. So you can grab it. And right. I mean, fishing through for socks is probably the worst part. Yeah, man. Flip flop life eliminates <laughs> all that. Um, dude. Yeah. So not knowing you at all and just going through the Instagram and looking at how much you're doing, I'm like wondering wouldn't everybody feel that way? Like, it seems like not that you're unsettled, but the, the, going and DJing and being a traveling bartender, 
seems so unsettling to me, but I'm very sedentary, right? Like I'm a teacher. I got my nine to five or it's seven to three, really. You know, I show up at a certain time. I'm very like schedule oriented and it's in one spot. And I think I've been there like eight years. So it's hard for me to look at someone like you who is driving around or going to clubs like, yeah, I'm a DJ this weekend. Oh, maybe I'll bartend this weekend. Oh, let me line up this gig at a Formula One. Oh, let me go over here to the PGA. I'm going to be in Texas. I'm going to be in Nevada. I'm going to be in Florida. Maybe I'll go to Reno. And you're like, do you have a house? <laughs> Who's walking your dog? Yeah, so I, right? I, actually, like, I actually do. I own, a, own my house in Vegas. Um, it just seems like so no, much. Like it seems like it would um, need anybody to feel that way. There's a lot on my plate right now by choice and all things that I'm super passionate about. And I don't really have time to slow that momentum down. So, you know, if if I'm going to thrive professionally and make all these things that I want to happen, happen, you know, I I have to be on top of my game. Yeah. So was it like a targeted Facebook ad? (laughs) Did you actually have a conversation with somebody? (laughs) I'm curious about like how you decide to seek a doctor to go get this or, you know, a clinician? Yeah. So I actually started poking around online um, because just the medical network in Las Vegas is really atrocious regardless of what care you're seeking. And I was like, you know, especially with all the travel, like telehealth is just the way to go. Um, so I was poking around for somewhere that would be kind of an all in one of the testing, the prescription and whatever else I needed. Um, stumbled across Cerebral, which one of the things that hit home about them for me was that they won't just write you the prescription. If you have a prescription through them, you have to meet with your therapist at least once a month. Um, and they actually have an option for like weekly counseling, as well as if you wanted to set up more frequent appointments, you actually could. But I really dug that of like, no, we're not just going to write you a prescription and like let you go with that. Like we're going to talk to you and figure out and do kind of that side of things as well so that your treatment plan is as successful as it can be. Gotcha. A little more holistic made you um, oh, yeah. comfortable. Yeah, because it – and uh, I don't know. With the sports medicine background, you seem very into body, <laughs> like into yeah. fitness, into function. And um, it's nice. I think it's good for people also to just when they see empowered people and they're like, hey, you were a little vulnerable. Maybe, hey, like you took a risk. Hey, you were willing to like go figure some extra stuff out and you're not in your 20s or your teens because ADHD you associate basically with like 10 year old squirrely boys. Right. Like that. Would Absolutely. Be like the stereotype. Oh, there's so, so much. I mean, girls like females are across all ages, it's severely underdiagnosed. Um, And then, yeah, you get people who like get into adulthood and it's just like, oh no, I just like have all these shitty emotions and like miswired brain functions. And it couldn't be ADHD because I'm not 13 years old anymore. Yeah. And that's why I was just to um, circle back a little bit to make sure it was clear on the pod. I think that's a very, uh, I don't know, not cool, but cool thing. Like to try to reorganize and reassess your life at that later stage to go with the ADHD, I think is um something that uh, it's not like super inspiring, but to me it's inspiring, if that makes sense. I don't want to like make it a bigger thing, but it's good to like check in with yourself and it's good to, I don't know, not optimize. What Fucking words are so clunky right now, but it's just, <laughs> I just wonder how many people actually just deal and just continue to cope. And then maybe they are ambitious, but because they can't ever like ride the wave of energy or ride the wave of their multitasking, it 
flips them over. And then they feel like failures, which is what you were getting into. And it can like spiral to this weird depressive cycle. And it's like, maybe if you tried something you've never tried before, like seeking medication or seeking someone who could talk to you about it, you'll feel better about life. Oh, absolutely. Like, and I was, I was fortunate. My, I mean, not fortunate that my fair, my mom forced me into therapy when I was a teenager. Um, but it definitely like made that something that was accessible to me. Um, and something that I was open to seeking. Um, and when, especially when you sit there and you think like from a biological perspective, you know, our brains aren't fully developed until 25. So like, yeah, you might get diagnosed with something before then, but like now you're fully developed, like things should be working and shoot if they're not all the more reason to seek it out. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. Cause it, like you have these age things when you get older, whether it's like a mammogram or like get it checked for colon cancer type stuff, right? Like there's these end of like, hey, you're older, make sure you stay on top of these checkups. But I don't know if there's ever like a mid thirties, like priority checkup, like, hey, you're in adulthood, here's what you wanna check in on. Like, how's your focus? How's your attention? How's your stamina? How's your emotional well-being? You know, you're transitioning a lot. You're making a lot of grown decisions. Are you happy with those decisions? And it almost should be kind of like a 30-year-old like life check with therapists should be standard on your, like an annual physical kind of a thing because like shit can get overwhelming when you're making decisions and all of a sudden you feel trapped and you're like, did I do the right thing? I'm, I'm not enjoying being an athletic trainer. This sucks. I get no fulfillment. I want to go and be a traveling bartender. I don't know if that's the right call. And like just dealing with that. And if you had a professional to help you like think through it, it's, I would imagine that'd be helpful for everyone. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's really where it got gurgled was the transition from you being the athletic trainer, the Cirque du Soleil to you're going to be a jet tra- trendsetter, a techno bartender. Do you have like a particular, (laughs) do you have a particular like focus or label that you go, like, how do you search up jobs for you? Traveling bartender? Um, (laughs) so, I mean, my go-to label is Jackie of all trades, um, because I literally do it all. Um, but no, it, it literally, I, I look everywhere, whether it's an event that I'm at, I'll make some networking connections there. Usually by the time I'm done working an event, I'll have at least one, if not more, events booked just from people I've talked to at that event. Um, there's Facebook pages where gigs get posted, um, Craigslist ads, you know, any number of apps. And it just kind of is really like how much you want to dig. Um, it's kind of funny to like watch some people post in these Facebook groups of like, oh, hey, anybody know anything about like this weekend or who's stopping this event? It's like, man, if you just like did two more minutes of legwork, you could have all of these answers like right at your fingertips like it's not difficult but you know we forget that common sense isn't common (laughs) (laughs) that's a a good point it's a higher function and skill right i really hope one of the staffers hears this they're gonna get a kick out of that (laughs) i'll leave that be um so how do you what's the decision like in your life when you transition from i would call it like a more formal career to something that's more up and unstable is that too bad of a word to say? Is that insulting? No, I, I think it's it's not insulting at all. I think it's actually a really great word to kind of put things in perspective. Because um, you get a lot of people who transition and think it's going to be this like steady work and a new event every weekend. And 
I mean, if you have multiple staffing companies at your disposal and you know how to work your schedule, yeah, there's there's not really a super slow season. But if you're not careful about things and meticulous about your planning, like you can you can end up really screwed over if you don't know what you're doing. Um, but no, the transition, I mean, I never have worked just one job in my entire life. Um, so even when I was working for Cirque, it was like for the first couple months, I was like, okay, cool, like settled in. And then I was like, I'm only working 50 hours a week. Like, what am I supposed to do with all of this free time? <laughs> Let's get another job. Um, and yeah, no, I think just, I mean, the pandemic put a lot of things into perspective for a lot of people. And I kind of realized that at least with athletic training, I could still do, I mean, not quite as much as I would like to do, but I still do kind of appointment concierge based anymore. So I get to work with exactly who I want to work with. And if I don't want to work with you, I don't have to, which is great. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so it just kind of put into perspective that like, hey, yeah, you got what was essentially your dream job at 25. And just because it was your dream job at 25, it's okay if it's not still your dream job. Yeah, that's... I don't know, not to get all preachy and boomery. I don't know why I keep associating myself with a boomer. I feel like I'm going through a midlife crisis and I'm just trying to cope with it by calling myself old. But it's something that um, we embrace in kids and accept that they go through like 30 careers within the first, I don't know, eight years of their life, right? Like that's all it is, is pretend. And they're super passionate for a fireman. And then they want to be a soldier. And then they want to be a secretary. Then they want to be a chef. And like, something happens when you're 19 and it's like, Hey, you make that decision. And it's right? like, you can't no, change uh, anymore. And it's like, dude, don't feel, I don't feel people should feel boxed in. Like, Hey, I invested no. into this career. I got to stick with it. And it's like, yeah, it's your own mental and emotional peril. <laughs> oh, abs. Oh my goodness. No, that's one that like, I feel like everybody when they finish high school should have to go either spend a season in seasonal retail or a yeah. year in the service industry. Yeah. Easily. And then if they know what they want to do when they go to college, go do that. If not, like work a couple jobs, figure it out. Like this whole idea of funneling people, funneling literal children into higher education and just being like, yeah, make this decision for the rest of your life. Like, no, I was one of the very few, very small percentage of people who knew what I wanted to do from like my sophomore year of high school on actually got into college for that degree and graduated with that degree and went into the field. Like, that's not a thing. Yeah. I was working with a group um, after my junior year. I was a mentor for underclass or freshmen, incoming freshmen at Penn State. And they start this six-week summer session. And the group they gave me that year were engineering students, hmm. which has one of the highest transfer out rate um, at Penn State. And so one of the first things I did when I sat them down, I was like, I think it's fantastic that this is what you all want to pursue what you all want to pursue right now know that I am the exception that I'm going to be graduating with the degree I got into college to graduate with there is nothing wrong if you don't graduate with an engineering degree like just know that like it's okay for that to change and it doesn't make you a bad person it doesn't mean you made the wrong decision yeah it just means you found something else that was more important to you yeah right like you 
I don't know. It's like trying new food. It just sucks that it can cost like 20, 30 grand for you to figure out oh, like engineering, right? Like that, that's where the trap is. It's almost like the, the sliding scale. Cause there's 100 and 200 level courses anyway. Why the fuck am I paying full price compared to a 400 level course? Right? Cause 400 is supposed to be way more specific. It'd be nice if the colleges backloaded tuition for the speciality you know, for the specificity right. of the degree at least. And instead of front loading it, when you're trying to figure it out and just getting the basics, it's, um, it's fucked up. Oh, it is like talk about sunk cost policy. <laughs> <laughs> That's... I'm here. I've spent 75 grand on this degree. So now I have to use it. Yeah. No. And I, I like, I feel like that. I almost wonder if that leads to a lot of like that emotional anger of like, forgive the student debt because people feel trapped in their debt on top of it. They're probably in jobs or fighting in industries that maybe they don't even like, like maybe half of them are just unhappy with what they paid for. And now they're burdened with, and that's gotta be a terrible feeling, (laughs) you know, like that would really suck getting a bill every month to remind you of how much you hate what you paid for and did. Oh, no joke. How, how did you know sophomore year? How'd you get so into like the training aspect? Um, so I was an athlete my entire life growing up. Um, and sophomore year of high school, I actually had shoulder surgery and went through physical therapy, went through rehab and saw how broken the system was. Like I was in there as a D1 college bound volleyball player doing the same exercises as a 65 year old man who had a rotator cuff tear who just wanted to grab a mug off the top shelf. Like something is inherently wrong with that. (laughs) I was was like, no, like I want to go into this and work with athletes. Um, but I don't, I don't want to do it this way with these protocols. Like I want to actually do it the right way and actually get people back to the level of their sport that they want to perform at. That, yeah, that's a great stark contrast. By the way, like sophomore year, you were pegged D1 for volleyball? Or is that a little hyperbolic? Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. I mean, not like top tier D. Like, don't get me wrong. I was a huge Penn State fan. There was no way I was going to be playing volleyball at Penn State. Like, I was not that good. But like mid mid to like smaller, large D1 schools, I had a couple of letters from. Dude, sophomore and year. And people showing up to tournaments. Yeah. I mean, yeah. sophomore year is kind of early for that. You got to pop a little bit. To get attention yeah. sophomore year, I would well, think. Well, like, we'd, we'd pop up to, I mean, I'd do, like, three or four um, camps each summer hosted by different universities, played travel ball on top of high school. So, like, there was a lot of exposure. And a lot of wear on that sol- on your shoulder, apparently. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, nobody, nobody ever taught me to properly engage my core when I served or when I hit. So, you'd have the ball way back behind your head, and I'd just be using my arm. Like, you know, something's got to give. Yeah, right? <laughs> Do I, and you actually real, like you were that aware because sophomore year, you're what, 15, 16. So you're going through this and you're that aware of the older dude reaching for a mug and you not getting what you need. Like that's some mature awareness. Yeah. I mean, it just, it was one of those, I didn't know any better at the time, but just like something in my gut felt wrong. Like, it was like, this, this shouldn't be, I shouldn't be doing the same thing as this guy is doing. And like, shouldn't I be doing stuff that's far more, like, 
with physical therapy, what you get 12 or 16 weeks, depending on your insurance, you go in, you know, one or two times a week, you have your homework and then there's no transition to back to sport. It's just like, okay, you've passed all of our tests for physical therapy, like go back to your sport. And I mean, now there's much more prevalence for athletic trainers at the high school level, at the college level, um, to be that bridge, if not the entire responsibility for that rehabilitation. But like, that wasn't available to me when I was in high school. It was just like, okay, you've passed all our tests. You're cleared. Your insurance has run out. Yeah. So go back and play your sport. And it was like, I, I can't like, it was another six months before I could serve the ball over the net. Oh, wow. That yeah. bad. Yeah. And like looking back, should it have taken that long? Or do you think had you had maybe a more specific tailored rehab, you'd have been feeling better whatever, I think a couple months later? Had I had, had I had a more specific tailored rehab, I wouldn't have had to have the surgery in the first place. Why is that? So I think having the proper strengthening and technique um, and really honing in on that, I would have been able to build up the musculature around my shoulder and incorporating the proper form to avoid surgery in high school. I mean, down the line, you know, probably, but like, I don't think there was any reason for a 15 and a half year old to have a shoulder surgery. Um, and that kind of got solidified when I was working at Cirque of any aerialist gets an MRI of their shoulder, they're gonna have a labral tear. It's just how it is. It's just like almost any dancer, you get an MRI of their hip, there's a labral tear in their hip, whether it's symptomatic or not. Uh, it's there because of what they do. And if you're able to strengthen the muscles around it, make that nervous system feel safe, back to that combo yesterday, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, impart the proper technique through all of that, most of those surgeries can be avoided and still maintain the level of function desired by the athlete even with a tear within. So how would you yeah. have gotten that? It just would have been better like during the camps or personal trainers helping you with technique or do you get what I'm saying? Cause typically the So surgery... that would have been, it, it honestly, it would have been a combination of things. It would have been, um, I mean, on the physical therapy side, you know, a physical therapist who was willing to like step away from that whole health South model of like, here's your protocol for this injury and here's your protocol for that injury. Yeah. It sounds so curriculum like been, based like a yeah. manual standard operating procedure. Yeah. Oh, shoulder tear. Oh, Let me flip yeah. to page one Oh eight. Here's your checklist. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. Sucks. So like, had I, had I been lucky enough to stumble across a physical therapist who didn't subscribe to that. Um, but even just to, you know, have somebody sit down and really analyze my form um, and point out where things were going wrong. But like, Volleyball was still very much exploding at that time. So I was kind of right ahead of like where a lot more interest got paid. Gotcha. Yeah, but I mean, I, it is what it is. Um, and now, I mean, like our, our high school didn't have a strength and conditioning program. And I think that would have, that would have made a massive difference. I mean, shoot, like I didn't get in really into weightlifting until pretty much until I moved out to Las Vegas. Should you that young have been doing some Absolutely. weights? Really? Absolutely. 15? Oh yeah. That young? No, it, yep. No, it helps. I mean, shoot, there, there really isn't too young of an age. Um, when you get into like, you know, the, the sub, like the preteen and younger, you're more looking for just 
letting them move and playing with movement patterns. Um, but even then you can start to incorporate basic loaded movement patterns because there were for the longest time with a lot of, you know, talk about how you're going to, you know, if you're lifting weights at too young an age, it's going to stunt your growth. Like, no, it's actually going to help strengthen your system and put you in a better position down the line. Cause you're increasing bone density. You're increasing nerve recruitment. Um, do you want, you're it? helping hone coordination. And this is interesting. No, because now I'm just thinking out loud. Like I've always heard, and again, middle school basketball coach who's an English teacher, right? So I just know what I hear in conversation. I've never actually studied it. But I've always heard like pre-puberty, you really don't want kids lifting weights because just the basic core strength, their form's going to be jacked up. They're going to focus on the gains and it's hard for them to focus on the form, which is going to lead to injuries and tears, and then, well, so, I mean, no, go ahead. you look at that, you look at that same thing in adults. I mean, shoot, like watch CrossFit. It's all about people getting into CrossFit. Don't check their ego. And it's all about how much they can lift, not how they can lift it. Right. But as long as you're, you know, teaching those proper movement patterns, you teach them unloaded, you progressively load it. And you have somebody who focuses, who teaches them the importance of the proper form and checking their ego at the door. Gotcha. And then it wouldn't be bad. And then the bone density to me goes against, so like if bones are growing, do you want them dense? I don't know if you're that much of a scientist, you, but like out loud, want, I'm thinking. Yeah. Absolutely. You want, you want that strength because that's where it's going to continue to pull in minerals, continue to strengthen, prevent against injury. Hmm. Um, I mean, there's really not, not a negative there because you're just already developing that strength within the bones that structure within the bones so that they're stronger as they go through puberty as they continue to grow hmm. um and then now you've kind of instilled that knowledge of the movement so they're comfortable performing those activities throughout their lifetime and then of course you know once you get like 30s and older like that weightlifting is what's going to keep you from being osteoporotic i mean in addition to nutrition right but like continuing those loaded movement patterns throughout the lifetime is massive. Yeah. I've, I've not, I've only again heard, but like, that's one of the things I think I got into weightlifting and I'm not like a super Jack dude. Um, but I do it primarily cause everybody's like, yo, your bones start to get brittle as hell. And it's almost like astronaut syndrome where you get more sedentary in life and your body just yeah. rots away and something about weights and moving and pushing I don't know if it's just the bones pushing against where they're not normally finding the resistance that makes them more dense. But like in the simple way, I just wrap my mind around it like that. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I should just do a whole body where I'm hitting weights for different aspects, legs, arms, back, chest, core, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, the, the principle, actually kind of the principle you're describing, it's like Wolf's Law or the said principle. So specific adaptation to impose demands depending on what you're doing, your body is going to respond to the demands put on it. Okay. So if you're just sitting around on your ass all day, your body's going to adapt to that. Your posture is going to look gross. Your muscle, you know, your muscle's going to waste away and you're going to adapt to your sitting thing. If you're up and moving around, your cardiovascular system has to adapt. Your nervous system has to adapt. Your musculoskeletal system has to adapt. It all has to figure out how to do what it needs to do so that you can keep doing the thing. Yeah. 
the resilience. People can underestimate the resiliency of the like the body's meant to adapt to environments and respond to change. That's yep. part of what makes you an organism. Man, that's interesting. I actually really like the part of the earlier you start doing stuff, the more it just becomes a part of your life. I think that can be very overlooked. Like it's fun to play team sports to like learn how to cope with losing, how to be competitive, how to work towards a goal. But at least for me and my daughter, like my ultimate goal was like, dude, I want you enjoying being active so that as you continue in life, you continue to be active. Like this is just normal to you. You go and you should do something every day where you sweat a little bit, <laughs> where your heart rate increases. <laughs> like that's a good thing and that's gonna help you in life. Oh, absolutely. Well, that and just like, finally, we're finally starting to see a breakdown of that whole idea of like, oh my goodness, if I'm a girl and I lift, I'm going to get bulky. Like, please, I've been trying to get bulky for years. (laughs) It doesn't have, I mean, like, yes, you have a small percentage of the female population that produces more testosterone and puts on significant dense muscle easily. But like, let's be real. That's not 99% of women. Like I had a client one time who was like, I just don't want to get bulky. And I was like, well, do you consider me bulky? And she was like, I mean, I don't think I want my shoulders as big as yours. And I was like, cool, unless you are trying over the course of years, like it's not going to happen. Like, I don't think you realize like how specifically I have to train and eat and recover to get them here. Like, you're not going to accidentally do that. Makes sense. And like focus for you because of volleyball, you were like blowing up your shoulders or was there another reason? Um, no, that more came, um, yeah, when I moved out to Vegas, I had started racing, um, obstacle course races. And (laughs) so kind of like seeing my body change with that. And then when I had a back injury, um, as I was getting, taking myself through my own rehab and getting back into, um, lifting and movement and finally started to see the changes in my body that like I'd always wanted to. And I was like, oh, wait, this is how I did this. Not like starving myself and doing hours of cardio a day. Um, And then actually kind of stumbled into bodybuilding from there. But more just kind of like, oh, this is how I've always wanted my body to look aesthetically. And now I've finally learned how to make that happen. By just like playing in a jungle gym? (laughs) I mean, that was the... That was the starter, but more just like targeted training for what you want. So, you know, if you want to put on muscle, there's a certain way to lift and certain exercises to focus on. You know, if you're training for obstacle course racing, it's a lot of um, core strength and integration, a lot of hanging. Um, Obviously, the running thing, which sucks. Don't ever do it. Um, Um, but yeah, no, so that, that had kind of started things and then like taking myself through the rehab of just kind of building everything up and seeing those changes and then being like, oh, let's, let's kind of play with it this way. And that's actually making things look how I want to look, even though I didn't go back to racing. So you're not heavy into cardio. Cause, and if people don't check your Instagram, like if they check your Instagram, they're going to be like, yeah, she fucking looks like she does a ton of cardio. Like, I don't know if you technically have the six pack, but like you're, you're abbed, right? It's, it's pretty uncommon body to have. And it's, and you're getting that mostly through non-cardio. So, um, my cardio is essentially, it depends on where I am in my season for competition. So the goals during the off season, um, are to have cardio as low as possible and food as high as possible. 
um, so that you have that met- metabolism revving. Because the higher the higher your caloric intake is before you start a prep for a show, usually that means you don't have to get as disgustingly low on your calories as you get closer to prep because um, you're kind of fighting that metabolic adaptation. Um, Can I just so pause as, you there? Because yeah. that's a very interesting concept is like a lot of people will think, and I, I think I even think this, like if I want to lose weight or get leaner, I want to eat less. And what you're saying is not like you want to gorge yourself, but can you talk a little bit about that? Like revving up your metabolism? Cause from what I took is like, so if I eat more, I'm going to lose weight. (laughs) There we go. Should be good. Do we have, do we have sound? Yeah, man. Now you're still there. Your earbuds had just dropped. It's fine. Um, yeah, so it's probably the easiest, well, probably the most recognizable term people have heard is reverse dieting. So you start from where you're currently at from a consumption standpoint. And the idea is to incrementally bump those calories or those macros while either maintaining the same weight or a very controlled gain. Um, so that you're essentially essentially maintaining where you are, but doing so on more calories. So if you want to get really scientific. Yeah, because that um, doesn't sound right at all, right? Prep, like I'm immediately, have... I'm sorry, but yeah, like it was, it doesn't, for a layman, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. So I'm going to intake more calories, but maintain my weight. So wouldn't I have to increase my output to burn them off? So if you're doing it, if you're doing it slowly and deliberately, no, because your metabolism is going to adjust to like, Hey, Oh, I have all these more calories. So your body's going to use them. Your metabolic rate is going to increase. And then, so essentially it'd be kind of like one of those, like, okay, so we post, so like the easiest way to describe it is like, so post bodybuilding show, you finish dieting down, you get on stage that next week you bump your calories by 10%. And as long as that weight doesn't shoot up the following week, you bump it again. If your weight shoots up, maybe you chill there for another week. What happened for like me in particular was we bumped my calories by 10% and I lost another three pounds. So we were like, okay, we got to bump it again. And are you bumping it with the same exact food? I'm so sorry to cut you off. I don't mean to be rude, but you're fine. So like if you're eating, like if, if your 2000 calorie diet is nothing but chicken breasts, now you just add an extra three ounces of chicken breast. Or are you like also so particular about the different type of calorie? Like, oh my God, I'm giving my body five, 500 chicken, 600 vegetables. So now I'm going to add 300 of saturated fat or am I just really stupid for so, thinking that way? No, no, no. Uh, I... I'm not quite as focused on the like exact calories. Like I have set macros that I hit. Um, And so usually that bump is primarily carbohydrates. Um, And then there'll also be like smaller bumps in either proteins or fats as well. Usually protein stays pretty consistent as we diet down and diet back up because you obviously want to have that, that protein to feed the muscles. 
um, the carbs and the fat are what get manipulated the most. Gotcha. Okay. I guess that, that makes sense. I'm sorry. That's why I shouldn't have cut you off because you were flowing and then I asked a question. No, you're totally question. fine. Um, so you're yeah, adding I mean, carbs? That's, that's, basically the, that's basically the kind of reverse out is you start to, you know, bring calories up, bring cardio down and monitor where, where the weight, where measurements are so that you're not putting on too much body fat too fast. Because obviously coming out of what is literally starvation mode, um, your body wants to put on body fat immediately. So it's kind of fighting that process to then get back up to maintenance calories. So like the number of calories you eat every day to maintain where you're at. Um, and then from there, you'll start to see changes of like, oh, we're losing again on these maintenance calories. Guess we need to bump them up because now we've repaired the metabolism and gotten that metabolic rate increased. So like if you want to get really nerdy, ideally before you start a prep, you want to have your metabolic rate above 15, ideally closer to 20. So whatever your weight is, times that by 15 to 20, and that should be how many calories you're eating a day before you start prep. To be a bodybuilder or just general healthy lifestyle? That, I mean, for that, like, I mean, general, shoot, if, you, if you're a general healthy lifestyle and you're doing 20 times your body weight and calories and maintaining, awesome. Like you've got your met metabolism in phenomenal shape. Um, that's just kind of like the guideline that some of the more savvy coaches use because um, it gives you kind of a quantitative number of like, okay, here's where we have to be to safely start prep and not have you eating like 900 calories doing two hours of cardio a day for the last three weeks of prep. Okay. So this is, so I'm a buck 70, which I'm 5'10", a buck 70. And if I eat 20 times my weight in calories, that's 3,400 calories a day. Yep. So I should want to consume 3,400 a day and I should start, and I jog 65 miles a month, basically. Like I enjoy a little four mile jog. I'm not a super pace guy. I'm just, if I listen to a podcast, I go slower from listening to hip hop. I just naturally go quicker. I'm not like obsessive about eight minute mile. Gotta keep it up, you know, like whatever. Um, so I just want to run less and see if I can eat 3,400 calories and I might actually lean up. I mean, not so like if running is something you enjoy, like I, if, if somebody does something they enjoy, I don't, I don't change their. I'd enjoy being um, the 40 year old with a six pack at the beach that I've never had. But right. I like and so <laughs> that would be one of those like, Hey, you enjoy, like if you enjoy the jogging by all means stick with it. Just add in like the biggest changes for body composition are mostly going to be obviously in the kitchen and then making sure you're lifting with a targeted program. Because obviously as you lift, you're going to put more muscle on. If you're maintaining a weight, but putting on more muscle, your body fat's going to drop. Because muscle weighs more than fat, which I think so you learn in health class typically, close. right? So close. So it's actually muscle is denser than fat. Right. I'm a sorry. pound of muscle weighs as much as a pound of fat. Yes. It's just like a pound of feathers versus a pound of pennies. Right. But the space that it takes up, um, for a pound of muscle, you're looking at what it what was it like a tennis ball or an orange, versus like a pound of fat. I, I think it was a grapefruit. Dude, but I... like you can see them, and it's like almost three times the de three times the density. 
Yeah, I thought I saw a blonde. less density for fat versus muscle. Yeah, like volume, right? It's just ultimately volume. I, I want to say a five-pound yep. block of fat was like the size of a fucking cinder block. And you're like, yeah. oh my God. When you like see just visuals of that, you're like, there's my dad bod right there. Oh, <laughs> well, no. And it's like, I'll have people who are like, what are you, like a buck 35? And I'm like, that's cute. I'll be a buck 35 when I'm on stage. <laughs> like right now I'm chilling out right around 150 and people are like, there's no way. I'm like, stand next to me when I hop on the scale tomorrow morning. I'm like that's exactly where I am. And it's just that dense muscle without yep. a ton of cardio because you have targeted yep. weightlifting that you do. Yeah. Yeah. Targeted weightlifting. And the biggest thing too is um, even in the off season, I have a step goal. So I have a minimum step goal each day of 10,000 steps, which essentially comes down to keeping your um, kind of baseline metabolic rate up. So you figure 10,000 steps is not difficult to achieve, but it's not something that you're going to do without thinking about it. Yeah, It's just enough steps that you have to like be up and moving around consistently throughout the day so that it's going to keep your metabolic rate up throughout the day. Yeah. And how do you determine a metabolic rate? Is it simply the calorie maintaining a weight thing or is it like something to do with your heart rate? Um, so it depends on like how nerdy you want to get into it. Um, I mean, you can do it from like, I want to say from like your resting heart rate and cal. like there's a whole bunch of different equations for it. Or you can like go super nerdy and like go into the lab and have them like strap you up with everything and get like your exact metabolic rates. Um, but like for the most part, you can get a pretty solid idea of it by tracking what you're putting in your body for like a week. And if your weight doesn't change, like there you go. You have how many calories you naturally burn a day. Gotcha. Yeah. And would the calories matter? Like I know if I'm straight up, if I get 30, so again, for my basic example, if I get 3,400 calories, I can just eat 10 chocolate chip cookies a day. And that's my 3,400 and it won't matter versus 12 salads with quinoa and spinach. I mean, to an extent it's calories in calories out. Um, but when you really get into it, like for your body to function healthily and get what it needs, like as delicious as those 10 chocolate chip cookies are, they're not going to give you what your body needs. Yeah. Right. So you're probably not going to hit your steps. You're probably not going to have the energy to actually do the right shit. You're just going right. to burn it up. What about like liquid? This is funny. I did not think um, we'd be getting this body geeky, but it's interesting. Because um, <laughs> like you fucking clearly have some knowledge and you get results. Um, what about liquid versus solids? Like the whole protein shake thing for calories versus I'm eating solids for calories. Is there a huge difference there? There really isn't. Um, it's just one of the things to be conscious of. So like when I, when my calories get lower, I tend to avoid liquid calories because I try to eat things that like I have to eat a lot of to get the calories so that it fills my stomach up. <laughs> um, but like when I'm in the height of my off season and like trying to guzzle down 400 grams of carbs a day, like you better believe I'm freaking doing liquid calories. Cause like I can't fathom eating 400 grams of carbohydrates a day. Gotcha. And again, you're doing that so that your body's metabolism revs up expecting those carbohydrates. Yeah. And then when you cut them, you attack the fat that's throughout your body because it's looking for them. 
later on yeah. when you don't give it to them. Yeah, that's almost like, um, isn't that the point of the keto diet where basically you starve yourself from certain things and your body starts breaking stuff down after a couple weeks? Um, was that a trigger word? You made the worst face as soon as I said keto. Is that just something like South Beach and paleo where it's just a sales pitch and somebody made money off of it? So keto has its place. Um, it was originally designed for patients with epilepsy. And when done properly, is good for brain health, can be helpful with type 2 diabetics. Um, but it's so freaking bastardized. Like, congratulations. You just had a double cheeseburger with extra bacon on it. Yeah, you had zero carb. I mean, not even zero carbs today. But like when you actually tease it out, like keto also has protein restrictions because if you eat above moderate protein, those extra proteins get processed. This is very, very simplified. Those extra proteins get processed as carbohydrates in the body, what's, which kicks you out of ketosis if you eat too much protein. What's above um, a moderate protein? Is that a particular type of protein or is that when you hit or consume no, too it's, much? It's, the, it's essentially your protein intake. So I forget where the threshold is, but there is a threshold of like after that point, um, again, very simplified. Um, your body starts breaking it down as carbohydrates. Okay. So, so your it body, kicks you out of ketosis. It treats, I mean, if you're doing properly and focusing on, you know, omega-3s and, you know, looking at more like plant-based fats, nuts, like things like that, like not that you can't have meat on keto, but like if you really want to do, if you're really doing it properly, it's a much different diet than most people think it is. Gotcha. Yeah, right? Because it's just the, yeah, cut carbs, lose a bunch of weight. And then um, right. you feel good about yourself. And then it seems like nobody lives that way. It's like almost like a 24 hour or like a 48 hour fast where they're drinking like cayenne pepper and honey water for like four days right. and you lose 30 pounds oh, and it's like, oh my God, I'm back to my high school weight. And it's like, yeah, you're going to live like that for the next 40 years of your life. Right. Probably not. Oh, the girls are like, oh my God, I'm on this juice cleanse. And I'm like, no. <laughs> Cool. So you're going to lose 15 pounds by the end of this week and gain it all back by Monday. Awesome. Have fun with that. It just seems like that's the worst. Like your body wouldn't know what I, I know you're supposed to kind of keep your body guessing. Cause I guess that makes your systems like fire and react, but it also seems it's so dramatic that it has to fuck something like shock. Like it seems like emergency drama in your body versus <laughs> exactly. problem solve, figure out this, I'm not in danger. I'm not about to die, but something's going on. Right. Fixing. No, I mean, you think about it like with our nervous system conversation yesterday, like if you're consistently shocking and changing things up on your body, your nervous system doesn't know what to do. So it's going to increase cortisol levels. Your stress is going to go up. Other systems in your body are going to get thrown out of balance. I mean, that's why you see so many people in the bodybuilding world with massive metabolic disorders and massive hormonal disorders because their body doesn't know what's being done to it. Like, yeah, switch it up from time to time. Obviously, when you try a new diet, like, A, you're usually super adherent for, you know, the first week, maybe first two weeks if you're awesome. Yeah. Um, and so you see those results and then you kind of lax up on it a little bit. But, like, there's something to be said for consistency. Like, yeah, it was super boring. I'm one of those people who, like, when it gets into prep, I just don't want to think about food. So I make like the same thing for seven days straight and just put it on in the fridge so I can grab and go. And like, yeah, it's boring, but like it works. 
Like as long as you're consistent with something, that consistency is going to give you some level of results, whether it's the results you want or it's at least going to give you data points for like, okay, this did or didn't work, yeah. but I have this consistent pool of data. It's a baseline, right? Yeah. Hey, we've established a baseline. I know I react this way. If I have double cheeseburgers every day and nothing else, one meal a day, now I'm going to try that for a month. What happens? Right. And then you can add variables. It's um, like, almost like, it's funny how, um, it, it's the biggest thing I've known with traveling that sucks when I travel and I don't travel a 10th of the time as much as you do apparently, but maintaining <laughs> the active, healthy lifestyle and eating well, especially if I'm fucking on a road trip, man, like road trips. Why, like how come I'm hungry if all I'm doing is sitting and driving and why do I want nothing but like pastries and like stupid snacks as I drive? Because you're bored. So that's one. I had somebody make me do a food journal. Well, not make me. I was working with her to address a lot of the unhealthy relationships I had with food. And one of the things was anytime I wanted to grab food, I had to write why I wanted to grab it, what I wanted to grab, how I wanted to feel after I finished eating it. (laughs) And then if I did choose to eat it, how I felt. And so it brought that awareness to why I was or wasn't putting something in my mouth. And that was a game changer for like how much I didn't think like emotional or stress or boredom. It was like, oh yeah, I'm bored. Something salty sounds great. And I was like, does it really? Or do you actually just need a couple glasses of water? Um, I mean, for traveling, it definitely is a choice to maintain the lifestyle on the road. Um, I sort of have some of it forced upon me because I have celiac. So I have to eat a very specific way. Gotcha. Um, so a lot of times that means preparing my food and bringing it with me because there aren't safe options for me when I'm traveling. Um, so that kind of, as much as it is to my disadvantage convenience wise, is to my advantage for maintaining things on the road. God, another fucking thing on your checklist to organize. <laughs> Like you, (laughs) like I'm just thinking of like the next line down, the next line down, and like the anxiety of like, do I have everything that can build up? It's um, God, that is real. So as a bartender, and this is kind of curious too, and a healthy lifestyle person, I really feel like I'm gonna have to give up drinking if I want to maintain my weight. Either I'm a raging alcoholic that's gonna accept his dad bod. Or I'm not doing something right to like balance off my drinking. So I'm like, enjoy the red wine kind of guy. And I'm like, I feel like that's going to be way too much sugar in my life. Do I need to start being like vodka soda guy? Um, Can you talk about like just balancing drinking? It's no, I, you absolutely can balance it. I mean, really the only time, I mean, I granted have, pretty much all but stopped drinking completely. Like I'll have maybe three drinks a year. Oh, wow. Um, that's by choice. Um, but no, I mean, it's an everything in moderation type thing. I mean, the slippery slope you run into with drinking, um, especially cause it's usually a social activity is you're like, Oh, I'm just going to have one beer when I go out. And one usually turns into four or five. Right. And then those four or five beers also means that you're going to snack a slice of pizza on the way home probably come home and pop open that bag of chips and then go to bed. So it's not that that single beer 
is what pushed it over the edge or that single beer is what's, you know, keeping you from your ideal physique. It's kind of that domino effect from it. Yeah, that makes sense. It's funny how like the, like pot gets such a bad rep for like, it's going to fuck your diet up. And I think like people who drink because you're out so late and your sleep schedule gets so fucked up and you wake up and you're just dragging and you just want to get relief. So you wind up, I don't know. I don't know if you like look for sugar along with the caffeine or what, but it's like drinking might be worse for a dietary standpoint than like the typical stoner who just is eating raw cookie dough. Like, I don't know if that's accurate. Oh no. There's so much like, when I, cause essentially like during the pandemic, I cut back on my drinking. So I was like, I mean, I can make a fantastic drink at home, but I just don't feel like it. So you were um, the one then, person in America who drank less during the pandemic. I know, right. <laughs> um, but then like when things started to open back up and we went to one of my favorite speakeasies and like the next three days, I felt the difference in my training at the gym. Mm-hmm. And so I started really poking into it and it's fascinating just like, how many of your systems alcohol affects, how long it can affect things in your system. And it was just like, fuck, man. I mean, this isn't worth it. Mm. Plus, there's other shit out there that gets me feeling better that, you know, doesn't come with galleries. <laughs> <laughs> Care to share any of those? Or is that a terrible I, thing to ask? I am a very experienced and enthusiastic psychonaut. Psychonaut? I like my psychedelics. Gotcha. Wait, so is that a term? Cause again, like I'm, I'm like, it's like when I'm around the 14 year old kids and they're like, whatever, I think it was like two years ago, they were like fleek came in and you're like the old dude that's like, Oh yeah, that's fleek. And it's like, stop it. So like a psychonaut, I'm like psychedelics and astronaut where you go and explore. Is that like an actual term thing or am I just Pretty, overanalyzing? Yeah, I, I don't know the exact history of the word, but yeah, just kind of that idea of like exploring, but also, you know, the fact that depending on the psychedelic kind of takes you up into space, if you will. Yeah. So just kind of a funny word for all of that. But it was one that when I heard it the first time, I was like, oh, this resonates with me a lot. I like it. It's a dope ass term because everybody, yeah. like the psychedelic stories I hear, especially around like, ayahuasca i didn't even know about this ayahuasca thing till i started the podcast and motherfuckers are like taking trips to peru with their boys and going on these exploratory journeys and like puking their guts out talk about losing weight he was like dude i lost 10 pounds i'm just like tweaking <laughs> on ayahuasca puking my guts out the first night and then it's like the best ever but it for everyone that's done it it's like you do you go to this other realm where you're literally in out you're in a some sort of space and you're exploring no, and I mean, there's there's obviously, like, ways to use it recreationally, and I absolutely do use them recreationally, um, but they're also fantastic tools for kind of introspection and working through things, and I think that's one where, like, not everybody who uses them pokes around at that, but I really enjoy taking them and really kind of poking through either things that I need to work through in life or, like, roadblocks that are holding me. Like, I'll sit there and poke at it and be like, all right, you know. Like, what's going on with this? Why am I thinking this way? Because it just, it opens up certain pathways in your brain that aren't necessarily accessible to you at the time. And those pathways remain open when the trip's done. Yeah. Um, I think it was, I was actually jogging today and listening to um, a Jordan Peterson lecture from like 2015. Talk about fucking cool, man. Like the dude just literally recorded himself in a college. Get Like people are paying for this information. He just posted for free. 
but he was talking about in 2015 how um, soldiers, there was a new study where they were trying to use psychedelics for soldiers who were dealing with, it might've been like they lacked openness and the experience to try things and they were very like closed off for new experiences because of trauma. Psychedelics, and then a year later, the openness and exploration is still occurring within them. So basically it was like, it stays. It's not a one-time thing where you're like, oh, I feel good for the moment. And now I need it again and again and again to keep me feeling that, like chase the dragon type shit. It's like, no, dude, you discover this pathway and something happens in a neuron and like, that's your pathway. Yep. No, and there's, there's been a lot of research coming out about like microdosing mushrooms, psilocybin for PTSD, especially in the military community. Um, and it's been, the, I have a number of friends who are kind of in some of the trials for that. I have friends who have microdosed it for depression, like fantastic tool. And again, something, just another thing that's plant-based. Yeah. Um, but so many of these, so many of these drugs that are just like, there's no use for acid. There's no use for psilocybin. It's like, no, you just haven't been open to finding the use for it. Yeah. Or gone through the hassle of figuring out a clinical trial. Cause you want to yeah. hide behind, like it's not safe for people, but right. I mean, what is safe for people when it's in a clinical trial, <laughs> that kind of the point, oh. like let, let them know about the risks and then let an informed person make a decision. Right. I'm um, just like, shoot, Johns Hopkins, sign me up. Like I want to take acid every <laughs> other four months. Right. Like I'll sign up for that. <laughs> that's worth checking in on a zoom here and there to tell you about it. <laughs> take my right. vitals. How did you, um, come to that point in your life? Was there any like sort of stigma? Cause I guess in my head, what I'm thinking is if typical healthy athlete on a D one track, it's like, here's drugs. Here's your brain on drugs. Like the poster child of don't do drugs gets beaten into these athletes. Right. And I'm curious how then you morph into being open enough to talk about it and accepting of its benefits. So I was a nerd in elementary school and they do like the, you know, here's all the different things, like here's all the different things about each drug and what they're going to do to your body. Um, and I was a nerd about learning about all of that, but like they sit there and beat into you like, oh yeah, like if you accidentally try LSD, like 20 years down the line, you're going to like re-trip and have this crazy experience. And so it was so demonized that, that like it wasn't even on my radar. Um, and it's kind of funny, like, having dabbled with as much as I have dabbled with now, I'm actually kind of like impressed that I made it to 28 without trying anything, but like weed, alcohol and Coke once. <laughs> um, like, I don't know how I, how I managed that, but I did. Um, Cause you're too busy but, working, man. <laughs> well, it's just, like, nothing, ever, nothing else ever like popped up. I mean, granted there's like the only time I'm ever going to try heroin in my life's in my life is like when I'm literally going to die. Like, all right, let's see what this is all about and done. Bye. Um, no desire to <laughs> That's how we fade to black. <laughs> right. Like, oh, I die in 15 minutes. Cool. Let's check this out. Shoot. Um, but no, I was talking with um, actually this guy that I was seeing and he was like, no, like I have some tabs if you want to check it out. And so he cut some up to me into like little micro doses and then also gave me a full tab. Um, and being kind of like the cautious, you know, tester of things, I was like, all right, like sat at home and I like tried one little micro. I was like, okay, this isn't so bad. 
Um, but the thing with psychedelics is like, you can't just like dose up and like incrementally increase it. Like at some point you would hit that threshold of like, this is a microdose and this is a trip dose. And like, there's not, unlike with other substances, there's not necessarily like a, Oh, I just want to get a little more high. Like, all right, you're either going to commit to this trip or you're not like pony up and make the decision. Oh, that's interesting. Um, so you, you didn't find it as like a fade. You find it as stairs. To an extent, like you get stairs for a little bit and then there's like a massive leap. Like <laughs> then it's a here's the micro, mountain. here's like a strong micro. And now you are committed to tripping. Um, <laughs> not like a really great way to like, very carefully tighter up to that. Like at some point you just have to have faith and make the leap. Um, and so I'd gotten comfortable enough with the microwave that I was like, all right, you know, let's check out this trip thing. I can do it in my own home, you know, have some low key happy movies on, um, and like check it out. And I made sure, cause like you hear about all these people having these bad trips and I have my own theories on what bad trips actually are. Um, but I just was like, I'm going to be super open and receptive to whatever happens. And so I've never, never had a bad trip. I've had very emotional trips. I've had trips that were very difficult to work through. But in now five years of doing psychedelics, I can confidently say I've never had a bad trip. And I think it's, I think a lot of that is just going in, into the experience, knowing that being aware of that there are things on your mind and being open to like what, what's, what needs to happen is going to happen. And that's not mine to control. Do you forget about reality? Like, do you get lost in the trip or, you know, cause I'm like thinking of a dream state where it's yeah. like, fuck man, I'm dreaming. Like it can stop. And then Freddy Krueger goes away and you're like, I actually, so that's what I'm wondering. So it definitely like, depending on the dosage and depending on like where I'm at, that reality can definitely be left. Um, like there was probably like the one that sticks out, um, back in November, um, I was working through some stuff with my ex partner and I was just stuck. Like for a week straight, I was sitting there, I was journaling. I just couldn't process any of it. So I was like, you know what? Screw it. I told some friends who were staying with me at the time. I was like, look, I'm going to do a massive dose of mushrooms. So it's jokingly called like a hero dose is like a large, large dose. Um, So like, for example, if I want to take a trip dose of, you're going to love this one. So there's a strain of of mushrooms, psilocybin called penis envy, and it's known for very potent. So like you could trip on one to one and a half grams and have that be a really great trip. Um, So like a hero dose would be, you know, three to four times that. And so I told them, I was like, look, like, I'm going to do this hero dose. All I need, I was like, I don't want you guys to talk to me. I don't want to be interacted with unless I like interact with you. Um, but I need you like 90 minutes to two hours into the trip. Just stick your head into whatever room I'm in and breathing. Cause like genuinely my only concern about like doing that big of a dose. Cause I'd never done anywhere close to that dose. My just concern was like, I just want to make sure that I'm going to, you know, live through this experience. Right. Um, but like, other than that, I was like, no, like whatever I encounter in this, I need to work through on my own. Um, so it's like, yeah, like, don't say anything to me. Like, don't touch me. Just like, make sure I'm still alive. And that was enough to take that little bit of anxiety out of my head for the trip because uh, I'm like, okay, cool. I'm not going to die. 
Yeah, dude, that's um, interesting. Because like subconsciously, you would think that shit would like the fear would resonate with you as you're exploring where your mind ever goes. Exactly. Well, and like, and that's why I took the fear out of it. Yeah. I was like, this is my one thing that I'm concerned about that I could see spiraling me. So I'm going to take this out. Makes sense. Um, and I ended up doing just short of seven grams of penis envy because I just like had my bag and I dumped it out onto the scale and I was like, let's see how much I have. I was like, oh, this looks cool. Let's scoop it all into my mouth. Um, and I definitely, I didn't try to hold on to reality. So I don't know if like I could have, but like I full send, like if you've ever heard of like astral projecting, like I was having face-to-face conversations with people around the world who like I spoke to later that day or the next day who were like, I had this daydream or like, I felt like I was having this conversation with you. And I'd be like, well, tell me about the conversation. And it was the exact conversation we had. Stop dude. Yeah. Like just the connectedness was unreal. That is um, but so amazing experience. I highly, highly recommend it. I mean, I don't recommend it like every time you do a trip, but like if you need to work through some shit, like it was, and I don't even at like, I went in with the intention of working through, but I didn't ever like put a specific, like, all oh, right, focus on this and fix this. Like I really just completely surrendered to the experience and like came out of it and knew what I had to do. And just, grabbed your keys and you were like, I'm out motherfucker. Never going to see you again. (laughs) (laughs) No, actually I texted him as like the trip was winding down and I was like, Hey, um, I'm open to talking if you are and pull on more substances. Um, he was like, I'm open to talking as well, but only if we do, um, some MDMA or MDA, which like recreationally I thought of as like party drugs because they increase, you know, your connectedness, your empathy, Um, with other people, but they're also used therapeutically because they separate the part in your brain that connects your memory to the trauma. So you can have conversation about traumatic experiences without emotionally and physically reliving that trauma. So highly valuable in therapy. Um, Dude, imagine that ability to not get triggered and just actually talk talk through talk and and they're starting to do more and more MDMA and MDA guided therapy. Um, and it has phenomenal results because of that, because you can talk through these things that like are very traumatic to you without re-experiencing the trauma. Dude. So Um, like, what would be the better way to get divorced? Hire like two lawyers or just pop a couple pills and like separate the estate. Imagine if take like what, 30 minutes, you would just like pragmatically like, you know what? It actually does make sense that you get the home. And you're like, right? you know, I agree. Cool. Next. Oh my God. <laughs> like, like, shoot, like just pop it into the water at like any couple's therapy thing and like right? watch what happens. I had not heard um, that. Like it, that, that's yeah. almost like talk about a euphoric state where you could actually probably like save relationships that should be saved. If you could get through the emotion of like just the, the hurt. And well, not only get to the save, save the ones that can be saved, but also like the ones that aren't meant to be saved, leave on a much more amicable yeah. note. No, yeah, yeah, exactly. I guess that's what I meant. Like all around. Um, but yeah, so then we like had fantastic conversation, like let it kind of like had some tea, let the, you know, drugs kind of kick in and had some fantastic conversations. I mean, ultimately the, the relationship ended up not working out for 
other reasons, but like that experience was phenomenal. Yeah. So moral of the story is become a traveling bartender to get access to the best knowledge and psychedelics. What's well, the, I was, what I had, I had access that before I started bartending. So then what like keyword do I and maybe other people need to like search through on Craigslist to find this guy? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, no, honestly, like, so for like the research on the side of it, I mean, like as cheesy as it sounds, like Reddit is great to poke around. Um, there's like an arrow, airwoids, um, and a psychonaut wiki. Um, but like some have trip reports, they have like information on drug interactions um, and just like kind of kind of beefing up knowledge through there. And I mean, that's kind of as bad as it sounds like when I want to check drug interactions, I'll usually like type it in on Reddit. Be like, did anybody die from this? No. Cool. Seems safe to try. Again, everybody has dis- different risk profiles. I, I have like looked into all the different substances. So I have my risk profile. Um, but like, Making sure people didn't die is usually a good start. Just a basic, just a basic search. Maybe click to the second page to make sure it's like two. (laughs) Okay, nobody died and I'm going to underdose because you can always take more. You can't take less. Yeah, right. And like, so that's the, that's where I get lost into the, maybe and that's why drinking becomes my go-to. Because I know, hey man, I can have three beers on a Sunday night. And I'm not a reeking pile of shit the next morning and I can be around kids, you know, and I can function. I can still wake up and I'm happy. My eyes aren't bloodshot. You know, I can make it through the day with good energy, but I don't know what that means if I were to whatever, like take gravity bong hits or just smoke like joints or even if I or vaped or even know the difference between whatever the type of pot I would be able to get my hands on. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's oh, yeah. where I get so overwhelmed where I'm like, fuck it, man. I'm just going to grab a bottle of wine. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, like teasing out everything with like THC and all the different terpenes and like, oh, my God. It's like, holy fuck. Yeah. So I couldn't imagine trying to go down that to figure out my psychedelic palette of what I'm comfortable with. Like, so I feel like psychedelics are a lot simpler. I mean, yes, you have different strains and different manufacturers and all this, that, and the other, but it feels a lot, it's felt a lot more simple to me and a lot less overwhelming. Um, like my biggest thing is like knowing the duration. So like the nice part about shrooms is like, you're looking at, you know, four hours on the short end, seven hours on the longest. Usually it's about four to six hours. Um, acid is a time commitment, like (laughs) between 12 and 16 hours. Like you got to know, like, you're going to be in it for a while. It's not going to be like super intense the entire time, but you're going to feel something for that duration, which is why a lot of people don't like it because it is a time commitment. Um, But like just knowing like how long your substance lasts and like how long, how you're going to feel afterwards. Like I know that I can take mushrooms and I'm going to have that afterglow for at least 48 hours. Like it's just going to be like (laughs) a good, happy, settled contentment. Um, I also kind of have different, Like I've taken both recreationally and both therapeutically for me. um, I tend to lean towards acid recreationally just because I feel like I have complete control of my trip. Now, granted, if I like bumped up and did a bigger dose, that would take away the control, but I feel like 
if I'm on like a standard dose, I can talk myself out of a bad place if I need to. I can trip sit for somebody if I need to. Um, whereas mushrooms for me are something that I surrender a bit of control to. And I don't feel as in control of what's going on sometimes, which can be uncomfortable if you try to fight it. Um, that, but if you're open to surrendering to it, can be awesome. I, I, you, I, I don't want to, I don't know, it, like the number matters. I want to say it's like five or six different people from different places around the country. And that's the one piece of advice that is like, everyone talks about is the more you fight and try to control a trip, the worse it's the worst thing it's going to be. Like if a door appears, it appeared for a reason you got to walk through. Like if that's the urge yep. you're saying walk through and they're like, no, I'm going to die. It's a trap. Like right away you're fucked. And the rest of the yep. trip, you're just, spir I guess that was you say like spiraling is yeah. you're just out of control. Yeah. Cause there was like one of probably the second acid trip I did we like walked up to this park and it was shortly after I'd broken up with my ex fiance and I like had this urge to cry. And I was like, I'm not going to fucking cry on my acid trip. Like what a waste. <laughs> then like it came back and I was like, no, stop. And then I'm laying in the sunshine and my body's like, you're going to cry now. And I was like, all right, maybe I'll cry now. Cause it's clearly not going to go away. <laughs> and it was just the most cathartic release of my life. Like best cry ever. 10 out of 10 recommend crying on psychedelics. Like it's where it's at. You need to let go of something. Mm. Yes. <laughs> that's hilarious. It, dude, that's, I, I've never heard anybody be like, I cried. I've heard about a dude who like just got lost in the woods and woke up. But the crying's interesting. Cause I wonder how much when you're in the state of awareness, like your body needs, like, why do we, when we feel pain, why do we want to scream? Right? Like, right. When, when we feel laugh when we feel humor why do we want to laugh right like there's this intake outtake balance somehow and you wonder if you're if you want to cry if you don't actually let your body get all the cry out for whatever reason because you're aware of like being self-conscious to somebody or like oh my god i have the worst crying face in the world or i'm being whatever it is like if you can you lose it while you're crying <laughs> <laughs> that's a good i like it and I'm like, no, that was such a good cry. I want to keep crying. And I'm like, well, that moment's gone. <laughs> is that what happened to you? It's happened to me multiple times. Like there have been times I'm like, this is a really good cry. I want to keep it going. And then I get distracted by something. And I'm like, I can't make myself cry again, but there's more that needed to come out. Oh, that's, dude, that's kind of funny. <laughs> Are, were you ever skeptical of like quality control? I guess that's the other thing that messes with me too. Is like, I know if I get a bottle of wine from the liquor store, like, it's a bottle of wine. I'm not going right. to, I don't have to worry. But for right. me, like, hey, here's a sheet of paper. Hey, here's a gel tab. Hey, here's some fungus. Hopefully it doesn't kill you. Like, were yeah. you naturally good with that? Or did that take you a while to just trust? I mean, so the mushrooms I really wasn't worried about because like, you pretty much know what you're getting. Um, with like acid, you have to be a little more careful. And that's like finding manufacturers that like, like, that's where the networking comes in, like a source that you can trust and you pass it along. There are test kits for different things um, for anything, like for like my MDA and my MDA and anything that gets inhaled. I always test it, especially with like the prevalence of fentanyl now. Like, it's just not people will be like, oh, I had to waste like this much of my stash to test. And I'm like, cool. But like, wouldn't you rather be alive to do your drugs? Like, 
it's that like small portion of your stash really so important to you that like that... is is that small portion of your stash more important than your life wait that that's something i never even considered and not heard of so there's like covid test kits but there's test kits for fentanyl where if you get yeah, drugs you can... so there's like a different there's like specific ways to test um like you can test for just like what substances are present um like one of my sources actually just like sent out a message that was like look a lot of you have been asking me for cocaine <laughs> why i don't deal it and sent a picture of what was supposed to be pure cocaine and there was caffeine ketamine cocaine meth and a little bit of mdma in it he's like this is why i don't deal it like you're not getting what you're paying for like you're getting the conglomerate of shit um and so you have different like you have kits that test specifically for like certain substances there's like a way to test, you know, you make this solution to test for fentanyl um, so, because you, for fentanyl, it's such a small amount is a lethal dose. Like it's a very specific formula to test for. Is it like um, testing chlorine in a pool kit or are you like that? That's where I'm similar. similar. So like different things, like depending on the test kit, it might be like, oh, if this is present, you know, it's going to turn red. If this is present, it's going to turn blue. You're pretty similar to testing a pool. Yeah. No shit. And like, Back to do, high school. Right? And like, so if you order a test kit, do the cops automatically come to your door? Are these test kits legal or you got to like know somebody? Um, I'm pretty, I mean, they're pretty easy to get. And there's like organizations out there that will test your stuff for you as well. Stop, dude. Yeah, dancesafe.org is one of the big ones. Like you got to have a dancesafe.org or you mail them part of your stash. So... It depends. I've only ever like tested stuff at their, like when they've had a booth set up. Gotcha. Um, and they will like test it. Um, I mean, for the most part, like, yeah, like cops for the most part, aren't looking for the end user. Like there's no advantage in busting somebody for doing drugs. Like, unless you're going to get dealer contact info, like they're looking for the person who's distributing or the supplier for the distributor. Like, yeah, a little guy here and there is going to get nabbed, but, like, that's not the focus. It's the person who's moving massive quantities of substances on a regular basis. The, I say this, now the cops are going to show up at my house. Right. They're already <laughs> listening. They're on their way. Um, what's um, interesting to me is if this testing is available and, like, celebrities and people with means die... That seems so weird to me. But then again, like I'm looking at it, like almost like if you're having unprotected sex, like you're just in the moment and you don't put a condom on and it's like, oh, that was my accident. And instead of whatever, an STD or a kid, it's my life. And I guess that would be like similar, like, oh yeah, I had the means to get it tested. Didn't want to take the time or I trusted this person, thought they were cool, but they are not but clean. Somebody pulls out a baggie of Coke and you're like, oh, I'm in this VVIP and everybody in here are like famous millionaires. Like, it must be, you know, the Coke must be safe. Yeah. Like, it's very much why, like, I won't do random people's drugs. I mean, it's like, shoot, like, we were just out at a desert rave. And this guy came up and, like, offered me a bump. And I was like, nothing about your personality says I want to take drugs from you. 
not at all. Like, not at all. Uh-uh. Can we not be... Like, I, you can be mean if you want to, but I'm super curious. A personality profile. Who are you swiping right on that you will take drugs from? And who are you swiping left on that you will not? I mean, it's, it's honestly, like, it's all about, like, someone's energy and vibes. Like, yeah. if you come across as sketchy, obviously not. Um, but, like, if you come across, like... I don't know that like there's a set criteria. It just like I'm very sensitive to people's energy. Okay. And if like I get any hint there that like uh like I mean there was the previous iteration of this desert rave. There was definitely a group that like I don't know that I necessarily like would have taken drugs from, but like at one point they offered and I just watched them like doing their own. So I was like, okay, clearly it's not laced with fentanyl. So my <laughs> odds here, after watching four of them do it and not die. The odds are in my favor that I'm not going to die, <laughs> which again is a little outside of my risk profile. Not something I recommend doing, but I'm here to talk about it. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean like that's kind of the, whatever. It's like the old school movie where you feel someone's going to poison you. So like you have them take a sip of the wine or like you watch when right. they pour and if they pour it for themselves and they take a sip first, you know, like the actor will hold the glass at their mouth and wait to swallow. Like it, well, it makes sense. Like, okay, they trust it. I'll trust it. Yeah. Can I go back just to help me understand? Cause I'm a little bit of a metrics guy and I know nothing about purchasing and purchase price, but like percentage wise, how, what percent of your cost has to go into the testing? Um, like what percent are you actually losing? Minimal. I mean, because I also buy in bulk. You go to Sam's both. Club. <laughs> I buy most of what I get in bulk because usually I get a discount. Um, not, I don't buy everything in bulk. I just buy like certain things in bulk. Um, so, it, I mean, it's really it's a trivial amount. Like to me, it's not. I mean, it's way less than ten percent. Gotcha. Like I could see if, like you know, you're buying like two pressed pills at a time and you have to take a quarter of one of those pressed pills to test. Like, you know, now you've just taken 12.5% of your stash, but like, I'm not buying two pressed pills at a time. I mean, I'm not buying pressed pills at all, but like, if I have a gram of something, like I don't even need a 10th of that to test it. Gotcha. And then you can, feel safe. And if you, yeah. yeah. And again, going boomer wise, like just buy the health insurance, you know, <laughs> like if it's that minimal of a cost just to have your mind free, I feel right. like that's the way to go. Well, and like heaven forbid, if like I had something and like somebody like died off of something that I had, like I'd be like, uh-uh, not okay. I mean, I clearly would have too, cause I would have tried it as well, but <laughs> Or you're talking, but yeah, like that, that that peace of mind, especially with with all like the stuff they're put putting into things these days, like it's it's worth it. Like yeah. even if I had to, even if it like required a quarter of whatever I had, it would still be worth it to me. Yeah, because what do you value your life at, right? I but I guess also it just comes down to like almost discretionary income at that point. You know, I mean, if you're, I mean, granted, there's a lot of people who do drugs who don't have discretionary income, but right. like, if you're spending your last $5 on drugs, like, 
you shouldn't be doing drugs. You shouldn't be doing drugs. <laughs> Get a library card instead. <laughs> like, can't afford to test your stuff. Like, maybe, maybe don't, don't be doing it. Yeah. So that, that's funny then. Um, I, I, for some reason, just because I was stuck on the stupid like swipe right, swipe left, it'd be awesome if someone's like little bio line was like, got enough money to get my drugs tested. And like they have like a wink and a nod or something. Like oh as their profile God. be like, oh, that's a guy I could swipe right with. Like I trust him. You know, like God, just so stupid. I'm so old. I'm, I'm curious about the raves because you had said something about the booth. Like, is there a balance between embracing and I don't even know, are like psychedelics legal in Nevada or are they still illegal? Right. It's just they're pot. illegal. There's they're de So mushrooms are decriminalized in a few States, but they're not legal anywhere yet. Right. That's what I thought. Right. Okay. Yeah. So Delaware is kind of process that THC went through and is going through. Yeah. And Delaware is the state, like the governor's supposed to sign the bill to legalize pot. And the big fucking thing is like the monopoly of the distribution. And they're still trying to figure yeah. that shit out. So it seems like psychedelics, I don't know how long pot took. I want to say it's been about 20 years from Colorado to Delaware. Right. I don't know if psychedelics will be done by 2050. But I'm curious about the rave culture of just like how much can you embrace safety and hey we all know you're doing it versus like now we're just providing an environment where it's open for you to do an illegal thing and like striking a balance i mean it's not necessarily like it's one of those you i mean you've got people across the entire spectrum you have people who rave sober i mean shoot i rave sober do like, you really yeah if i if i ever get to a point where i have to take drugs to enjoy something like I need to reevaluate that. Mm. Like I'll use them to enhance things or cause it's just like, Hey, like this is a fun escape, but I can have just at like, I'll go out and rave sober and people will literally be like, what are you on? Because I need to know. It's like, I'm not life. Right. The moment. Like, are you music? like come on. This fucking beat is what I'm on. <laughs> but yeah, like you'll get people across the board. You'll have people. I mean, there are people out there who absolutely like do feel that they need drugs to rave. Um, and I think that's unfortunate. Um, but you'll have everybody from sober to people who just do alcohol to people who like are human garbage disposals and will put anything and everything in their body. And then you get the people who like literally need it to rave. Um, and I think that's kind of, especially for like, not that it's not sad anywhere else, but I think it's especially sad for like rave culture where there's this focus on like all are welcome and like, here's this space for you to express yourself however you choose to express yourself. And the fact that someone feels that they need a substance to be able to do that hurts my heart. I, um, I've not thought about it like that. That was almost like a PSA. <laughs> We're all, you're all welcome to come. That's, um, that's interesting. I didn't think about that. It's a very interesting perspective, actually. I wonder if people feel, so like if I went to a rave, never been, I feel like I would be the dude that, yeah, I'd have to like take something. I'd be like, no, that's just what you do. You take right. things. And yeah, no, it's, it's really like you go to express yourself and be part of 
you know, a family and enjoy and get lost in the music and the experience. Um, and I mean, I can definitely understand like the perceived need to use drugs. Um, and I mean, even kind of back to some of the conversation before about like working through traumas or like, Hey, like maybe you're super self-conscious about something and like taking this particular step. I mean, shoot, how many people are like, I won't get out on the dance floor until I have three beers. Oh yeah, for sure. Lose the ambition. Same concept. Like it's, it's cool to get to that point. Um, like my goal for people would be like, cool. Like, okay. You feel like you need to take this to like get to this place. But like, I challenge you to like, hold on to that and experience that and get to the point where you can find that experience of being yourself without a substance. Seems healthier. That's interesting. That's a very, now, do you think your perspective's pretty common now I'm trying to like classify or peg you as like the rave expert or something. I don't mean to do that, but I'm um, curious because you seem to go to a bunch. I imagine you talk to people. <laughs> so ironically, actually, my first rave was last August. Oh, no way. So I've been to the three social deserts, one EDC, two Beyond Wonderlands, and then like a handful of shows that I guess would fall in. I mean, they're concerts, but they would fall under EDM. So like, less than 15 events. <laughs> That's not a lot to you. See, like to me, as soon as you got to the second hand, I'm like, yeah, dude, you've been to a lot of raves. <laughs> are they like, um, are there like fish heads that I think, just spend decades going to them? Is that a lot? Oh yeah, absolutely. Really? Yeah. Stop. I had yeah. no idea. It's like a lifestyle oh, like I- that. But yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't know that I'm a good candidate to answer that question on it being a common mindset, um, simply because I have a bit of a bias of, I tend to attract a certain type of person and a certain energy. Mm-hmm. Um, so the people I interact with, there's probably a much higher percentage of those who think like me than for like the community at large. I could also be very wrong, um, but like there's definitely, there would definitely be like a selection bias um, to answer that question. Yeah. That, I mean, that, that kind of makes sense, right? Uh, it's almost like uh, the law of attraction in a real basic way. Similar particles looking for other particles that are the same. Yeah. Okay. And this will be the, another old man question. So like the undercover cop, that's just looking, trying to like bust people stupid myth not even a concern or like you're out there like you're a dj or you're serving drinks or whatever and you're like look at this fucking five zero. you can definitely pick them out um but again like they're not necessary i mean like a don't be a dumbass and like do your shit out in the open um but like they're more looking to bust the people who are selling or who are carrying enough on them that it looks like they could be distributed Like, it's one thing to have, like, one or two doses of something on you. It's another thing to have, like, ten doses of something on you. Gotcha. Yeah, the the level of um, intelligence to know, like, law triggers, right? And to know, hey, man, I can have this much and I'm probably going to get, like, a talking to and maybe get shit taken versus I'm in cuffs and my weekend's gone. Right. (laughs) Based on just knowledge. 
Like, that's, like, the number of times I've had people, like, hey, do you have any, like, we were at Red Rocks for a show. This guy was, like, oh, do you have anything? And I was, like, I don't. He's, like, but I just saw you take something. And I was, like, yeah, I brought enough doses, like, enough of what we were going to take for myself and the person who was with me. Like, I didn't bring extras. (laughs) Um, So then how does the newbie, can you just show up and meet up with people and it's like that accepting or are you going to get pegged as a dork if you're like, yo, you got anything? Hey man, you look like you're holding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, no, I mean like, shoot, like I, I mean like in terms of like acceptance into the community, like right away, like nobody believed it was my first rave. Um, in terms of like finding things, I mean, like, just don't be a creepy moron about it. Like, I, I can't think of a single event I've been to where somebody hasn't offered me something. Gotcha. Like, just don't be an asshole. Be having fun. Like, be polite to people. And, like, don't go in with the, like, I need to find drugs. Like. Seems desperate. Seems like oh, you're going to give off a weird energy. Exactly. Like, <laughs> if you're out there having fun, they'll find you. Simple. I like how simple you state things. Like it really <laughs> is just like, let's not, don't overcomplicate life. No. Um, can, so a couple of the outfits I noticed, you seem to be very into tails. Is this yes. like a brand? <laughs> is this just like a fun part of your life? Why Sonic? I mean, initially like, so the first rave I went to was an Alice in Wonderland themed rave back in August. That had so to be amazing. Day, oh my yeah, God, so dude. 10 out of 10 recommend. Um, the second day I did a Cheshire cat outfit and had the tail on and was dancing. And I was like, oh, this is fun. And especially as like with EDM, like you're kind of moving back and forth. And so like you get that pendulum effect going with your tail on the beat. Uh-huh. And it's just like a lot of stimulation. Gotcha. Um, and so I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. So then I was like, okay, well, like, I look really cute with ears on. So I like bought a smaller tail and the ears. And so it just kind of like became part of my like rave persona. Um, And then I have like a couple of like sets of accessories. Like when it got really cold for the festivals that I was working, like especially like December, January, February, they have these fluffies, which are like those furry leg warmers. Okay. Um, and so the two sets of those that I have were like the furry leg warmers. They came with a tail on a belt and like this furry hood with ears on it. And so it kind of like matched as this whole outfit, but then like kind of also became my brand. <laughs> so now it's like nine times out of 10 when you see me, I'm going to have a tail on. The rave persona. Do, do you have like a name you go by for this rave persona? I don't know. No? Good for you. Just keep trying. <laughs> no, I, I do, uh, but there are people who like have their personas and their names that they go by in the community. Yeah, because I was wondering, I've actually had a um a crossdresser on, which was mm-hmm. no, I'm sorry, a drag queen. A drag queen came on and it was awesome because he did the first half of the pod as Candy Shell, the drag queen, and then the second half he like came on and it was kind of weird. I like I didn't want to be like disrespectful of like the persona. But the way it was like fucking him, I'm like, oh my God, dude. It's like a legit, like 
it's almost not like you're psychopathic where it's a second person. You believe it's a second person, but you do morph into this person. It is yeah. encompassing. Oh, yeah, created this, this other, like there's this levels. Person. It's depth. Yeah. It's depth. It's not just like a couple one liners and you're done. You yeah. completely and I think, change. You know, like, I, I personally don't see the need to like separate them. Um, so I think that's like why I haven't like necessarily created a specific, I mean, there are like certain attire things like, if we're going out to like an EDM show, I may or may not wear like those like chokers that were big back in the nineties. But if I'm going to a rave, that choker is on. And so like certain shows I've worn it. And like a couple of my friends have picked up on that of like, Oh no, like this isn't just a concert tonight. Like we're going, um, but I still love, I love to dress up and be expressive. So it's just like kind of the perfect, perfect venture for that. Can I backtrack for some jargon? What's the difference between an EDM show and a rave? Or, um, or did I miss something? So, oh, goodness. So, like, you could probably ask, like, six different people and get six different answers. <laughs> EDM is electric da- electronic dance music. Okay. So... Is that all not it techno? Calls, it's kind of like a concert versus a rave. Like, it's like a concert versus a festival. Like, your festival is usually multi-days has multiple stages, much bigger thing. Like a concert is usually like one stage, one band and some openers and that's it. Okay. Um, if you want to get like really technical, I guess the rave would be more of like, I mean, if you want to get like really purist, like <laughs> it's the thing that you have to know somebody to get into. Like here's this abandoned warehouse and we're throwing a fucking party tonight. Oh. Um, but yeah, that would be kind of like the easiest way I can think of to describe it. Makes sense. Appreciate yeah. the breakdown. I'm just trying to get like a little Rosetta Stone key. So if I'm ever in a conversation or have the opportunity to get lost for a week. There's about like different events and like their structures and sizes and this, that, and the other. But like rave, I think like at its core, isn't something that's like commercialized. Makes sense. So then they go with the electronic, say it one more time for me, the E. Electronic dance music. Electronic dance music. And so I shouldn't say techno anymore or is that a completely different genre? So, so techno is a subgenre of EDM. Okay. Oh, that's a rabbit hole you can tell. I mean, like, cause you have like, I mean, you could break it down and you have like house, techno, drum and bass, um, trance and then like underneath all of those like for techno you have like high bpm and hard techno and acid techno and tech house and it's a it's a rabbit hole like i can't i'm still learning to like sit here and be like okay like this song is deep house but this song is progressive house and this song is like jungle house and yeah it just like continues to break down and you're just like it can it can be super overwhelming (laughs) And like, does that matter? Cause you try to match it to anticipated drug consumption so, or is it just a no, vibe it, you're trying to create or theme? It more, like with, with the genres, it more is just like classifying like what you like and don't like. Okay. Um, and then they usually like at a festival, the stages are usually grouped by artists of similar genres. So, like, for EDC, like, you have Neon Garden, and most of the artists playing at Neon Garden are going to be playing some genre of techno. 
Um, for DJing, obviously, like, it's important to know, like, what genre you're playing or, like, what genre somebody wants or, like, how certain genres can be transitioned into one another. Mm. Um, but, like, it doesn't necessarily coordinate or correlate, excuse me, doesn't necessarily correlate with what substances are being used. Like a particular psychedelic. Gotcha. That makes right. sense. Yeah, the DJ thing's something else you did too, huh? How were you always a music person or Yeah. How did you get so into I, Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I started um actually like in church choir when I was like 3 years old. Stop, um, it so always I, starts with church. I love it. Right. <laughs> um but no, so I I was involved with some level of music, some instrument or vocal or theater from like 3 years old on. Um and then, like, five years ago, I started teaching group fitness and taught cycle for a while and still teach on and off, um, but really enjoyed the science of creating a playlist. Like, not just, like, the BPMs to match the RPMs on your cycle, but also, like, how to curate the energy flow through a class. Um, and I got to the point where, like, Spotify lets you crossfade, so you can, like, do a 12-second crossfade and, like, I would nerd out and make sure, like, not only were the songs the BPMs I wanted, but, like, that the crossfade sounded good. <laughs> and I was, like, when I met uh, my partner in crime, Anthony, I was, like, no, like, at the very least, I want to put together, like, a spin playlist that isn't me crossfading shit on Spotify. Like, let me mix one song into the next. Um, and so as we started dabbling, um, like, April 20th was actually like the first time that I was on decks and we were over at a friend of ours um, courtyard just to like, he's like open decks, come play if you want. And Anthony was taking him through some like technique things. And then both of them turned to me and was like, okay, your turn. I was like, all right. So he like pulls up a folder of tech house music and is like, all right. So like here you have these keys and you want to take seven a either down to six a or up to eight a. And then here's the BPM. So, you know, make sure your BPMs match and you can change the BPMs of songs to like bring them up or down to match one to blend it in. Um, and so like pretty much gave me that, gave me like the basic rundown of what buttons I needed to press and knobs I needed to turn and was like, okay, check it out. Um, and it didn't suck. Um, <laughs> so he was like, all right, like you should play social desert in May. And I was like, you're not going to let me say no. So I guess so. Um, and then the second time I was on, we were up in Denver and we brought the decks up in our carry on with us just to play. And that time I was spinning Electro House and like three or four songs in, like he just looks at me. He's like, your phrasing is impeccable of like when I'm choosing to transition one song into the other. And I'm like, I mean, that's just knowledge of music. Like I understand how like drops and verses and bridges go and like you can figure out where is going to be a good point to transition. Um, and then jokingly was like, you might be better than me. And I was like, let's not go that far. But like, yes, like I understand, like I have a background in music theory. I have an understanding of music. So it definitely like probably comes more naturally to me than some people. Um, but yeah. Do you, is it, is it fulfilling or does it like, are you missing out on the party or is the performance now like part of the party for you? So I enjoy, I enjoy the performance. Like I, I've never turned down the opportunity to perform. Um, <laughs> it, it, it feeds the exhibitionist in me. Um, 
But, like, the cool thing about DJing is, like, I get to control slash contribute to the energy of the party. And, like, my biggest thing, like, yes, I love to perform, but, like, I don't want all the attention of an event to be on me. I want the attention to be on the music and the interaction. And so how do I best facilitate that experience for the people listening to my set? Gotcha. And how, cause I'm so unfamiliar with any of the whatever's above techno genre, <laughs> the EMD, electro EDM, right? Electro dance music. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but like, how do you, do you, find new songs are there just regular beats out there are you making your own beats like so, i'm just thinking of radio right, stations like i never hear songs yeah. to like get exposed to oh yeah shit let me grab that so like that's the nice part about like things like spotify and soundcloud is that like you can find a lot of music that like wouldn't have been as easy to find back in the day um and then like soundcloud is even easier for people to upload stuff to so like you might find a track that you really like and you're like, oh, but like, I would really, so like, for example, my set this weekend, I stumbled across a um, tech house mix of one of my friend's very favorite trance songs. And I was like, oh, perfect. So like, it fits in with my set because I'm playing tech house, but I get to play this song that he's going to recognize. Um, and so there's that to like suss out and find remixes in like different genres or just different remixes of a song. Um, and then you get into the production side of things where you're actually like making the mixes or even making songs from scratch yourself. Um, and I'm not there yet. It will definitely be something that gets on my radar because I hear songs and I'm like, this would be really awesome if this, this and that was changed. And so I don't know that I'll ever like make something from scratch, but to pull elements of different songs, I think is something that's definitely within my wheelhouse. Would I and let's be... be honest, I'll probably make something completely from scratch at some point. I was going to say. And like, why am I even pretending like I'm not? You, you <laughs> seem like the type that would need to make it from the ground. Like if you had the vision or if you had the sound, it would yeah. be very hard for you to pierce it together. Be like, fuck it, man. I can just do this myself. Okay. I understand basics. Dum, 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 dum. Yeah. How much time does that take when you're like trying to coordinate the playlist and how do you get in the vibe? Like, do you have a um, process? I mean, like I haven't really dug super deep into it. So like when we've just been open playing, like it's really, for me, it's, it's super simple. Cause I just like look at the playlist or like look at the folder of songs and I have them sorted by um, either key or BPM. And so then I can just look like, okay, I'm playing this song and it's 128 BPM and it's a 7A. So I need to look for something that's either a 6A or an 8A. And then I'll like pull it up on the queue in my headphones, like play it alongside the song that's playing to make sure that like it kind of works together and then tease out like where I want to bring it in and from that. Um, and I actually really enjoyed the open playing. Did I cut out? No, I was oh, like, awesome. I, the our, our video did, but the audio was fine. Yeah, perfect. Um, and I actually really enjoyed the open playing. And I think that helped for my anxiety for performing my set. Cause I was like, oh, well, I've already seen that. Like, if you just give me a folder of music, I can put something together. So like worst case scenario, I can do that. Um, Makes sense. Just get up there and freestyle it. Cause you're like playing. Right. It's just. 
whatever, like, is there a particular, God, this, I'm such a fucking dork. Is there a particular like standard of like, Hey man, you want to really have one song for like no more than a minute, no less than 30 seconds. So you're like feeling this pressure to like sort and find, or is it complete vibe? Like not necessarily. Like if you pull up a song and like you see the crowd loves it, you're not going to cut out of it. Like you're going to let it roll for a little longer. Like if you pull up another song, like, Hey, I thought this would be a banger. And like people are leaving the stage or like people stop dancing or people look disinterested. I'm obviously going to cut out of it sooner. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and so, I mean, that's a little more advanced because now you're starting to read the room. Um, but yeah, I mean, like for for my playlist, I pretty much like put a bunch of songs into the folder that I wanted to play and then like figured out how they worked together. And then from there, like played through the set to figure, to make sure that the energy throughout the set worked. Because like you want to make sure that something's not like, Super slow, super fast, like taking energy chaotically everywhere. Like you kind of want, like for this one in particular, like I kind of ebbed it to go from like, all right, like we're going to pick up the energy and then like, I'm going to give you a minute to breathe (laughs) and then we're going to pick it right back up. Gotcha. And yeah. And I, the reason I was thinking that is because the whole like beats per minute and key seven, a, eight, a, I started going down this like analytical mindset of oh my god there's an algorithm to it there's always an algorithm there it is and then it comes right so it's like the arts and science when you get those bachelors and it's like yeah there's always a science there's an algorithm but then the true performers it's just a vibe or a feel where like you notice it and you throw it together oh yeah and i mean the music theory like that side of it just i mean is gonna come naturally to some people and i suppose I'm like fortunate to be one of those people like music just music makes sense to me like it's something that's always been a part of my life yeah I've never aside from I bought two turntables when I was like 18 and thought I could figure out how to scratch on my own and it was pitiful (laughs) and then like I made some mixtapes for some girls when I was 12 thinking that it would really help me out um I have zero music do I don't know if that was like beyond you but was that like a big oh, thing? Oh, no, like... I made mixtapes all the time. Yeah? Like, those were my love language. It... I mean, now it's like, I don't make you a mixtape, I make you a playlist, but, like, it's still the same thing. Yeah, do people actually still, that's what I was, what I, I haven't asked oh. any, like, kids that, but, like, I don't want my daughter to get a link and some dude sending her a bunch of fucking R&B. Like, I'm gonna lose my shit. <laughs> but if it's, like, curated and it's like, hey, I made this playlist for you, like... So that actually still happens? I, f- I yeah. really thought that would die out with like tapes and having to record. No, it definitely like, it just, it's all electronic now. I mean, like, shoot, like my partner in crime and I send each other like tracks throughout the day. I mean, now it's more because like we're both spinning, but like, be like, hey, what about this song? You're like, hey, I heard this song and it made me think of you. Like, yeah, oh right? yeah. yeah, that'll never die out. Yeah, that's so not cool. It's so not cool when you have a daughter. How are, dude, and so not to be extremely, I don't mean this in any sort of way, but like, are your, are your parents okay with you being an exhibitionist? Is that an asshole question? I don't mean it to be at all. I don't think, I don't think it's an asshole question at all. And I'm not trying to shame um, you in any way because it is very empowering. And it's like one of those things where like you exude this confidence and energy and it's like, fuck man, why shouldn't people be confident in 
whatever they like, how they feel and how they present themselves. But then like me as the dad, I'm like, oh my God, dude, would I be okay if I see my daughter's ass and then this tail and like, fuck dude, stop checking her out. You know, like that's my emotion I'm trying to, pro maybe I need to take psychedelics to process it. Maybe that's, <laughs> I mean, I that's think like, I think a lot of it comes down to like, they know how they raised my sister and I. Um, so like that probably puts their minds at ease. Um, and they also know that we, they raised both of us to be like very diligent in like following our passions, but also like safe in doing so. And so like with anything, like my parents' biggest concern is like, are you safe? Are you happy? Yeah. And if both are the case, then awesome. Dude, as soon as you said safe, I'm like, why would I have an issue if my daughter Look like why is my gut reaction? Not that I would have an issue. Why would I have to process the emotion that I'm experiencing if I saw my daughter in that? And I, as soon as you said safe, I'm like, I'd worried some dude would be so fucking revved up that he'd be an asshole to her. And all of a sudden now she's threatened and she's got to like stop this fool. And it escalates to a point where she's unsafe. I think that would, now that I'm well, thinking and I mean, about this and out that's loud, like. I mean, part of that is like trusting her to make sure she has people around her and or knows how to handle herself. Like right. I've definitely, I've definitely experienced like sexual harassment and assault. I've only, I've actually only ever been grabbed without my consent twice at events. I think part of that is because I'm five, seven and I look like I could fuck up most people there. Um, so that's definitely to my advantage versus like, you know, a five foot tall, 90 pound girl. Um, that's like a good point. nobody's looking at me. Like I can pick up that girl and run 200 yards with her. Like they're like, she would kill me. Yeah. She's going to, um, oh, I'm going to get, but no, like my up. very, my very first rave, like this guy tapped me on the shoulder to get my attention to then intentionally grab a fistful of my ass. And I like, my friend caught me. Cause I like, cocked back to punch him like I didn't even care that he was already walking away and he was like what's wrong and I was like dude he like literally tapped my shoulder to ensure that he had my attention of what he was doing but like I mean people are gonna be shitty and so it's just like a matter of how you handle it how you handle yourself and for the most part like the community is gonna take care of things that's interesting to know yeah because I it really is like as I'm sitting here reflecting and like just trying to process like why would you have an issue i think it is like one of those moments about like would you be in an unsafe place and the fact that you're speaking so positively about the community i guess and maybe that's like the old dude in me where i don't have the exposure of like <clears throat> you're gonna get date raped right you're gonna get drugged and it really is like but i don't want you to do drugs i don't want to talk about drugs but at the same time it's like right. well if i care about you Maybe I can educate you in some appropriate way to be yeah, like, absolutely. hey, dude, you be, you're cautious about stuff. You don't fucking just sniff if some dude's like, I got a bump for you. And guess what? Every dude at the rave ain't going to fucking marry you and be in love with you. Like, it's, it's not right. a romantic tale. It's if you're there to enjoy life and dance and have fun, make yeah. that your focus. Don't let well, some other you, shit distract you. If I'm somewhere, like if I'm, because I've, I've gone to events alone and it's like people shoot, people are like, oh my God, don't go to EDC by yourself as a, like, as a girl. Like Sunday I went by myself dressed in what I usually wear to raves and I had no issues. 
But like, if I was somewhere where the vibe didn't feel right mm. or I didn't feel safe, I moved. And you know, like what even just moving 15 feet over in the crowd can make a massive difference. I'm also, can I get a little, or just maybe some perspective on inhibiting your senses, right? So like if you're doing drugs right away, or if you're pre-gaming, are you going to miss out on that feel or am I overthinking this? Do you know, like, I don't know if there's a real formula, but I don't know. It's um, a weird question. It's a stupid question. I mean, question. depending, like, depending on what you're taking, like, obviously, like, if I'm going somewhere by myself, like, I'm definitely staying under a threshold. Yeah. Like, right. I'm not going to be stupid. Yeah. Um. But, like, yeah, no, like, I just keep it. That's why, like, I chose, like, when I went by myself, I chose to drop acid because I was comfortable with it. I knew where I was at. I knew I could handle myself. Um, and if anything, it's something that makes me even more highly attuned to energy. Ah, that's interesting. Which is the nice part versus, like, alcohol, which is a depressant and definitely, like, screws with your judgment. And coordination. Um, like, if I want you yeah. to get a fucking knee to somebody's nuts, I want that to be yeah. accurate. <laughs> Yeah. Which I mean, like the visuals on acid, I would pro I might possibly miss your knee, but at the same time, like it could also hyper-focus it. Exactly. So I'm thinking like all of a sudden you'd lock in on a dude's groin. It would just be this throbbing bullseye and you would just boom, dudes down. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. All right. That's, it's interesting insight into the rave culture. Cause like, as I've not spoken to anybody with the kind of experience, but like, I'm just thinking in my head, man. And I've never had to process the emotion as like a dad. I've only had to be a guy. And it's a weird space to be in, man. When I have, like, I feel like my daughter's attractive and then she's getting to the age where I'm going to have to deal with dudes fucking coming around and me trusting that she's going to go places and make yeah. her own decisions. And it's petrifying. I'm so scared that She's going to be in an unsafe, and I like how, again, you just say things so clearly, man. You were like, but I'm in a safe place. I know how to be safe. And it's like, yeah, that's what it comes down to. I don't want the attention because I feel like the attention would yeah. bring danger. Um, I mean, so sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. Like, I mean, you figure for as much like danger or potentially negative that attention can bring, like, I'm also dressed up in like something rainbow and fairly lack of coverage. So it's also going to bring like a lot of attention in general. So if something which means that, there. yeah, I'm sorry. I, didn't, I shouldn't have cut you off, but no, you're totally fine. But it's one of those, like I, you know, if I'm sitting there wearing like this hot pink one piece, like, yeah, there might be like some negative attention it draws and some people who like might want to be predatory on it, but it's also going to catch the attention of a lot of people. And if some motherfucker's trying to trip because it's a positive culture, it's like, dude, yeah. like, what are you doing? Like, you don't do that. And then if he does something stupid, fistful or handful of ass, and there's people around to like just self-regulate. Because if the vibe is not, we treat you as an object. If the vibe is we're people and we're accepting, that's not an accepting behavior. Get the fuck out of here with that. You've broken our social contract. <laughs> yeah. Basically, God, that got real philosophical. That um, yeah, thank you. I I'm really not I, I'm not trying to be stupid or shame you in any way or like no, not at all. But like, it's just something that I 
speaking to you, I felt like, and you did, like you're thoughtful about it. It's not just something you're like, ah, it's a monthly day. Like you actually like are like, no, it, it's been thought out and it's um, it can be a safe thing. Yeah, absolutely. God, how am I, how am I gonna deal? You don't even know me, but like, how am I gonna deal <laughs> with this kind of anxiety and a daughter, man? It's um, did your dad ever talk to you about this, or like your parents just with you growing up and like maturing from their kid to an adult? Not really, to be honest. Um, yeah, not not really. I don't even know, like, do you even have that conversation with a kid, right? Like, it's just a weird, like, is it just something I mean, that like, I definitely morphs? would have liked, like, I would have liked there to have been an open conversation line there. Um, but, like, no, like, a lot of it was just, like, hiding stuff from my parents. And they would honestly probably be, like, mortified to know how my freshman year of college went. Um, <laughs> but, like, I think at the same time, like, they also knew what kind of character both my sister and I had and were raised to have. Yeah. Um, Just remembering the foundation. And so there was like at least an element there of like, you know what? Like, yeah, mistakes will be made, but it's going to be okay. Yeah. And I I think that's an important thing. I try to remind myself of that. Like, do like you gradually, your kids are meant to be like gradually released. Do you really want a 40 year old who's completely dependent on you? Like stepbrothers, Will Ferrell type shit, you know, like it would be horrible. So if you've spent the time and invested in like whatever critical thinking, problem solving, in like just basic common sense skills <laughs> that you try to impart upon your kid, you got to trust it. And if not, that's, yep. I don't know, like what, what can you do about it when they're 20? Um, so that's interesting. You kind of, did you take an extra couple steps when you got to college? Why is that? Did you have more space? Was it weeks of freedom without check in? What made you... Uh, um, I mean, it was definitely like, like I started summer session. So I started, um, the beginning of July, essentially, like all my friends were like, Oh, that sucks. You're going to college early. And I was like, dude, y'all have fun. Like try not get busted by the cops at your high school parties. Like I'm going to be partying at college. Um, you're the second or third kid who's come on and been like, dude, summer getting there early. Then when all the freshmen come, all of a sudden, you know, what's up. You're familiar you get- with campus. You've already started networking. Yeah. Um, but like the number one rule they tell, especially like freshman girls is like, don't go out by yourself. Like always go out with a buddy. I never went out with like the number of times I went out by myself was astronomical. Not proud of it. Got <laughs> me into a lot of trouble. Um, but lived to tell about it. Learned a lot of very important life lessons. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it wasn't anything necessarily rebellious. It was mostly just like I wasn't great at making new friends. Um, and I also like didn't necessarily feel like I really fit in with a lot of girls. So like the whole idea of like finding somebody to go out and party with like wasn't something that came naturally to me. And did the like rave scene attract you back then or was it more just like bar, like the club so I, versus I the rave? No- the only exposure I had to the rave scene was like I snuck into an 18 and over in club when I was in high school and heard Sandstorm. Um, and that was my only rave exposure um, until after after undergrad, I was working a BMX event. In, I, I went to Penn State. Like there wasn't a rave scene. Like it was like hip hop and country music and top 40. Gotcha. Um, yeah, that's what I was kind of thinking. 
I feel like that's the but yeah, no, like I my next exposure to rave culture then would have been I was over in Germany working medical coverage for a BMX event and like got taken to like a legit like warehouse rave. Um, and that was amazing. But then I still just like it wasn't something that was like, oh, my God, I need to do this all the time. It was just like that was a really cool experience. I have no idea how to find out about this back in the States. Um, and it really like wasn't until like kind of starting to go to Burning Man and then like August, like finding the whole festival and then starting to like really immerse myself in it and find people who also were immersed in it. And I was like, oh, this is something that I really enjoy. Yeah, how I forget what you said right at the beginning, but the wording was so good. It was like something exhibitionist. And then like yes yesterday you had another thing that I really wanted to talk about about like the decade of work and then making the decision to like be the yes man. I was like, "Oh, so you're a yes man." You're like, "Yeah, but if I vibe with it." And yeah. I'm super curious how you discovered the oh, this rave is the energy level that I'm on. Yeah. Um, and I think it just kind of was one of those, like my stepping very much into myself kind of started with um, my first Burning Man in 2018, where it was like somewhere where it was very safe. I mean, one of the 10 principles of Burning Man is radical self-expression, uh, which is also part of my life tagline. Um, <laughs> but like, that was one of the first times that I can remember, save for like when you're a kid before you start caring about things that I was like actually able to like 100% like be myself and start to see who I was. Um, and so that kind of like got chipped away and chipped away. Um, and then the past like six to eight months, especially has been less, less of a chipping away and more of a, stepping into exactly who I am and that pushing away when I'm not. So what were the conversations like? Cause you've got to make decisions about your <laughs> radical self-expression, right? Like I'm, I'm looking, I'm like, how much time is spent in a mirror? How much are we online shopping? Are we just walking around like thrift shops being like, I could fucking so, look kick ass in a bow. I mean, I think some of it, like I had this conversation at this women's conference with my dear friend Shante, who's an Instagram business coach. Um, and she consistently kind of preaches on like niching down and finding your one thing. Um, and she's somebody I have an immense amount of respect for. And it just like, the more I tried to niche down, the more it wasn't happening. So I sat down with her and she was like, how's it going? And I was like, Shante, like, I know you're always preaching niche down and find your one thing. And I was like, I don't think I'm a one thing person. She was like, you're not. I was never talking to you. <laughs> and it was so funny because like, I hate to say that it gave me permission because like, I think it's sad that people feel like they need permission. But at the same time, when you're so stuck in that place of like not, fig not being able to figure out what it is you need. Like, to have somebody that you respect and that you care about, like, give you that permission to be yourself, like, it just, I mean, talk about a life-changing moment. And then I told my sister about it, and she was like, no, you've never, we've always known this. And I was like, well, then why the fuck didn't you say anything? Like, how long were you guys going to watch me struggle? Um, what but that's kind of when I started, like, 
trying different things on and like, Hey, like this brings me happiness. I'm going to keep doing it. You know, that was okay. Like I might do it if there's nothing else to do, but like, you know, and starting to, and I started to notice the people around me changed. And there were a lot of long-term friendships that are no longer friendships. Um, and a lot of people who were like, I just don't understand who you are now. And I was like, that's okay. Like, people evolve and grow and they don't always evolve and grow together. Um, and I think because we like consistency and we like that certainty, that can be a really difficult concept to grasp. And there's absolutely a part of it that's sad. Like, yeah, the, some of those friendships, there was definitely like some mourning that went into it of like, you know, it's, it's sad that this person isn't somebody that I can really have in my life anymore. But like, was it a judgment? I can focus, focus on the times that we had that, like, you know, here was the lesson that I needed to take away from that. Um, and so I've, I'm actually like pretty good at dealing with like things ending because of that, because it's like, look at, you know, maybe it'll happen again. Um, maybe it won't. And it just kind of depends on how we both grow and evolve in our individual journeys. Are they ending? Cause your interests separate are they ending because like judgments are coming along like are they ending because they think you're wrong for a light well i guess that would be a judgment so yeah a aside from of, interest and judgment what a else? lot of the ending is that authenticity is really terrifying to some people especially to people who aren't authentic to themselves and it can be really i mean some of it is just that whole like People are watching things, amazing things happen for someone else and they want that for themselves and they just can't really sit with the fact that it's not their time yet. Um, some of it is just like, you know, I don't recognize who you are anymore. And I'm like, that's okay. Like, because I know that I am more me than I have ever been. And if that's not somebody that someone wants to spend time around, then that's okay. Because I'm somebody I want to spend time around. That's... It's interesting when you talk about like drilling into the one pe like one thing and finding your one thing. I was kind of picturing like, oh, so my one thing's being a really good athletic trainer, and clearly you're educated about it, right? Like you're you're very thoughtful. You've explained a ton of complex things in simple ways, which is the key to like, hey, you kind of know some stuff. Like that's a really big teaching point. And like, why wouldn't it's very, it's just philosophically, like, why aren't people okay with a pivot? Like, why does yeah. that turn into you're not you versus it's awesome. You're evolving as you. Yeah. And I think some of it, I mean, there's, there's a thousand reasons for it. Yeah. I mean, I think some of it too is like, we talked about earlier, like people commit to this path because they feel like they've had to, or they paid so much on the college the education plan. that they have yeah. to stick with it. And they're watching somebody who stepped away from that. And maybe that's something that they've really wanted to do, but they just don't have the resources or the privilege or the ability to maybe even identify what that thing is, let alone to step away from what they're doing and have success in that other thing. And that can be a lot to confront. Or the super skill of ADHD to help them multitask and figure it out. <laughs> That's for sure. Because, dude, all the fucking decisions. Um, 
how much like it's not a typical I mean, it's definitely not a typical life to be like the traveler, go around and like find all these new interests. Was part of it like the anchor of a traditional, where's your husband? How come you don't have kids? <laughs> kind of a thing. Has that been a part of your life um, at all? Not really. I mean, like I was born and raised in the South. So like I had my quarter life crisis at 25 when I was not married and did not have my two children already. Uh. <laughs> um, and I mean, there's, it was actually like a really big shift in like the past year of transitioning from like transitioning to a place where I'm not even like 100% that I will have children, which is like mind blowing to me still. Um, but I mean, yeah, like I definitely get it a lot of like, what do you mean you don't have a husband or this, that and the other, but it was definitely never like a motivating factor for me. Like I was always going to do what I wanted to do. And if someone was going to like get in my way of that or like try to keep me in a box, like, bye. Right. <laughs> bye. Decent mentality. <laughs> Why is it mind blowing to not um, want to have kids aside from your biological clock, which is basically the only purpose of your existence on earth as an organism is to reproduce. <laughs> so aside from that. <laughs> right. I think just cause it was like, it was such a large part of my identity for the longest time. Like, I was, I was the person who always knew I wanted to have kids. Really? Like, I always, it was, there was never a point in my life where I didn't. Like, my mom was actually very surprised that I didn't graduate college a single mother. <laughs> she was like, I don't think you'll graduate college married. Like, I don't think you're going to find somebody who, like, you want to put up with. But I would not be surprised to see you graduate college with a kid. Because you want the kid more than you want the husband. Wow. Interesting. Um, but no, like, even one of my very best friends from Cirque. Um, when she had her son, there was one of the nights she was going to have to call off work the next night because he got a fever so he couldn't go to daycare. And I was like, well, hey, like, I'm off tomorrow. Let me watch him. That way you don't have to call off. You don't have to worry about the whole daycare situation. Um, and here's this, you know, not even two-year-old in the cycle of, like, wake up, cry, 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 mm. have a little something to eat, maybe throw up, pass out rinse and repeat every 45 minutes yeah. and like anybody in their right mind is like no no this is what you do to somebody to convince them not to have kids like here's the birth control right here <laughs> and my mom called me in the middle of it all and it was while he was sleeping and she's like what's going on and I was like oh this this and this and she's like well how are you feeling um like is it good birth control and I was like mom I can't wait for this to be me like, that was supposed to be the birth control moment. And this is just, like, this is me, like, wanting to take care of my child while this is like, happening. Gotta hang um, so out. that's where the mind blowing of, like, me being, like, no, like, I might not have kids. And, like, that was, like, I was always the team yes kids. So to, like, go from, like, I'm going to have two to, like, I'm going to have one to, like, maybe I'm not going to have any um, has been a really big shift. And how are you being okay with that? And, again, I'm not saying that, like, in a dick way, like, you shouldn't be okay with that. But I'm just curious about like the mental process. Is that part of like the psychedelics just being like, Hey, it's okay to not. I think, want? I think it's just more with like kind of how life has gone. And like, yes, like everybody's kind of like, Oh no, like you couldn't live the life you're living if you'd had kids. And I was like, bitch, watch me. Um, 
why do you think they make baby Bjorns? I strap my kid on and sling drinks. Like, watch me. <laughs> um, but like, <laughs> I think there's just, there, there's definitely an aspect of like, it's definitely easier doing what I want to do, not having children and not having that to worry about. I know I could make it work if kids were in the picture, but like, it's also, I think also up until this point, there was a lot of me that was like, do I want to bring something into this world that could have the same mental hardships that I had? Hmm. Cause like, yeah, you can help and guide, but at some point, like everybody's journey is their own and the lessons that you learn yourself are the ones that stick. And how long could I watch my child struggle with that? Interesting. For the longest time, I joked, I was like, I'd have to have a boy because I can't imagine a little me on this planet. But now I'm like pretty convinced that if I do pop out a child, it's going to be a female just to spite me. Um, (laughs) And she's going to be even more of a firecracker than I am. Yeah. And she'll be like 5'9", 165 while she eats nothing but (laughs) Chick-fil-A. Right. And I like spin fire while she's slinging drinks and like reciting the German alphabet backwards. Like, cool. Like, go do you. And somehow the harmonica is playing and you're like, how do you even, how do you have that ability? Yeah. That was something else. You dance with fire that I was like, so that's a fucking thing you do. (laughs) Yeah. I just started that. So I, I've only spun fire once and that was the April iteration of the desert rave. Um, but yeah, that was fun. <laughs> yeah. Does somebody just hand that to you? Like the DJing story or is that planned? Actually? Yes. Yeah. So I had, I had picked up some led poi, which are the light up ones that I spin. Um, and we were walking over to this other stage and I asked my friend if I could borrow hers cause mine hadn't come in yet. And like, as I said it, this guy was just like, do you want to spin fire? And like, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, that's the goal. Like, I hesitated for a moment because, like, I mean, I don't want to, like, set myself on fire. Um, and so I was, like, a little hesitant, like, mostly of, like, am I at a skill level where this is a safe thing to do? Um, and everybody around me was, like, yes, of course she does. Um, so, yeah, he, like, handed me fire and I spun it and it was amazing. <laughs> do you get a weird feeling of danger with it? Like, d- in, in some part of you, are you like, fuck, man, this could, like, I could literally catch on fire. I could actually get hurt. Or um, is it more just like I an embarrassment? Know, I don't know so much as danger as just an awareness. Like, to go back to the fun, high-functioning thing, like, I'm a high-functioning pyromaniac. I love fire. And I love to set shit on fire. But I also have a very healthy respect for fire. Um, so, yeah, like, I wasn't, like, afraid I was going to, like, set myself or something else on fire. I just had like a very healthy respect for what I held in my hands. Um, I have to know that begs the question. What's the um, craziest thing you have set on fire? Is there a good story behind that? <laughs> um, probably not actually. <laughs> it's probably pretty disappointing. Cause like, again, I'm not trying to like set somebody's house on fire, but like, so like us, I, set a vol- I tried to set a volleyball on fire once. That was a bad idea. They have rubber bladders. Don't do it. <laughs> it smells terrible. 
was it just like on the ground or were you going to like play volleyball with it? <laughs> no, it we put it in a fire. We put it in a fireplace in my parents' backyard and uh, thought it would be funny because it was like this volleyball that we all hated and it was a terrible idea. It was awful. Don't set volleyballs on fire. Yeah, it would be like burning a tire. <laughs> yeah, it was exactly like burning a tire, except that it was even thinner rubber. So it like actually like burned. Oh, it was yeah. awful. Way to kill a mood. God, I, um, talk about Dude, I still remember, like, I don't have a ton of memories of, like, 11, 12, 13 adolescence, like, pre-high school. Um, One of my fondest memories, which is terrible, is there were five of us latchkey kids in a trailer, and somebody pre-internet figured out that you could light rubbing alcohol on fire when you squirted it on a counter. Yes. And we just took fucking like, we found three bottles, man. And it was nothing but like, who can make the longest line? Who can make the flame highest? Who can keep oh it God, going? Can we make a blowtorch? And you're like, what the fuck were y'all doing? You know? And that's, that's kids. <laughs> yup. And for some reason, like I'm happier that I did that than I was on a smartphone, just going down some like TikTok algorithm rabbit hole. Oh, hell yeah. 100%. I was living life. Um, 100%. The other one for me was um, 151 when we found out it was flammable because the bottle had like- Anything over 100 proof is flammable. Right? And it had like the cap on it or something. It was some sort of like filter screener. And have you gotten to the point where you've tried to like do the Spitfire stuff or anything like that? Yes. So I I do know how to blow fire. I had, um, when I went through bartending school way back in the day, um, my, excuse me, my teacher is a phenomenal flare bartender. Um, so he taught me how to blow fire because his like life goal for me was to be a bartender at Coyote Music background, it's fitting. Wait, it's, oh my God, there's a couple of things there. Um, so keys or secrets? Can I do this at home? If I YouTube tutorial how to blow fire, and I go to my backyard, will I be safe? Is there any trick I should know? Um, the biggest thing is just make sure that it's like vapor and not a stream. Huh? Because stream will light back to you. The vapor goes out. Um, and then other than that, just like. Make sure your area is clear. Like that's where like driveways are really good for it because yeah. you don't usually have like grass or like things that light on fire easily. Yeah, it makes sense. Fucking underbrush. Yeah. How do you turn it into a vapor versus, is it just like, like through your teeth? So, like you practice with water first. But and what? like the same way, like you'd spit water or you like spray water at people. Like you kind of like get it to the point where like you do a nice like vapor shower. Gosh. And then you do it without call instead. God. Are your teeth clenched? This is so fucking stupid. Like, are your teeth solid? Are you like teeth on a bottom lip? Or are you just, everyone um, finds their own way? Yeah, it's kind of like whistling. Like you gotcha. find the way that works for you. That makes sense. And So then uh, on a bigger note, the coyote ugly thing is real. That wasn't just like a stupid movie to... Get like, oh yeah, no, there's like coyote ugly bars and the girls get up and like dance and blow fire and all that, yeah. And <laughs> how did you not wind up there? Um, so I didn't, but then I start one of the many venues that I work, um, actually just never lived anywhere that had a coyote ugly. I mean, I guess Vegas has one, but whatever. Um, 
but the irony being that like now bartending motorcycle rallies like it's a lot of that like dancing on the bar um i haven't spun fire at a motorcycle rally yet but it's a matter of time at this point gotcha and how often do you do the like blow fire trick is it a standard if you're working or is it like event specific um i haven't done it in a hot minute um <laughs> but i think it would just be the matter of like if i traveled with the equipment and did it wait to, and if the venue allowed it you need equipment to blow fire i'm not talking about like spin it i'm talking about what equipment do you need you just need over I mean, 100 proof right yeah, well, like, I mean, if you do it with liquor or if you do it with, like, like some people actually do it with the fuel. Um, and then usually you want to do it with a torch, like, not just a lighter. But you can do it with just a lighter. Why do you want to do it with a torch just further away from your hand? It's more it's more controlled. Makes sense. Makes a lot yeah. of sense. So, Stephanie, you were kind enough to send me three beautiful pictures and i think i'm gonna go with the one of with the like what are they called says you've got like the red size yeah size the electro one yeah Yeah. okay that's what i thought i didn't want to like assume but you were going for the electric pose i was like dude that's fucking dope as hell and then the message says and i realized we didn't even get into the sex work side of things (laughs) i was (laughs) like hey sex work should we record a part two to which you were like, absolutely. And I wanted to thank you for clearing out some more of your time to come on. And, um, I don't know, man, get into that. It's uh, get into that aspect of your life. I appreciate it. For sure. Um, and I do remember like I had gotten, I had talked about just the outfit, like the squirrel tail or like the raccoon tail that you get into with your DJing and I even felt a little weird being like, am I like shaming her? Am I doing like, am I asking this in a wrong kind of like dickhead way? Right. But I've (laughs) been very interested in this aspect and have not spoken to anyone who works in the like, Hey, I have a beautiful body and people enjoy it. And I'm going to figure out a way to monetize it. Like I'm going to use what my mama gave me kind of a thing. (laughs) And I've been trying to, because I think it's something where, I'm like, again, the, the purest, whatever is left in me wants to be like, that's not good. But then at the same time I start thinking about it, I'm like, why should it not be good? Like if you're into it, if it's something brings you joy or brings you money, if you're not being exploited, like if you're in control of it, why should I even have like that uh, reaction, you know? So that, that's where I'm coming from. And I'll immediately apologize now if I ask questions that are completely stupid (laughs) because I don't mean to be offensive. I'm just like trying to figure out like if I was a Supreme Court judge, where would I vote? I think that's where Roe v. Wave has me is like if I was a judge, where would I vote kind of thing, you know? Oh, no, absolutely. And it's one of those. It's like, I mean, ignorance gets placed in this like negative box as a word. But really, it's just like something you a subject you don't have a lot of subject matter knowledge on. So it's yeah. not that like ignorance towards something is negative. It's just simply like something you haven't been exposed to yet. Yeah. It, see, you're way better with words. You're so much more succinct. Than <laughs> I am. Um, so tell me how like the journey started for you into this. Cause you had said, I think there was like some, you were at a gentleman's club and then I'm assuming the streaming was a little later, but I don't want to be an ageist and say that was the next thing. So how'd you get into um, the field? Um, oh goodness. Um, 
So the, sh- the quick and dirty version being that I had a girlfriend in college who um, there was this club up by a uh, hunting camp in Pennsylvania. Um, and she was like, hey, come up with me. Like, this is what I'm making in a weekend in like 12 hours of work. And I was like, that's obscene. I'm sitting behind my desk at the tanning salon for, you know, 25 hours a week. And you're making in a weekend more than I make in a month. Um sure, why not? Let's go check it out. Um, And there was a club right by Penn State, but I was like, let's go a little farther so that I don't see anybody I know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because there was definitely like a lot to shed at that time of like stigmas and like, are my parents going to disown me type of thing? Um, But got up. I'm sorry. I'm just curious, like time wise. So you're in college. Are you what age are you? Uh, So I was 21 at the time. Okay. And is that like that's like the actual age or can you, I know, I guess I should actually back up. Are we talking about like dancing, like cage stuff? Or are we talking about like full stripper stuff? What's the actual gig? Oh no. So I this, guess? so this was full stripper, um, Pennsylvania, um, a couple of States have similar laws to Pennsylvania, but Pennsylvania's laws are if you serve alcohol, um, the dancing on stage can only be topless. If you don't serve alcohol, it can be fully nude. So you see a lot of BYOB places. This little hunting camp thing was a BYOB place. So like thrown into the lion's den right away. Like, hey, you're going to get on stage. You're going to dance to your favorite songs. And you're also going to take all of your clothes off. Damn. And in front of people who bring in their own moonshine or whatever the fuck's their fancy. Right. Yeah. Like people would bring in their own beer. We had like a fridge for it. And then they like (laughs) sold mixers for it. I mean, it was exactly what you would expect from like a redneck, like hunting camp. What a okay. <laughs> and is 21 the youngest you can be or can you be 18? Do you know? And do um, and I believe in Pennsylvania you can be 18 because the club that I danced at after that, we had this girl come in literally on her 18th birthday to audition. Oh, wow. Yeah. Her mom brought her in. <laughs> See, that's where like I start. And again, it it makes me feel boomer or whatever. But I'm like, why do I want to be judgmental and be like, oh, my God, when I'm thinking like, like, you have no right to be judgmental about that. Right. Like if your kid's getting into that, why wouldn't you support your kid? Why wouldn't you want to make like a safe environment? And I think you had said that is like it kind of goes back to like you want your kid to be safe. Right. You want your kid to be educated and aware. And I'm like, why would you want your kid to hide that from you? and force them to feel that way. Why not have like the open relationship where it's like, okay, girl, you want to be a stripper? Cool. Let me help you or something. Let me give you a ride. You know, like, no, absolutely. Like I, and I think so much of it is just like, there's still such a like societal and cultural stigma against it. Let alone like until you kind of switch over from that, like these are my parents to like, these are people who have helped shape my life mindset. Like that's a good way to think about it. Yeah, like it, it definitely, because when I was 21, I was like, oh my God, there's no way that like my parents can ever find out anything about this. Like I will just die and they will disown me. And now I'm kind of like, I mean, we'll get into it later, but now it's just kind of like, you know, they love me for who I am and they accept what I do as long as I'm smart and safe about it. Yeah, I, I think like as I keep just selfishly thinking about myself, I'm like, I feel like <laughs> smart and safe would be the thing. Like I would be really pissed if, my daughter was safe, but then all of a sudden she got exploited and almost like a music artist that signs away the rights to their songs too early. It's like, wait, right. girl, you're only getting 5%. Like, 
you know, like if you're going to do it, damn, be intelligent about it. Right. So I think those are two, um, two factors that I'm, I don't know. Like it simplifies it. It kind of does destigmatize it to be like safe and smart. Sorry. I'm just thinking out loud. No, you're All totally right. fine. So you're trying to make wheelbarrows of cash. Do you mind sharing how much like she made just to, for some perspective? Um, so when she was telling, I mean, she was pulling in like two grand a weekend. No shit. At 21. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, okay, I'll go check it out. And I mean, <laughs> it's the worth perk, it. <laughs> the perk of like being at such a like middle of nowhere, remote, like hunting camp thing. Um, I am by no means. And I look dude. if 21 year old me could see me now, she would be like, what the fuck am I doing right now? Um, but like did not look nearly the way I do now and was still easily the best looking girl in that club, which didn't really, well, there was one girl who was really good looking, but her attitude was absolute shit. So that goes a long way. <laughs> but yeah, so cleaned house there for like three months. And then um, the girlfriend who got me into it was like, I'm actually going to go check out this club in Harrisburg. Um, it's a gentleman's club. You have to wear like these floor length gowns on the floor that cover all your bits. Um, but do you want to come audition with me? And I was like, I mean, there's no way these people are going to say yes to me, but sure. I'll come audition. Like, I don't know what I'm doing on a poll. I don't still don't really know what I'm doing, but you know, what's the worst they can say? No. And got down there and ended up actually getting the audition. Um, and that was a phenomenal experience. Oh my God. Like essentially getting to go to prom every night. Cause you're like in this floor length gown of like whatever color and like rhinestoning and nonsense. Um, and then you get on stage and dance to your favorite music. Like what's better than that? I could do this in my bedroom, but now I'm getting paid to do it. <laughs> Are you making, when you keep saying favorite play or favorite music, like you're telling the DJ, Hey, when I'm up there, like these are my jams, play these songs. Yes. So okay. like with Savannah's in particular, which was the club in Harrisburg, um, we had, when I was there, I think a rotation of three different DJs. Um, but we had like a little dancer card that had, you know, our stage name and then our favorite genres of music and like our three favorite songs type of thing. Um, and so they kind of got an idea, like depend. that's where it kind of like came at, like we could call up and request songs from the DJ. Um, but it also like one of the DJs in particular, um, was like he introduced me to a lot of music but he was phenomenal at like here's what the atmosphere in the club is right now here's what the atmosphere of the clientele is oh she's getting on stage i'm gonna play this song for her even though it's not on her list because it's gonna make her money if he liked you oh. <laughs> like if you're sitting there at lunch dancing for a bunch of state senators like nobody wants to hear ratchet hip-hop <laughs> like you're dancing for a bunch of like 50 and 60 year old white dudes like play some classic rock play something with a little country flair to it you know hit into that genre and that's where people would be like i don't understand like you don't dance to this this or that and i'm like that's not the clientele i'm getting paid by that's super interesting right like the and, and the awareness to match to make it be like, even though I'm the center of attention, it's not about me. It's about having everyone else feel like it's them. It's their show kind of a thing. Yep. 100%. Yeah. 
Yeah, is that like common knowledge kind of, or does it take people a while to figure that out? Because that the way um, you said it, it sounds so simple, but then like why be resistant and want to just play so ratchet hip hop? It's kind of like common sense. Um, it's called common sense, but it's not so common. Gotcha. Um, and when you say it to somebody, they're like, oh, that makes complete sense. But like, I mean, there's definitely some girls who are like, no, I'm going to dance to what I want to dance to. And I don't care what people want to listen to. Um, there's some girls like myself who picked up on it very quickly of like, I mean, I enjoy that music anyway, so it wasn't like a hard thing for me. Yeah. Um, but, and then there's some girls who like slowly start to see the trend. Um, but I mean, it's kind of one of those, like just a little bit of marketing knowledge, like know your target demographic. It's the same way. Like you'd get a girl who's like, I never see you talk to anybody under the age of 35. And I'm like, Cause I don't care how hot the dude is. Nobody under 35 has money in their wallet. Like, come on. If I'm going to sit on a guy's lap for a half an hour, I want to get paid and I want to get tipped big. And somebody under 35 probably isn't going to do that. Yeah. Right. You need that established professional. Yup. Huh. State senators, huh? Like hideout state senators or like known by their first name they're just fine with being in the club for lunch. I mean, there, so there's like no cell phones allowed on the floor. Um, but the club was literally right across the bridge from the state Senate building. <laughs> yeah. So they had like no qualms. There wasn't some like stupid weird back door and then like some dark table and VIP room. They were just like, out no, on the floor. I mean, cause like you, you come in, you pay your cover. I don't think there was a cover during the day or if there was, it was super cheap, but like they also had like a full kitchen in the back. So there were like different specials each day. Like there were salads and burgers. You could get a steak. I think for a while they ran like a taco Tuesday thing, um, which was just, I don't know something about taco Tuesday special, like in a strip club is just weird to me. <laughs> <laughs> the visual that's i mean yeah when you think of the hard taco shell it's just you, you just get so i'm just like so there was a marketing opportunity for that poster and you guys did not capitalize on it <laughs> that's so true so much can be done here people <laughs> oh my gosh i i can't believe that like the senators were like open about doing it. But maybe again, like that's just my whatever implicit bias coming out to be like, that would be harmful for them publicly to be seen going to a strip club. Well, and I think it's one of those two, like it was tucked off the path. It being like a gentleman's club, quote unquote, versus a strip club. Um, so you didn't have, you had a, a different type of clientele than just like your run of the mill strip club. Gotcha. Plus, like, during the day, like, it wasn't like it was super crowded. Like, average day shift, we'd have anywhere between, like, two and maybe 20 guys in the club until about, like, 5 p.m. Okay. Yeah. What Was it, is it weird if you, like, do you get up there and dance if nobody's around? Is it more awkward with, like, two people versus 20? <laughs> Um, so if like absolutely nobody was on the club in the club, we didn't have to get up and dance. If there was like even one person like sitting in the club, they would keep the rotation going. Right. Makes um, sense. and it was kind of one of those, like, you know, you, you'd take it as it was like some girls would like go up and just like 
literally walk circles around the pole and look like they were bored. Um, (laughs) If it was one of those where there was like one person in the club and like they clearly weren't paying attention or clearly weren't tipping or I just like didn't care. Like I'd get up and do like the shopping cart around the pole. Like I would do my grocery shop. I would like pantomime my grocery shopping. (laughs) And nine times out of 10, that would make the person like come up and be like, I love your attitude and like tip me. (laughs) That's hilarious. But yeah, no, I mean, if nobody was there, like we'd either practice stuff on the pole or just like sit around and chit chat with the bartenders. Do y'all like share moves? Like, cause now I'm thinking of basketball and like dudes or whatever, they know like a crossover or they have like a particular sham guy, whatever. And they take time with their peers to show them moves to be successful. Or is it like cat-like where they don't want to elevate you because you're worried about prime time positions, people giving you more attention, taking money out of their pocket kind of a vibe. So it was a little bit of both. I mean, that was kind of the unique thing. Like we had 75 girls on the roster. Wow. Um, Yeah. And obviously with 75 females working together, like there's a fair share of cattiness. Um, Side note, the really cool thing about that though, was that there might be drama and nonsense between us, but like heaven forbid a customer fucked with one of us. It didn't matter who hated who. (laughs) Like they were done. Um, So that was really, really cool. Um, But in terms of like sharing moves, um, like, for the most part, like, as long as you're not a, like, awful human being, like, people were more than happy to be like, yeah, here's how I do this, or here's how I do that. Like, I was, I never had any issues, but that's because I also, like, I'm a fairly gracious human being. And, like, there was even one, there's this one girl, this one song she danced to, and I was like, oh, like, this song is a vibe. I don't usually do hip-hop but it is a vibe and I might need to dance to it at some point. And like, there was a Friday night and I was like, Hey, um, Valerie, like, I know this is your song. You always dance to it. Like it's 11 PM. You can probably still get away playing it after 1 AM. Like, are you cool if I dance to it? And she was like, absolutely. But like, also thank you for asking. Um, So I think it's just one of those things, like, you know, be polite. Like if there's any doubt, like just communicate. Um, But there were definitely like fights over like, oh, she danced to my song or, oh, she stole my customer. Like, oh goodness. Like I just, I had no patience for that. I was there to make money first and make friends later. Yeah. I think, well, yeah, I don't don't know what I would do. Cause I've like, I've been a waiter and I do remember the like, the, oh, they're my regulars at Friday night at 5.30 and like, you know, that they always get iced tea and they like their salad without onions. And this other person yeah. wants like double butters for their bread, you know, like all the little shit. And then one Friday, they're in a different section and you're like, wait, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, you're always at table too. And they wave and they're like, oh, we just wanted to change the view. But really, you know, it was like, you just made some terrible joke last time and they no longer think you're cool or you like miss something. <laughs> and like you get kind of pissed at the waiter because you're like, fuck man, that was like 30% all the time, right? Like you just counted on it. Um, oh yeah. I feel like that would be 10 times more extreme because I feel like the stakes would be higher in a strip club or gentleman's club when there's just this dude that gets like passionate about a particular person. I could imagine them just throwing cash on cash on cash to make sure that they keep the uh, attention. Oh, for sure. No. And there were, there were definitely a couple, like we had a solid contingent of 
high rollers who would come through and I don't I don't know that I would ever consider like any of them like my primary regular but I never didn't do well with them (laughs) um mostly because it's like I mean as soon as one girl because girls can't keep their mouths shut about money like if I had somebody come in spending money on me like I'm not saying shit to anyone that's a good um but so like they'd figure it out and so like you'd have this swarm of girls around certain guys and I'm just like I'm not I'm not gonna go play pick me and I think like again because I didn't go after the 35 and under demographic like because I wasn't playing like the pick me role and I was like I'm gonna give you your space I probably ended up out earning any of those girls swarming around the guys because I was like yeah, I'll just wait until you're ready to come with me. Cool. Yeah, that's like a an actual tactic. And I forget, I, I was, it was a fucking economist's book about like sales tactics. And it's a, basically like a supply and demand thing, but like you are in demand if you're not with the crowd. And as soon as you're with others that are like you, your value drops. It's actually like an anti-competitive market because you're the you're the product being purchased. So it's not the buyer has all the power if there are six options, you know? Right. But you separating yourself is really smart because now it looks like all that's over there, which makes you even more of a commodity because there isn't so much around you. There's less competition. So you would be able to drive your price up. That's like a very basic economic principle. Which I didn't even know at the time. I was just like, I don't feel like dealing with this stupid petty bullshit like i'm gonna walk by i'm gonna do the nice little brush of your shoulder say hey it's great to see you again and then be on my way and then you're gonna make one of those girls walking around you come up and hand me a hundred dollar bill when i'm on stage it's cool Uh. those are my favorite like i mean it would happen to like there was two of my very best friends at the club and i Um, There was one guy who came in to see just the three of us. Like, he would not talk to any other girls. And, like, he'd always be like, well, I could hand her the money or I could give you the money to hand to her. And that's more fun for me to watch. But it was always funny when it was, like, the girls trying to, like, snake a customer when, like, the customer hands them the money to give to the girl. And they're just like, this bitch. Like, he only gave me $5 or he only gave me $20. Why is he giving me a $100 bill to hand to her? That's so petty. That is beyond petty. What a power play. Oh, it's hilarious. It was hilarious to watch. Was so is it more like, I don't know. Do you, do you make more money on stage? Do you make more money going around the floor? Is there a is there a preferred So it, so it depends on the club. Um some clubs are more stage centric, some clubs are more dance centric. Um during like day shifts, it definitely was more um, lucrative to be back in dances. Um, so like, for example, our stage sets were always two songs. Um, during the day, there was only one girl on stage. We had like a, the stage was like oblong, if you will. Um, the top stage had a 12 foot rotating pole and the bottom stage had a 14 foot stationary pole. So during the day, it was just one girl had full reign of the stage for two songs. Um, once it got busy, they'd have two girls. So like one on the bottom stage, then you'd move up to the top stage for your second song, continue that rotation. Okay. Um, but like our lap dances were $20 a song. Uh, the champagne room was 150 for the half hour. And then executive lounge was 450 an hour. So like 
obviously, yes, you'd have times when you'd make a buttload of money on stage, but you weren't, if you were making all of your money on stage, you were doing it wrong. Huh. Because, so like if, if, the, if the executive room's 450, how much of that goes club? How much of that goes you? Um, so it was, it depended on whether it was paid cash or credit card. Um, and I don't remember the splits for credit card, but so for the lap dances, it was, oh, maybe it was 25 a song and we got 20 or is it 20 a song and we got 15. Either way, we got 75% of the lap dance. Um, we got a hundred out of the 150 for the champagne room. And then for the executive lounge for the 450, I believe we got 250. So like, unless it was a group that wanted, cause like there was a little poll in the executive lounge as well. So unless it was like a group taking me up um i always push the champagne room i'm like look like we can spend an hour and a half in the champagne room for the same time same price you're going to spend an hour in the executive lounge and i'm going to get 50 dollars more of it <laughs> like i was very upfront with the like i was so straightforward with like here's exactly the split um and i definitely like would take advantage of guys being drunk on like friday and saturday nights and like make sure because the sign for the lap dance pricing was right outside the room but you could walk by it in such a way that it wasn't noticeable <laughs> and i made very good friends with the bouncer at the front of the lap dance room um so he wouldn't say anything about price or he would just ask how many songs but he knew that i would set kind of set my own prices oh, no shit oh yeah and that he as long as he didn't say anything that he would get a cut of it gotcha yeah, that's the that's the media aspect where I'm like, yeah, that makes total sense to me because I've seen that play out in like 40 movies, but I have no idea if it's real life. But like, that's my whole perception, right? Is like whatever the Jennifer Lopez movie was like two years ago, yeah. where I didn't even watch that. I need to watch that. Yeah, it was a real <laughs> interesting. Like what you're saying about the champagne room and stuff, and the dudes getting drunk. Like, I believe the basic premise was like when the dudes passed out, they just stole all the credit card information and then banked on the guy figuring out a way to cover up the bill so he wouldn't be embarrassed to his wife that he spent 10 grand at a strip club. Oh, yeah. See, I never went that far. Um, the only thing I ever, like, I mean, when we're talking about, like, I mean, there's certain clubs that let you set your own dance prices. Like, when I would inflate, like, lap dance prices, like, I mean, like, just, like, to $30 a song. So, you know, you'd be paying $10 extra a song. Um, I never, I'm sure there were girls who sniped wallets. I never did just cause I'm a big believer in integrity. Probably the only time I ever like lied to someone about something aside from like my name, <laughs> um, was this group had come up from Texas and bachelor party and the best man got super drunk, but he's like, I want to take you back to the champagne room. So we get back to the champagne room and he's thinking like there were going to be some extras involved. And that was the one thing I really liked about Savannah's is they were very strict on no extras. So I didn't have to worry about like some other girl giving a handy for like 50 extra bucks. Mm -hmm. um, and so like we got back and five minutes into the champagne room, he passes out. <laughs> and so I was like, cool. Like you ordered a bottle of champagne. So I'm sitting here like on this couch, legs draped across him, like drinking a glass of champagne because he had ordered a bottle. 
And then like the bouncer comes in after the hour was up because he bought two um, and like nudges him on the shoulder and he like doesn't quite wake up right away. And I was like, I'll get him up. Don't worry. And so like he starts to stir and I'm straddling his lap like in my schoolgirl costume and like pretended to redo his belt buckle. <laughs> and he just looks up at me with like those eyes when you put your three-year-old to bed after Disneyland. And he's just like, that was amazing. <laughs> like you just took a nap for an hour, but I'm sure it was an amazing nap. I didn't say that. I'm like, I'm just going to let him think whatever happens, happens. Oh, shit. <laughs> he was like, it really does go down in the champagne room. That's right. It. Yeah. Fuck. That was the song. Wasn't it? Wasn't there something stupid like, like there's no sex in the champagne room. Am I? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. God, that's hilarious. Dude, that's a, that's another good point that I hadn't thought about. Like the the range of extra availability and like an establishment being real upfront and real tight with yes and no to that, you know, or yeah. being loose with it. Um, did you ever like talk to management? Do you know why they were so serious about no extras? I mean, it's a huge, huge liability. Like that gets places shut down so quickly. The fines are massive. Um, I know there are some, like, there are some clubs that I have heard of that have the capital to pay the fines. And so they just look the other way. Um, which is honestly a lot of like what kept, what has kept me from going back and doing it again. Um, just cause like I had this pristine experience. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to find that anywhere else. Um, hmm. but yeah, like it was. I, I never asked management why, because I was like, this is completely fine by me. Like they were, there were girls who were fired because management found out they gave their cell phone numbers out to customers. Oh, wow. That, oh, cause then whatever, like you can prostitute yourself or you can go do exactly. Like cause parties. then it, yeah, then it goes as prostitution and such. I mean, like, just don't be a dumbass and management won't find out. Right. So how do they, do you remember like, what was the dumbass move? Like you're just talking about it in the open and management overhears, or you're like bragging um, about mean, how you're going to get this and girls get jealous and they just like tattletale. Essentially. Yeah. Like either somebody says something stupid or like somebody from management or like an employee, like sees you like texting, like giving your number to a customer or texting a customer. Um, or like, yeah, like somebody, you know, says something in the dressing room and somebody else in the dressing room doesn't like them or, you know, freaking early twenties girls, like friendships and relationships can change at the drop of a hat. And it's like, Oh yeah. You know, like somebody who knew that like you had somebody's number and then you guys aren't friends the next week. And now management knows. Gotcha. Yeah. That's, I, I, that's an interesting liability. And that would go back, I don't know, now I'm talking to you like you're a lawyer. But in my head, I'm thinking, like, would that go back on the club if the if a stripper is going to prostitute herself out? Does that make the club liable because that's where the connection happened? You know, like if... There's, if, prob there's probably something with, like, the financial paper trail. Yes, but see, I would think, like, the, the... God, this is so stupid speculation. But, like, this is what I enjoy about this. The thought exercise is, like... <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't the girl who prostituted herself out then have to actually like kick back money to the club for the client 
And then that would make the club liable. But if the money never gets back to the club, like you would have a lot of like plausible deniability to be like, yo, we didn't know she was handing out her number. You know, right. that's off premise. What are you coming to us for? That's her. Arrest, find her, arrest her, whatever. You know, I would feel like that's how it should go down. Like that wouldn't be a liability to the club. I imagine with like just one person, no, but like yeah, you right. start to add that up and then it becomes a pattern and then it becomes like, oh, is this trafficking? Are they running a prostitution ring? Um, and it's just, I think it was just easier for them to stay like super vigilant. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Or, it makes excuse sense. Me, super vigilant. <laughs> I can talk. <laughs> and I can dance. <laughs> oh, the pristine part's interesting to me too. Like, was that a huge concern when you were going early on is like, fuck man, I'm going to get like forced to blow a guy or forced to give hand jobs and stuff like that. Or were you kind of naive to being forced? And did you actually believe like I would just be dancing and that would be the only expectation from guys? No, I, I like, I knew that like, I knew there would be an expectation from customers. Um, but I think that was also like why I was comfortable with that establishment is that like, yeah, you know, guys are going to ask and guys are going to want things. Um, but that doesn't mean that like there's something that you have to do or that you're allowed to do on premise. Um, so that wasn't really a super concern of mine. Gotcha. Yeah. I, um, when you said something earlier about guys, um, the girls standing up for each other when a customer didn't act right, was it something like that? Like a dude trying to grope you or make you go to a region of his that you ain't trying to go to. And then you talk about that guy. Next time you see him, he gets ignored. Um, I mean, anything from like, if somebody was super rude, um, if somebody like tried to get, like tried to pull, tried to pull something in a dance, um, anything, anything really that was like disrespectful, like would get shut down. Rude. What's rude. <laughs> Is there etiquette? I guess like, the touch, right? I mean, like, you're not allowed to touch. Don't right? throw, don't throw fucking quarters at the stage. Um, <laughs> Are you serious? Who the fuck would do that? You would be surprised, dude. That just, it just, you're right about rude. Like how, like yo, I'm working here. You fucking peg me that with was, a nickel. That what was where, that was where I learned the trick of like snapping the quarter to throw it at people. <laughs> um, oh yeah, no, like that was not called for. Um, but no, just like stuff like that, or just if somebody like said something that was really out of line, um, or there were some guys who would try to stir up drama between the girls, like for the fun of it. Um, and we just, we shut it all down. That's interesting. Just speaking rude. Do dudes get like super derogatory or what's like typical rude talk you would hear or some of the rude talk you remember? Oh, goodness. Um, I didn't encounter a ton of it. I think just because like, I have a pretty good, I do a pretty good job of reading people. Um, but like, there were guys who would like make comments on like other girls' bodies, or like their appearances or their, you know, perceived lack of hygiene. Um, just like, you know, guys making stupid comments, or if like, you know, a mom had a C-section scar or something, and her thong like wasn't covering it, like, heaven forbid like guess what their bodies <laughs> but i think that was like that was one of the best things because like i was not i was not confident in my appearance when i was dancing um like i was not comfortable with my body 
Um, and it ended up being like an incredibly empowering experience. Like a lot of people are like, oh, you're getting taken advantage of. I'm like, you need to sit back for just a second because you realize the only thing getting taken advantage of in these clubs are wallets. Like I'm up here dancing to my favorite song and somebody's paying me to do it. There is nothing being taken advantage of here. Yeah, that it really is still like a weird the I'm sitting here thinking about it and I'm like, yeah, man, the fucking dudes are the mark. <laughs> like it's it's basically like dudes who are I guess it's entertaining and truth be told, like I've never I've legitimately never been to a strip club. Didn't go there for my bachelor party, didn't do anything like I don't know, just never been. I don't know if it's cuz I ha was raised by like a single mother. I I don't know why I've never been cool enough to, I, but I look at it and I was like, wait, so I'm going to have to pay, I'm going to drop hundreds of dollars to watch girls dance and then maybe have to pay a super extra bunch of money to maybe get a hand job or a blow job. Cause I definitely won't have enough cash to be able to afford like fucking, okay. Why are we doing, why don't we just go to like a bar so we can just pick up girls? Cause we're going to go to a strip club to be around other dudes, to look at girls? Like, are we gonna meet girls there that we have a chance of like hanging out with? Like it never just made sense to me as like a hookup, you know, like to oh, find. No, and like, I mean, there's there's a lot of people who share that view as well. It was definitely an interesting like blend of reasons for being there. Like you'd obviously have like your bachelor parties or like your guys who just turned 18 and they wanna see some titties. <laughs> um being in Pennsylvania we had a lot of like Amish on their little like excursion out into the real world oh. um and then like a lot of it was I mean yeah there were people there who were trying to hook up but a lot of it was just you know a different form of entertainment and or companionship huh yeah maybe I'm just cheap I'm like fuck man I'd go to Hooters and drink like a $2 Miller Lite and be like, all right, I'm happy. If I'm looking for companionship, I don't know if I'm trying to drop 20s to get like, to maybe cream my pants. You know, like that that's my best case scenario <laughs> in a nice place is yeah. like, hopefully I can rub one out while you're dancing on me. That sounds like fun. It's 8.30, let's go <laughs> home. You know, like, nah, man, it just... No, for sure. But, like, but no, I, like most of, like most of the guys who... I would consider like my regular customers, like a lot of it was, I mean, two of them, their wives had passed and they just weren't interested in mm. getting married again. And this was a way to like, not only have like that need for like companionship and conversation fulfilled, but also be able to kind of like compartmentalize it. Like you get all the parts you want of the, I mean, minus the sex, all the parts you want of the relationship without all the like, bullshit to deal with like at home that's interesting yeah and a little bit of the stimulation i i guess the only reason i'm like going on about that is because when you really think about it, it's like yeah when you choose to go there you're choosing to give your money to someone i don't think the workers it doesn't seem like an establishment like you're describing you're getting used now if you have a boss that's like has whatever a hand job quota where he's like constantly like, yo, my boys are coming in for their bachelor party. Let me get these three ladies go to the, what was the 450 an hour executive room? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, go to the executive room and um, let them have their way with you. You know, like that would be the exploitive part. But if that's not happening, like there's, I don't think there's an argument to be like, yes, they're being exploited. Yeah, no, they're really like, there really was not any exploitation, which was awesome. And fucking two grand, Jesus, dude, as a 21 year old, two grand a weekend, like that's life changing type money. Oh, dude, until I went back to grad school, like I legitimately did not budget. <laughs> like my rent was $400 a month. You know, gas was like 283 a gallon. <laughs> and like, what other expenses did I have at the time? Like, I just did not look at a budget ever. I just like stopped by PMC on my way home, deposited the cash in the ATM and like went to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Called it a day. Said that was hard work. Wake up and do it again next weekend. Oh yeah. Oh, did you have like a terrible experience you look back on and you just think like that motherfucker? Um, not like I really lucked out. Um, I didn't really have any bad experiences like there was one like probably the only like negative one um and I mean this was this was like dumb on my part um I went I was sitting with one of my regulars who has serious issues with alcohol um but I had left my purse sitting next to him instead of bringing it on stage with me and there was money missing out of it when I came back Uh... that was probably the only like not like close to bad experience. But again, like that was, that was dumb on my part for being like, yeah, I can trust this person. Yeah. Right. Like that, like that was just a stupid move on my part. And I take full accountability for that. Yeah. I, I feel like that's common in almost any environment. You get up and you like go to the bathroom at a bar or some shit and you leave your purse there. Oh yeah. Like just as common as that, that has nothing to do with like, Oh, cause it's a strip club. That's going to happen. I feel like that right. happened on a train, you know? Like, oh, exactly. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, what do you? So you have, you're carrying around a purse just because you're making like literally bags of money to shove in there, or are you um, like offering well, so mints? Like, to not like a, like I had a little wristlet. Okay. Um, and so like if I was on stage, like I had my garter like wherever else in my costume to and and whatever else I was wearing, um, to stick money in. Um, but I'd usually carry a wallet because I did not want to leave any of my money back in the dressing room, even if it was locked up in my locker. Um. I wanted it on me at all times, but the wristlet usually, usually held everything I needed it to hold. Gotcha. Why don't you uh, trust the locks? Because people can pick them. Oh. I mean, they're combination locks. Like, I don't know how should I see some of these girls could or couldn't be. So I was just like, I'm just going to keep my money in my eyesight at all times. Yeah. I mean, you're working for it, might as well. Did you have to practice much? Like when you went home or like, are you like dancing around? I'm thinking of like Footloose, I think. Where like <laughs> he's like going through his, or Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> you know, like getting his um, routine, right? Right. Oh my God. No, I think like, cause that was the nice part of, cause when I started at Savannah's, like I worked, my usual schedule, I do like Tuesday, Wednesday days. And then I pulled doubles Friday, Saturday. So like, during the day it was slower so I could like fuck around if I wanted to. So it was kind of one of those, like I kind of learned on the job. Gotcha. Um, Cause there wasn't like, yes, pole tricks look really cool, 
but like for the most part, it's not worth the effort. Like guys aren't going to tip you any more for doing some big fancy pole trick than they are for like laying on the stage and doing some like seductive legwork. Um, like the number of times I had guys be like, I'll give you $20 to climb to the top of the pole. And I'm like, I mean, obviously I'm going to take your money and go climb to the top of the pole, but like, I can do so much more than that. <laughs> I bet I get 30 by bending over and twerking. Here we go. Let's right? see what wins. <laughs> I'm like, or I can kneel on the stage with my back against the pole, pull my underwear out so that nobody can really see it and have you guys try to toss money and catch it in my underwear. That'll make $20 quicker that way. Did you have a go-to move? Like when you locked in on somebody and you were like, I know I'm about to get paid? Um, really just eye contact. Like, huh. I have very intense eye contact. And so like, it would be a very unspoken thing. But I also do that kind of like, okay, we've, like I catch it just a little bit, like, maybe on like the next turn around the pole, like make sure that I was right and then hold it a little longer the next time. And then like, if they didn't approach me when I was on the stage, I would like get off the stage. And if I didn't have to go do a dance right away, like go find them. Oh yeah. See, that's something I'm ignorant too, but that makes a lot of sense. So you're on stage and then you maybe make a connection. And then when you get off and you're going around the floor, you yeah. go, you, whatever, like offer them a drink or just strike up a conversation. Oh yeah. No, I'd, I'd go over and yeah. Like strike up a conversation. Um, like if it was, I mean, if it was like a super busy night, I might like push a dance pretty quickly. Um, but for the most part, like I definitely played like the long slow game, which like, could I have made more money hustling a different way? Maybe, but like it worked for me. So I change it. Gotcha. Now eye contact's interesting. Cause I think you're, I mean, there is something to that right? Like locking eyes and that super intimate connection. I bet you motherfuckers are like, out of all the people around here, she likes me or she's yep. into me. 100%. Yeah. 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 All of a sudden they're feeling special. Did you do any research? Like, were you Googling all sorts of different strip dances? Were you watching movies? Like, I, for some reason, Selma Hayek, when you said eye contact, I think um, Dust Till Dawn, are you familiar with that movie? Yes. Yeah, I think that was the first movie where I'm, I'm whatever, 16, 18, I think I was in my teens, and I wanted to be like, yo, I'm going to Mexico. Like, And then everybody gets killed, and you're like, why the fuck would I go to Mexico? But when Selma Hayek comes out, and like her eyes, the way like she just looks at those dudes as she's dancing, you're like, you're enthralled. That's it. Oh, yeah. No, I actually, I really didn't do a lot of, like, I didn't do a lot of out-of-club research. Um, when I was at work, like, I figured out which girls were making the most money, and I watched what they did. And I watched how they interacted um, and how they danced. And the common theme with being on stage, and you see this a lot, especially with, like, baby strippers, is they want to, like, shake all the things and move super fast and do a bunch of wiggling. But when you watch the girls who attract the high paying clientele and the girls who actually make money, it's very slow and sensual. Like you cannot walk too slow around the pole. Hmm. 
And like, I mean, there was one girl who she, she, she was easily top three earners at the club. She never got on the pole. Like she would walk around it and then she would do a little floor work and then she would just like get up and maybe like give her leg a stroke or like very slowly bend over and fix her shoe. And it was just all slow, long, sensual movements. Why do you think that's so effective? I think it's really intriguing. Um, And also like, I mean, the advantage of it on our side of things is you have full control of your body. Like if you're doing something super quick, there's only so much control you can maintain. (laughs) Um, But it also like, yeah, it's cool to watch somebody twerk. But like, eh, like, cool. Like she's good at twerking. I'm like, my interest is gone after three seconds. But like one of like the signature moves, like you've got somebody like laying on her side and she'll like extend the top leg and then like stick it up in the air. I realize my video is not working, so you can't see it, but just like with little (laughs) twists and maybe like flex and point her toe, maybe run a hand on the back of the leg. And you're like, I'm going to watch this entire thing. Because I still know, like, where her leg is going to go next. But, like, now this movement has commanded my attention. It's not repetitive. And I'm getting to appreciate all that's happening. Yeah, I mean, there's something, I feel like, innately in people that associate, like, a slowness with value, right? Like, whiskey Mm -hmm. wine slow cooked food (laughs) like it like how long does it take to build how long is your degree right oh my god you went to school for eight years that's a slow long grind we value that more and like it it just has to translate in some way to attraction with like a sensual sexual attraction i wonder if you just associate with like now if i'm gonna pay it's gonna last longer we're like in just a basic way. You're like, oh my God, she's like, she's so sporadic with her moves. If I even got her, it would just be quick and gone. Versus right. if I got her, it's going to be moments on moments. Right. You know, I wonder if that's part of it, like the mindset. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, this, I'm going to have to find some like Jordan Peterson sexual attraction <laughs> studies that like he's done, you know, like d- metacognitive as dudes leave clubs that he's interviewing because that would be some interesting shit to get in their, their heads to talk about like how they picked and what they valued, you know? Right. To try to match that up. How, like, was it weird seeing yourself naked dancing around? I imagine there's like mirrors and shit in there, right? Um, so there was like one mirror that you could see yourself from like the main stage. Um, and I mean, it's low lighting. So like everybody looks good in low lighting. Um, <laughs> but no, it'd be kind of one of those, like you kind of like catch yourself and be like, yeah, that's, I mean, like who doesn't look good in six inch heels? They make your legs look 10 miles long. <laughs> but no, it definitely like, it did a lot for like my confidence in myself. That's for sure. Yeah. How long? in like did you have the confidence after during the first job or were you still pretty nervous till you got to the prom i love how you said it's like who doesn't want to go to prom every night (laughs) right um i mean i was like i was a little nervous at the first one but like settled in pretty quickly like once i like once i like get a routine and like know what i'm doing 
to any extent, like I tend to get less nervous pretty quickly. Um, okay. Makes sense. But yeah. And so then how does the stripping and dancing turn into, I mean, fuck me. I guess I got to look it up. I don't want to misspeak. It was like kink.com and kink.com and streaming. Yep. Yeah. Like um, how does that happen? Because the kink.com was like <laughs> authentic bondage and real BDSM demystifying and celebrating alternative sexuality by providing the most authentic kinky videos. And I'm like, that seems so extra, but at least it's like pure profit for you and apparently legal, right? Yes. Um, so I, I actually got into, um, kink in general, like without the porn side of things, um, mostly like shibari. So like tying people up and suspending them. Um, more as an art form initially, and then as like something for also intimacy. Um, but no, with the streaming I had, I mean, like everybody and their mother, um, started in OnlyFans when the pandemic started. And I was like, I'm going to put out naked workout videos because people need workout videos and I'm a girl, so I might as well do them naked and make extra money. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And like, kind of let that go as like, I got involved with other things. So I was like, I don't, I just don't care enough to put the effort in to make this super lucrative. Cause like, if you want to actually like make money, money on OnlyFans, like it is your full-time job. Like you have to be marketing, you have to be interacting with people. Like it's a full-time thing. Hmm. Um, but then when I met my partner in crime, um, on new year's Eve, Uh, he actually streams and had an OnlyFans. And I was like, I really should get back into this. Like, what the fuck is stopping me? I have no reason not to. Um, And so I, like, started doing some more on my OnlyFans. And then we were down. I had met a photographer at a completely unrelated shoot. And we were discussing something, and rope bondage came up. And he was like, oh, well, like, you know I work for kink.com. And I was like, um, no. And so he was like, coming over, I'll give you a tour of the property because they just bought this property in Vegas. And so I was like, okay. And so like, we're going around, he's giving me a tour. He's telling me about their plans. And he's like, I know you'd be interested in like being crew and some behind the scenes work. Like, do you have any interest in being talent? And I was like, I thought this entire conversation was about me being talent. Like the other <laughs> things offended. are things I'm interested in, but like <laughs> put me in front of the camera. Um, and he was like, oh fuck. Well, awesome. And then um, when we were down in Arizona for bike week, um, they were down in Arizona for a shoot. And so we all got together at one of the bars and he introduced me to the CEO. Um, and then the person who was in charge of like their streaming team. And she was like, would you be interested in streaming? And I was like, sure, why not? She was like, wait, really? I was like, I mean, if I hate it, I just stop doing it. So like, why not? Um, and so, like, got that all set up and been, like, a month into that now. Um, and it actually, there's a lot of similarities to when I was dancing in that, like, one of probably my strongest traits dancing is that I can hold a conversation. Um, and so, like, yeah, you get the guys who, like, pop in and are, like, all sorts of just archaic caveman English just wanting to like bust a nut as quickly as possible. But like, even in just the month I've been on, I have four or five regulars that are like, no, we're going to like pop into exclusive where you're going to get paid 
you know, X number of dollars per minute. And like 40, like if not 45, like 75% of those sessions is like us talking. Hmm. That's, it's weird how it's, well, it shouldn't say weird, but to me it's weird how it's, upgraded the like one nine hundred numbers. I don't know if you remember those. Yeah. That was like a huge thing. Oh, yeah. Like you'd go to your boy's house and like at a party, you'd dial the one nine hundred number and you'd leave and like fuck them with the phone bill if you didn't like them. Right. Like that was the dick move. <laughs> and yes. it's like that's cool, but it seems like I I don't know what the pay scale was for the girls or for the people on there. But like this seems so much more empowering. I guess yes you're going through a website, so that would like be the club, right? So they do deserve their money for setting up the infrastructure. But at the same time, it seems like it's very empowering, like OnlyFans for you or the streaming for you. Like that's, I don't know, man, like it's, that's a cool little business opportunity. Oh, for sure. Like, and it's one of those, you know, I can pop on for two hours and make like anywhere between a hundred and 400 bucks. And like everything's within my boundaries. Like you'll get people who are like, oh, I want to see you do this. Or like, like this guy yesterday was like, oh, do you have any heels? And I was like, yeah, I have like 20 pairs of heels. He's like, can you grab a couple options for me and we'll go private and you can try them on. And I was like, we can go private and then I'll go grab them. Like, I'm not going to get up and go grab them for free. <laughs> what? And I mean, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's girls who would, but I'm like, until I actually know that there's money coming, I'm not getting off my ass. Like, no, like I'm going to hold tight to my boundaries. And it's funny because like people have watched, they're like, you're super bubbly and smiley, like until somebody says something stupid. And I'm like, it says right there on my page, like I don't tolerate disrespect. Hmm. Like you're, you're, you, you think that like by logging onto the site and paying that we're playing by your rules. No, no, we are playing by my rules. Yeah. See, I think, and I think like the, I think the nice part too is that like, I'm not in it for survival. Like I was literally rule... about to say that, man. Like you yeah. just are in such like a non-desperate position where you're like, right. motherfucker, I ain't getting up for you. Now you exactly. can pay and I'll get up. And it's like that right away, the power dynamic is you can say no to the possibility of losing money, which I guess then that's to go back to like the exploitation. Those are probably the people more likely to get exploited or those who are desperate in need for the cash. Exactly. Oh, yeah. No, survival sex work, definitely, like, I feel for those people because um, it can put you in a spot to compromise a lot of your boundaries. And I'm definitely very privileged to, like, not have to deal with that. So and is the advantage of like kink.com over only fans is that kink.com's like bringing you market where you don't have so, to do the marketing. Is that basically? So it's multifaceted. Um, obviously like for like when shooting for like an actual established company, like you get paid for the shoot. Um, I imagine also some level of royalties. I haven't like read through all of the legalities yet. But, like, the advantage of that is that, like, once I've got videos up there on an established site, that's going to drive traffic to, like, wait, I saw her in this porn, and I can go talk to her on stream, like, one-on-one, -on -one, or, like, I can go buy her other content on this page. Um, and so it'll definitely drive traffic that way. So it's Because, like, brand. I choose, like, 
with OnlyFans, like, if you really want to, like, have a lucrative page, like, you're doing a lot of promotion on your social media channels. And I have chosen not to do direct promotion of it on my social media channels. I'm not not open about it if somebody asks. I'm completely honest. I just... It's the same reason I use a stage name. Like, I don't want somebody to be able... For my parents' sake, I don't want somebody to be able to Google Stephanie Huntsman porn. And, like, that's what I told my mom when I told her about everything. Was that, like, here, like, just know this. Like, I have recognizable tattoos. I have a recognizable face. (laughs) I have people who are not in my life anymore that are not nice people. At some point, somebody is going to say something to somebody. Somebody is going to dox me. Somebody is going to out me. I'm not worried about that because it's not something that I'm afraid to own. I just simply for the fact that like out of respect for my parents don't want people to be able to Google Stephanie Huntsman porn. When, so, and I might be thinking the wrong thing now with this bondage and I'm real like, I mean, Pornhub. Okay. Right. Like playboy hustler, right? Like some real basic porn stuff, but there was this show, um, billions. Did you happen to catch billions? I have not. Okay. Yeah. I watch too much TV. I like the, when I talk to people like you who have real lives and do exciting things, I'm like, motherfucker, this is why you're on the couch at like Friday at eight o'clock. And this is why you do a podcast to just talk to people. Cause you got shit else going on with your teaching dad life. Um, but billions like the opening scene, like he's the district attorney of New York and he's going after like this insider trader guy. But the Uh twist with him is his wife is this like supreme psychologist, like this enhancer. So she's hired by the financial guy, Axelrod, to pump up his day traders to make sure they're confident, right? Like their ego's always going because I want you to be brave and bold and you're wolves and no doubting yourself and all. (laughs) Well, she's also like a dominatrix to her husband. And part of the subplot was like, he, this dude that's in power completely loves being dominated and like getting pissed on and fucking cigarette burns. And like, he needs to be a, like, be a bitch. And when you say bondage, I go to my visual of Chuck Rhodes in like the leather or in like police squad movies at like the old school 1980s dudes are dancing and they're like the village people bondage stuff. But I don't think of that as just porn. I feel like porn is basically penetration of some sort. I mean, am I porn is pretty much like anything. It's kind of like an umbrella for explicit content, whether there's penetration or not. Um, I mean, with kink, like the shoots we've been talking about um, are anything, I mean, I don't imagine there'll be just bondage. Like, I mean, we're going to do rope stuff, but there's going to be sex involved. Um, we've also talked about like forced orgasm stuff and other, like it's going to be full fledged porn. There's just going to be bondage involved, whether that's okay. rope, whether that's domination, whether that's latex, whether it's like impact. So like hitting people with things. Um, there's also some talk of like, me starting to train under one of their dominatrixes to eventually step into her shoes. Um, which like terrifies me and excites me at the same time. 
Why is that? Um, I think a little bit of it is that I know that I could be really good at it. Um, <laughs> but like, it also isn't necessarily like my, my preferred role in kink. Like I, I hard identify as a switch, which means that I top and bottom. So I give and receive. Um, but like when it comes to topping or doming, I definitely identify more on the service side of things where like, I'm looking to build you up. I'm looking to provide something for you versus like when people think of like a dominatrix, they think of somebody like tying somebody up, beating the shit out of them. I mean, both things I would do, but there's also like a degradation humiliation aspect to it, Yeah, which isn't necessary. I shouldn't say it isn't my style, but it isn't necessarily my style. Like it's not something that comes naturally to me because I don't want to like tear you all the way down. Yeah, that's funny. Unless you piss me off, and then I yeah. might like <laughs> you make you want to bury yourself. Yeah, dude, just like I've, again, not knowing you much, but being able to see you last time, like your facial expressions, your countenance, I'm like, you're just such a genuinely happy person. Like you have a natural smile that doesn't seem fake or forced in any way. It seems like you're the girl that, like, when you smile, it's like you're genuinely being tickled, and you can't control the smile. Kind of right. happiness. Which is awesome. And I hadn't thought about like, damn, yeah. And then all of a sudden, if it's not in you to be degrading towards someone, like, I just want to crush your soul. It's like, yeah, but I have to go to sleep at night. I don't like being Right. And it's like, I mean, like with like, granted with like something that's being filmed, it's not going to be as like hyper personal. Yeah. Um, With like degradation scenes in like the actual like, BDSM kink world, they can get very, very heavy. Um, and I mean, you have aftercare for that reason. But oh, really? Like, oh, yeah. Like, if you're going to tear somebody down, you have to be prepared to, like, deal with the aftermath and check in and have those conversations. Um, like, that's, like, anytime you go to do, so, like, any interaction in kink, we call a scene. Um, and before any scene obviously consent is gained and there's a negotiation. So you discuss hard limits, soft limits, boundaries, you know, what you want to gain from the scene, maybe how you want it to go. Um, if I'm doing rope or like anything where like, I need to know their like physical past health history, I'll ask that. Um, and then just like, even within those hard and soft limits and boundaries, like are there things you do or don't want me to say or are there words that are triggering to you? Because if like the intent of the scene is not to trigger you, then obviously I don't want to do something that's going to. Hmm. Um, but so that's where like a degradation or a humiliation scene would be like, what do you want to focus on? Where do you want me to draw the line? How, like, what does your aftercare look like? Like when I come down from rope, I want a bottle of water, some electrolytes, and I want to cuddle. And that's it. <laughs> But, like, obviously for something like a degradation or humiliation scene, like, there might need to be, like, a lot of reassurance of, like, you know, yes, these were the things that were said, but, like, here's who you are, like, here's how you are as a person I respect about you. Maybe they want a Snickers bar. Um, And then also being prepared to check in in the coming days as everything continues to process. 
it's the come and I, I suck at saying the word compartmentalize uh-huh. and I forget how to whatever part of speech I would need to put that word in but it like the amount of shit that you would have to compartmentalize to put on such an extreme scene for the client like right for for the market versus how you are as a person it, that man I'm I'm just sitting here baffled with how to balance that oh for sure it almost sounds like it almost seems like a detective like what i'm thinking of is a homicide detective or like a a child's cancer doctor that just deals with these extremes of life that people try to avoid at all costs for the most part right and but if that's your daily is being around those extremes i mean it it's almost like the the psyche wasn't meant to because that's why they're extremes you can't redline all the time 100 percent, no and that's like that's definitely like a hot button topic in the kink community of like yes we focus on all this aftercare for the bottoms and scenes but like are the tops taking care of themselves do they have resources to reach out to to like process like what they've done can you define tops, bottoms? Because all I'm thinking is like person on the bottom getting fucked, person on top doing the fucking, or am I wrong about that? Exactly. So yeah, okay. so the top is the person <laughs> administering whatever it is. The bottom is the person okay. receiving it. So like you'll hear, like most people just like use, most people outside of kink use dom and top interchangeably and sub and bottom interchangeably. Okay. Um, but that's not necessarily the case. Like DS refers to a specific type of play that involves power exchange and technically a dom could be a bottom um but yeah so topping is the person giving bottom is the person receiving that's interesting so yeah the yeah because i you would i guess assume like victim is the person getting the bad end but then you also got to remember that somebody had to be the villain and evil enough or i shouldn't say evil i don't know if that's judgy but i feel like i don't know if evil is right or wrong i don't mean to be like mean or disrespectful but whatever the adjective is that you want to describe the giver giving if that doesn't come naturally that could make that could be just as scarring as getting that emotion and energy yeah i hadn't thought of that did i lose you offend you i'm here oh sorry no not offended at all gotcha um man i and Something else that I hadn't thought about was the, um, the mental health. Like, I wonder, does that come from like liability issues? Does that come from just wanting to retain quality employees <laughs> with all these options like OnlyFans? Like, hey, we're going to actually have to offer some perks to keep people here. Well, and I mean, it's one of those, I mean, unfortunately, like mental health still, the burden still falls heavily on each individual. Um, but like when you get companies that care, I mean, that was like one of the big draws for kink.com for me is that like, they take care of their people. Um, and so like, there are resources there, there are a bunch there, there are some groups as well that like specialize in resources for sex workers. Um, and that actually is going to be once my partner in crime and I's company, grows a little bit like we have a whole nonprofit side of it that we want to focus on um and one of my targeted 
focuses within that nonprofit is going to be resources for sex workers. Um, Because the problem is a lot of the charities out there that say they're looking to help sex workers are really just like Christian groups in disguise trying to shame people into getting out of sex work Mm. versus like actually providing them the resources they need if they want to get out. Awesome. But also the resources they need if they want to stay in. Yeah. It's again, just me being a lame watching TV. There was another really good documentary. I want to say it was called Craigslist. But basically these girls from across the country would answer a Craigslist ad and they would think they're going to like make good money doing porn. And then what happens is after one or two movies, they slowly get down to the point where they're having to take these bondage or like be abused. And they like literally would get black eyes or fucking choked out. And they never had any of those hard boundaries. And I think you had said soft boundaries. I don't know if they were established. I didn't see any being established on camera. The aftermath of it was insane to me because these, these ladies would basically get like a six month career where their first movie would pay them a grand and they feel like, Oh my God, this is great. And by the end they got four dudes just punt, like literally physically punching, like treating them like punching bags while it looks like they're gang raping them and it does not seem a ton consensual. And then they walk out with like $25 and they go back to the house and they're just cuddling. They're just alone in a dark room and nobody knows how to help them. And I'm like, whoa, that's oh yeah. now you're 19. And to you, like, I don't know how you come back from that without some real mental health help. So it's not right. like, I guess all that to be like, it seems if porn's such a big industry, I've not heard of people speak about the mental health of people getting out of porn or people who feel like they've made a mistake and got like screwed over in the porn industry and got played and like, you need help. And probably only a certain amount of people can actually connect with those people who need that help. Oh, 100%. Yeah, that's it, it, it's nice to hear that you're um, thinking about doing that um, as a nonprofit. Can, I don't know, this might be a stupid question too. Deciding like to deal with penetration, deciding to get fucked and like start that, was that a big choice for you? easy choice for you? What was that choice Um, like? (laughs) It was, I mean, it's a no brainer for me. Like I am a very sex positive person anyway. Um, and like, I mean, when I told, when I told my mom about everything back in April, um, so I was like, by the way, like, here's what's going to be happening. Um, she was actually really funny with the camp. Like, cause I obviously like opened up with the camming and streaming first. And I was like, so like, this is what I've been doing just so you know, um, and she's like, wait, what? And I was like, mom, I'm going to masturbate anyway. I might as well get paid for it. And she was like, that's hilarious. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it was kind of like the same way with like sex on camera. I'm like, I'm going to have sex anyway. Like now I get to have sex with hot people and get paid for it. Like, okay. Um, and her, honestly, like her only concern was just that like I was safe and that I was completely doing it of my own free will. And I was like, no, no, I am 100% safe. I have no concerns about my safety. This is something I want to do. And yeah. And she was like, all right, this was not the career path I envisioned for you. And I was like, I'm actually going to stop you right there. Um, Because if I recall, you and dad raised us to follow our passions and do what makes us happy. 
<laughs> and I'm Checkmate. doing the thing. It might not be the job you thought I was going to be doing that, but I'm doing the thing. Yeah, right. No, yeah, I mean, that's that's one of those checkmate sayings where you're like, yeah, I guess we did always tell you that. Find your passion, pursue yep. it, be the She's best. like, I don't really know how we're going to drop this one on your father. And I was like, I'm going to let you figure that out, but oh. I at least wanted you to know because I have a vindictive, I have a couple of vindictive people who are no longer in my life that I can think of one, possibly two in particular, that the moment they stumble across any video I'm in, will email the videos to my parents with a, hey, look what I saw your daughter doing. Wow. And the best part is going to be my mom's response. will just be like, oh, I know. Yeah. Did you... <laughs> Please subscribe. <laughs> right. So glad you paid for that. Thank you for supporting my daughter. So you still don't know if your dad knows, huh? Or do he does you... not know yet. Oh, man. How, how do you feel about this? Um... I mean, like the whole reason I didn't get into it earlier was because I was very like he, neither of them knew when I was stripping. Um, like he thought I was bartending at the gentleman's club. Um, and so like for the longest time, there was a lot of like, no, I couldn't do this because what would my dad think? And I think I just kind of have gotten to the point where I'm like, this is who I am as a person. My parents love me. And the potential, the thought of him potentially being disappointed at what I've chosen to do is not something that bothers me any longer because it's what I want to do. So why not tell him? Um, I mean, I'm going to eventually. They're just like that particular weekend. There wasn't a good time. Like it had come up very, it had come up very naturally in conversation with my mom. Um, and I'm not quite sure. Like, I think it'll just come up because I'll pro I'll have to ask him some follow up questions. I think my like ease in is going to be some follow up questions about like getting my charity established and be like, by the way, um, here's why. I mean, like I would establish the charity anyway, but like here's another driving factor, like. Your daughter's going to be having sex on camera for money. <laughs> Please don't go to these sites, Dad. <laughs> Block them. Here's a couple you don't want to fucking stumble across. Right? Oh, my God. <laughs> like, stick to the porn that you had downloaded on your computer when I was in elementary school. Jesus, dude. I... That would be like a sat like a twisted Saturday Night Live skit where like you're right there and you're climaxing and then you like the angle changes and you're like, wait, Stephanie? Oh, <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure that's I I don't know I I don't know what he watches, but like I'm pretty sure it's not what he watches. Oh my god, I don't know. That would be. I don't know if my mom would know. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Maybe that's the, maybe that's the more interesting question. <laughs> like, right. What's, what's her browser history? Oh, Jesus. So, have you actually like had sex on camera yet? Um, not for, not for kink.com. Okay. <laughs> well, cause actually not in, not in a way that's been monetized yet. Um, my partner in crime and I have been talking about it. We just haven't gotten around to it. Um, but like, I mean, we were all, we all had cell phones in college, so. Oh, no shit. Got down like that. I'm sure there's a video or two floating around somewhere. 
like intentional or do you think like did you record yourself and not tell the people or no like it would be like whoever I was with recorded and like whether they decided to share that or keep it to themselves gotcha so were you always kind of like an exhibitionist like that like did you bring that up and that made it better for you made sex better Um, I mean like I never asked anybody to like film it but I never like said no if somebody asked me about filming it um but no I definitely have a very like I've been performing since I was like three years old so like definitely a strong natural exhibitionist streak. I am quickly realizing how terrible my community college experience was. <laughs> like I did not live life. I just fuck, or maybe I am just such a little bitch. I am just not the risk taker to like bring. I feel like that would be, I'd be so worried about it being a deal breaker. I'd be like, oh damn, let me get back on watch another documentary. <laughs> Like, <laughs> she'd leave me get pissed. I'm like, oh, let me catch season three of whatever. Season four of Stranger Things is up. That's cool. I'll do that instead. Like, that. that's terrible. <laughs> um, I, I'm curious about, and if you haven't yet, I'm almost wondering about, like, the sensation, the passion, the connection. Because if you're doing it for pleasure, right? Like, to me, not to be too gender, gender biased, too manny, but it's like, it always seems like dudes are the ones that just fuck for pleasure and women have sex. Like dudes fuck, women make love kind of a thing. And- um, so I definitely do both. Um, <laughs> I'm definitely, I, I'm, I'm certainly like intrigued to see like, particularly if like for whoever I get matched up with, like there isn't chemistry, um, how that'll go. Um, but like at the same time, it was actually really interesting. I have a friend of mine who I've known for Oh God, six years now. Um, and we'd never broached the subject. And then like a couple months ago, like he was like, Hey, I'm in town. Um, and I'd like posted some post on Instagram that like was very flattering of my ass. And he was like, I like made a comment about my ass and like something else. And I was like, Oh, okay. And like the conversation just progressed. And he was like, what are you doing tomorrow over lunch? I was like, nothing. He's like, want to fuck? And I was like, you are a very good looking dude. I have enjoyed my interactions with you thus far. Like, sure. Why not? And so he came over, we hooked up and it was really interesting because it's the first time I've ever had sex with anyone who like I was physically attracted to. We have a good friendship, but there was just like nothing emotionally, which was really weird to me, but I'm like, okay, maybe this is what porn's going to be like. (laughs) That's interesting. The nothing. I mean, and there's like, don't get me wrong. Like, obviously, like I prefer to have like all of like the physical, mental, emotional connection all there. But like, it's not a deal breaker to me to like not necessarily have the emotional connection there. Yeah, because yeah, man, it's it's so anti right wing and Christian, right? To be like, why well, can't fucking just be a really good workout? A pleasurable right? workout, like it, 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 an elevated heart rate, gonna work on my it flexibility. It has so many health benefits. All, of, <laughs> my, all of the endorphins, yeah, the dopamine. No doubt, great nap afterwards. Maybe that's just me. Right? But oh no, <laughs> but I, like, I pass the fuck out. But then there's that second, like, element of the spirituality essence of sex, right? Like, I guess that would be the sticking point. Is I don't know if it's like biblical. I, I'm, I'm almost positive it's biblical, but I'm trying to think of like a 
deeper way to be like the connection of two bodies, merging two bodies into one should be more than just exercise. And if it, but like then in my head, I'm like, well, if that's the case, like why does it feel so fucking good with basically everybody, right? Like sex feels good with a lot of people. If I was meant to only have it with one person, wouldn't I just find that one person that makes it feel really good? And then you're like, okay, man, that's it. And then like, you go try something else. You're like, oh my God, this is horrible. It's only the one spot that I feel good in. And that spot is whoever, Trish. But like that doesn't doesn't seem to happen. And that's where I get caught right. up in like the right wing argument. I get the moral argument, right? Like some people can believe, hey man, it's just anti-morality for me. And I get that. But I guess I try to go like logical with the spiritual combining of like two spirits, two souls. And I'm like, aren't we like, basically we're bred to, like that's what organisms do. They live, they eat and they fuck. Like that's their purpose is to reproduce. That's yeah. what makes you an organism. Absolutely. And I guess you make it pleasurable because evolutionary speaking, it makes you more likely to do it so that your genes right. go on. <laughs> like that's how I just think about it sometimes. Oh no, absolutely. But no, I mean, it's the same way that like anybody who's been with more than one person knows, like you have different connections with different people and you have different connections with that same person, like depending on what's going on. Like there have definitely been instances where it was purely lustful, like let's do the thing. And then there have been people that I like have connected otherworldly with. Hmm. And I mean, I'm sure that will definitely be like perceptible on camera when I'm like hooking up with somebody that it's like very clear when I'm fucking somebody, let's just say what it is when I'm fucking somebody that it's like, no, this was planned versus like, when I end up fucking somebody that I'm like actually really connected with on camera, like it's going to be perceptible. Like there's no way you're not going to notice it. Um, but like still like being super sex positive, like sex is sex and like there's different reasons to have it. Do you feel you'll ever be like a jealous type? Like you'll have a connection with some person and then you'll look over and it's like, all right, man, take two with, Whoever, Rhonda, go. Um, so the perk of that is that I don't remember. If, I don't think we actually got into this last last time. Um, so I'm polyamorous, which so I'm non-monogamous. Um, and I, once upon a time, was absolutely the jealous type. Oh. Um, but as I transitioned into the non-monogamy, that involves confronting a lot of the jealousy and figuring out what makes that kind of creep up and so like anytime like any jealous feelings come up whether it's like with a friend or a partner or a coworker or whatever like I sit there and I kind of poke at it to figure out like what's actually driving it and what I need to communicate to make it go away that seems like so much emotional discipline and self-control it's it seems it's a irregular. lot it's a lot of emotional leg it is a lot of legwork like my I finally like stepped into non-monogamy in 2018 and like the amount of like self-discovery and introspection and legwork that has gone into the past four years is unbelievable. Was it one of those dickheads that might email your dad a porn video that got you to the 2018 thing where you were like, jealousy is toxic no, um, actually, my um, former partner and I, um, we split up 
right after the new year. Um, we were together for three years, but when we met, um, he was engaged. They were in a non-monogamous relationship. Um, and like, he told me all of this before we went on our first date, like again, consent. Um, and I was like, Hey, like I've had some exposure to non-monogamy before. Um, it wasn't exposure that I really enjoyed just because of that particular relationship structure. Um, but I'm not necessarily opposed to it. I also don't know if it's going to be for me. So like, I'm willing to give it a go. Worst case scenario, we can just be friends. And he was like, that's totally fair. Um, and so as we navigated that, um, as I started to do a lot more introspection, it actually later in 20, so like August, September, 2018, um, I realized that for me, non-monogamy isn't a choice. Um, so I had, I mean, I don't know what it feels like to come out as gay, but I think I do because like when it like, when I finally started to understand like ethical non-monogamy and polyamory, I was like, this isn't, this isn't something I'm choosing to do. Like this actually feels like a part of me that has been hidden and not allowed to come out. And this resonates so deeply with my soul that it like, it's not a choice for me. Like it is part of who I am. And so then it was just navigating around a lot of, a lot of conditioning of, cause I mean, we're like pretty much a freaking puritanical monogamous society and there's so much, so much mononormative conditioning Dude. and to like unravel all of that is a process. Well, the guy, like the first guy you're like, he was engaged. I'm like, well, if you're in a non-monogamous relationship, are there like tax benefits? Like, are you trying to get on someone's insurance? Is that why you're engaged to get married? Well, I mean, they were like, they were engaged. Um, they had just, there were certain needs. Like some people do non-monogamy because there's certain needs their partner can't meet. And honestly, like if you sit there and think about it and like, it's really irrational the idea that one person on this planet can be everything we need them to be. Hmm. Like that is wildly irrational. You have two parents. Like even if one is out of the picture, like it took two people to create you. Like how can we expect one person to fulfill all of our needs all of the time? Hmm. Um, and so, I mean, for me, my draw to it was I really enjoy organic connection and with monogamy, like if you're in a relationship, like, oh, I'm talking to this person, there's kind of like that line there of like, this is as far as this relationship can go. Because like, after we cross this point, then it's cheating. Um, and I hate, I didn't do well with limiting my relationships, platonic or otherwise. And with polyamory, like I get as, my big, like the big thing with any relationship, monogamous, polyamorous, it doesn't matter, is communication. But obviously when you have more than two people involved, that need for communication skyrockets. And so for me, it's that ability to like, hey, if like I have this spark with this person or I want to explore this connection deeper, I can see where it goes organically rather than having to put it in a box and be like, here's where this stops. Yeah, you got to pick one or the other, right? Yeah, that's, man, so much trust. I, what I'm thinking is, is the jealousy spurning, does the jealousy come from the like physical 
I'm not good enough for you. You've got to seek. In my case, it'd be like, dude, you got to go get some better dick somewhere else. Like I, I, I can't, my, my, my tongue ain't good enough for you. Or is it more like emotional? I don't make you laugh enough. I don't make you think enough. I don't notice so, you enough. You know, like I feel like I mean, are those well, basically that, the two avenues where you got to figure out, oh, I'm really emotionally connected to this person. So I want to be polyamorous so that I can have a relationship that's intimate in an emotional way with a person. Is that part of it or am I overthinking that? So I try to avoid the conversation around enough hmm. because I don't like the sentiment, the energy it creates when somebody thinks they're not enough. And that's what a lot of people like when they're stepping into polyamory or when they're like fighting against it or like want somebody polyamorous to be monogamous with them, like, Oh, I'm going to be enough for you. And it's like, it's not a question of whether you are or aren't enough. Like this is not a question of your worth of your abilities as a person. This is simply me having connections with multiple people and choosing to explore those connections. And so for me, it's not that I'm like, I mean, there are some people who definitely like form their polyamorous relationships, like a puzzle piece, like this person gives me this and this person gives me that. And when I put the whole puzzle together, like here's my picture. Um, yeah, I think that's how and I was that's, like picturing it. Right. And I mean, it, the compartmentalization there works very well. Yeah when you've been conditioned in monogamy because it's boundaries, right? Like it, it's right. the boundary. It's not flowing. And, that's, and a lot of, and a lot of couples, especially like opening up their relationship, like that's how it is. It's like, Oh, you know, we're going to open our relationship, but like, you're not allowed to get emotionally involved. It just has to be sex. And I'm like, <laughs> let me know how that works out for you. <laughs> Good fucking luck. Um, and I mean, there's people who can do that. Absolutely. For me, that's not something I'm interested in. Yes. Are there people who I'm going to have no interest in past having sex? Absolutely. That's life. Um, but there's a lot of overlap when I do have multiple people in my life. There's a lot of overlap between their personalities and what I get out of those relationships. So it's not like cut hard lines between each of them. Man, that you're right about the conditioning, and I'm... oh, it's so it's it's so deep. Like I thought, I thought I'd navigated it really well, um, because for me, like my my jealousy, my insecurity in relationship is tempered by that security within a relationship. So that secure attachment, like once I feel that is there, and once it's reinforced that it's there, I'm able to deal with anything that comes up. Um, and I was fortunate to be able to develop that with my former partner. And so like when he was, when he started going on dates, um, I mean, a, I actually really enjoyed like the time alone at home. <laughs> I was like, yes, go on all the dates, be out of the house. Um, but like, there's, there's a lot of talk about this feeling compersion, which is just that, like, it's the opposite of jealousy. Like you're going out and I'm genuinely excited for you and what you're going to experience. Um, and so, like, I settled into that very easily. Like, my compersion towards him and his dates and relationships was, like, I thought I had non-monogamy figured out. And then I met somebody that I connected with as much as I connected with him, which wasn't something that I had encountered for the first two years of our relationship. 
And when I tell you I did not have non-monogamy figured out, oh, there came all of the conditioning, all of the monogamous conditioning right back out like floodgates. I had so much guilt around the level of the connection that I had developed with this other person. And it took me like a solid week to even be able to talk to my partner about it. Cause I just, I couldn't wrap my head around it. Like I just, I felt so guilty and it was like, but why are you feeling guilty? Like, this is exactly what this is all about. Um, and so we eventually, like, we talked through that. He was like, why didn't you tell me? And I was like, I didn't know what to tell myself, let alone what to say to you. Um, but that was definitely one that like rocked me to my core. Um, did you figure out or like pinpoint anything particular about the guilt? Like, I think some of it was just a lot of the conditioning of like having been in monogamous relationships in the past and like, no, you're with this person. You can't have feelings for another person. So like the idea that like, you can't be in love with someone and like, if you love somebody, that means you're not in love with somebody else. And like one of the examples I always use when people are like, Oh, but like what? I'm like, how many family members do you have that you love? Yeah. Right. Cause I guarantee it's more than one. Do you, just because you love your mom doesn't mean you love your sister any less. No. Yeah. Like there's not a finite amount of love to that, be given and received. That's a really interesting way to look at it because I mean, I, I had not thought about it, but just as the dad, not only have one child, but I've always heard like pick your favorite kid. And it's like, nah, man, you love each kid in their own way. Right. Like you, you don't want to pick a kid. That's what most people say. Maybe secretly they do have a favorite that they vibe with, but it's probably more like, personality like oh yeah my this one kid's really into football and i'm into football the other artsy kid eh, i love him but whatever but like i think you still love him so like why wouldn't that apply to a just another relationship in life that may or may not involve sex yeah you know why can't you take that same kind of spiritual connection this emotion the charge of love and um have multiple I think it does come down to a morality aspect that you're you're taught, especially in, I guess, America, Judeo-Christian, to like honor the one God, honor the one wife. Catholicism, yeah. maybe? Yeah, that's that's right. an interesting comparison to connect it to um, family. Is there, and if, if you ever come to Delaware, um, feel free to slap me because I don't mean this in a stupid way, but like is, <laughs> is, is part of like the pressure to join the two partners it, it is like no. part of this to be so like, for, Hey, we all come together in this. I don't even know what it would be called or orgy. So, I mean, <laughs> so, I mean, there are like, there are definitely people who operate out there. Like there are triads where it's like three people in them. Like there are definitely like structures where that is the intention. Um, for me, I operate everything as single one-on-one -on -one interpersonal relationships. Okay. If it happens that like energies align and things happen, awesome. But that's not, my intention is just to foster those individual relationships. That's just, it, I, I got anxious right now just thinking about juggling, making sure two people feel loved by me. Like That's I felt overwhelmed fair. for you, like putting myself in your situation. 
no, that's entirely fair. I mean, and that's where like it comes down to communication and right. like knowing how your partners want to be communicated with and like knowing what their needs are, knowing what their love languages are, knowing like, hey, like, do you need my red receipts on on your texts? Like little things. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just it all comes down to communication and making sure that like everybody is able to communicate their intentions and their boundaries and their needs. Yeah, I man, you're so well. So I feel like you're destined to be some college professor somewhere, man. <laughs> like Maybe you, I'll do TED talks. You don't think? I mean, like, it, do TED talks get that radical? I feel like I don't know if this is radical or not. It's the first time I've had like a in-depth conversation. Think what you will about my social circles um, on this topic, <laughs> but like, do TED talks get this? I, I want to say radical. I mean, I'm sure they could. I feel like they I don't know should. that I could do the whole college professor thing. Like, I could maybe like guest lecture, but like, dude, there's got to be a course, man. If fucking Harry Potter and Tupac are courses, there's got to right? be some sort of like psychological, societal, sociology oh, no doubt. course. Like a like this is some two three hundred level. Hey, you know, have you ever actually analyzed the modern family? hierarchy and its structure and then you just explore all these options from there and like you even get into just whatever like biological aspects of different animals and like because that's one of the interesting things when you talk about people it's like yeah we think we're so fucking special because we like talk to ourselves what if dolphins clown us just like we clown dolphins and right. so it we base a lot of our what is right on what we can observe in other animals with similar characteristics and like, I think that's part of this too. Like, it's super interesting to be like, how many mates does a typical orangutan have? Right. And then you just like watch them. And you're like, oh, oh my, my goodness. God, they... So a great, a great book on that actually funny. Cause you brought up orangutans. Cause that's like, that's the one that they always want to compare humans to. Um, there's actually a lot more similarities between humans and bonobo monkeys bonobo. and bonobo monkeys are non-monogamous, but the book is called sex at dawn. And I highly recommend it. Sex at dawn. What'd you take yeah, away it's from like, it? Um, it was just a really interesting, like kind of looking at like evolutionary sexual biology type of thing. And like, there's always this c comparison of like humans to like chimpanzees or orangutans. But like, really when you look at like healthy social structures, um, bonobo monkeys actually have much like healthier social structures. Yeah, fucking chimpanzees are some like aggressive fucks, yeah. man. It's pure brute. Yep. Like it's a fucking totalitarian dictatorship. Yep. And you got to like get a little posse and fucking overthrow the government every yep. when the dude's aging. <laughs> and you're like, that's what we want to like. That doesn't seem like peaceful transition of power to me. No, no. And it, but it, it like, it really like delved in. It was a really interesting read. I've never heard of a bonobo monkey. I'm like Googling it right now. I hadn't, I hadn't either until I read the book. Well, actually listened to it on audiobook, but. I, I feel like most people, when they say read now, they mean that. Oh, I mean, I do really enjoy like picking up an actual physical book. Yeah. Um, yeah, but but no, seems... I was traveling a ton for work at the time. So like audiobooks were super convenient. For me, they just seem more 
efficient. Like if I go for a jog, I'm like, yeah, I could go for a jog and say I've read A Tale of Two Cities. So let's do that, <laughs> you know? Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, so Bonobo is a great ape relative of chimpanzee. It actually looks like a monkey that I've seen in um, Planet of the Apes. So I feel like it's a fairly common looking monkey. I don't know if it was Caesar or not, but huh. Sex at dawn. So do they like wake up? Was that part of it? Like they just wake up and like enjoy some like morning sex and then get about their day? Um, I think it, I think it more like looking at like sex at the dawn of evolution. Oh, uh, so yeah. That's my primate brain. Just making it all simple. <laughs> um, Stephanie, man, thank you. I, um, I'm super, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed the perspective that you made me aware of and had me like think through, which is Absolutely. again, kind of the point that I go for with the pod is just being open and almost like challenging your own. And, and I, that's what I really appreciate from you is you're, you're so gracious as I'm thinking out loud about shit and like admitting like, Oh, that made me cringe. And then I'm like, why did that make me cringe? And you aren't like, hang up on this dumb motherfucker. Like you were like, no, yeah, that makes sense that you would cringe, but Hey, think about it this way. And that's where I get to the college professor for you, man. Like you just, your interaction and your openness to people challenging their thoughts real time in front of you. Um, it, 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 to me, it's a skill. It, you're oh, you're you. good at it, man. I really appreciate you um, putting up with it. And uh, I was, I don't know, I was, I found this super insightful. Yay. All right, man. Well, enjoy your night. Oh, is there, um, actually, is there, before we go, is there anything we didn't get into that you wanted to get into or bring up? I think we got it all. Cool, man. All right. Well, whatever party DJ playlist thing you're getting into, man, enjoy the hell out of it. <laughs> and, um, Thank you. I really appreciate your time, man. Have a good night. Yeah, you as well. Bye. Thanks to Andre Psyche for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Search up Andre Psyche on social media. Give him a follow just for the fuck of it. Dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know today's guest or just want to support this upstart podcast, go to our Patreon. For as little as $2 a month, your donation will help with all the costs associated with producing the Getting to Know You pod. Don't forget the three free ways to support the pod. One, subscribe to the Getting to Know You pod. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter. Instagram, Facebook, three, go to Apple, write a review. And finally, if you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of or advertise on the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to partner with you. We have a wide ranging global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business. If you're interested, just message us. See you.